again, friends, and you are my friends, and welcome to another edition of 605, the super podcast, the only podcast on Turner Time, the mothership, the best wrestling podcast on the planet, the only wrestling podcast that matters, call somebody. I am your host, the great Brian Last. It's me! The hardest working man in wrestling podcast. Yeah! Baby, baby. And I am very happy to be joined today by a good friend, a fantastic guest, and the host of one of the best podcasts out there. I am so proud to be involved with Breaking Kayfabe with Baldrin and Barry. And that is my friend and yours, Mr. Jeff Baldrin. Baldrin the Booker! He's Breaking Kayfabe on Life! And he's right here right now. Jeff, welcome back to the show. Actually, what I'm doing is I'm breaking cave save. <laughs> see, no one knows what that means, but of course. But see, first the folks were getting all excited because you said, "Oh, I'm going to have the the host of Breaking Cave Fave," and they all thought it was that damn Barry Rose. And uh, I'm sorry, you got it. You're stuck with me. You and I, we have so much fun when we produce the show because any little mistake that you or Barry make, because I'm not on air, as soon as we're off air, I get to jump on you guys and make fun of you a little bit about. So it's a lot of fun. You like when my voice uh, goes a little high pitch, you know, like, hey, let's go talk to Bobby Fulton. <laughs> That's good. I th- the one that you just mentioned is the one that got me a few weeks ago. You did your intro so fast and you had so much on your mind that you said, we're going to break cave on a movie. movie, movie. We're going <laughs> to break cave on life. And I said, break cave. It's- <laughs> we're not breaking cave fave anymore. We're breaking cave. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, you know, like I said, I'm very, very proud to be involved with that show. It is really such a great show. And you and Barry are so perfect together as a team. So before we go any further, and this is going to be a really interesting show, and I'll explain why in a second, but we're not going to have too much time for me and the co-host to go back and forth. So right here at the top, Jeff, let the listeners know a little bit about Breaking Kayfabe with Bowdrin and Barry. Well, first of all, you know, I can't believe you don't have much time for me. Oh, sure. Vandal Drummond, Howard Baum. <laughs> well. Yeah, you got time for them. <laughs> but one of your fucking hosts. No, you don't have no time for me, pal. Okay. So, yeah, we uh, <laughs> talk a little bit about the uh, wrestling business, talk a little bit about food, we talk about television, movies, pop culture, we break kayfabe on live. <laughs> That's right, you can get it at baldrinpod.com or search for Breaking Kayfabe with Baldrin and Barry wherever you find your favorite podcast. And I said this is going to be a little different today. Originally, I had a completely different show formatted, and something interesting happened. We recorded a Cauliflower Alley roundtable with... Howard Baum, Kurt Brown, the aforementioned Vandal Drummond, and Jace Nakarado, who's a great friend of the show and helps out with a lot of stuff behind the scenes. And we recorded this roundtable with the best of intentions. And it turned into a train wreck, a clusterfuck, however you want to describe it. And I said, there's no way I could air this thing. It's a disaster. Everyone's talking over everyone else, and it's a complete disaster. But there were just, there were moments in it that, really stood out. So I sent it to Scott Cornish. And I said, Scott, what do I do? Can I play this on the air? And he's, and he wrote back and he goes, well, it's kind of rough, but there are moments of brilliance <laughs> mixed into this. So what I've decided to do today on the show is it will air after the program. If you continue listening to the Arcadian Vanguard podcast network, after the outro music today, there'll be a special presentation, a 90 minute round table, very, very minimal edits and uh, lights out. So uh, the 605 Super Podcast and Arcadian Vanguard take no responsibility for what you're about to hear. But that's why we have a 90-minute bonus segment today. Was because I think, uh, <laughs> Brian, I think the listeners of the 605, they appreciate a little, little bit of a clusterfuck uh, aspect of the show. Well, they'll get it. 
They'll get it today, right here on the Super Podcast. You're giving them what they want. <laughs> well, right after the Super Podcast, so stay tuned for that. But we do have a really packed show and a lot of really cool stuff here today. I want to mention a few things here, Jeff, at the top of the show. One of the most popular figures we've talked about, we've laughed about, we've really talked about his career, too, with people like Kurt, is Budokan, or as we call him on the show, the new Budokan. In fact, let's play a little bit of audio here. I'm sorry that happened. Which, of course, led to Carl Auer's famous... Is that for true? And then the other Budokan audio we have is... And this is a Budokan solution for the homeless people. Deacon bum you. I heard what you were talking about over there. Like I said, we've had so much fun here on the show for so long now talking about him. Well, unfortunately, this past week, we got word that he passed away. And uh, we had heard, and you'll hear it mentioned actually during the roundtable in the Lights Out portion of the show, Kurt Brown, I believe, mentions that Buddha was really ill and uh, there were stories that were going around about how severe his illness was. You'll hear about that. Well, after we recorded that, he did pass away. And uh, we'll see about getting a guest on who could really talk about him and talk a little bit more about his career. But we have to make a note of that here at the top of the show. He has been such a popular character here and uh pretty sad to hear that Budokan has passed away jeff ah truly we will never forget the uh, baby baby you know that's uh, no we won't and pro- <laughs> that'll be that'll be a well, sound drop for the next couple years baby baby well one of the reasons we won't forget it is that's actually not Budokan. that's Bruno well what Midnight. the fuck do well, i know just, i mean come on yeah, yeah we're, we feel very sorry about this guy dying i'm going to talk about a different character <laughs> in the top 10 yeah. It's almost like I don't listen to the 605. Yeah, what the hell? Thanks, stupid. Yeah. You're a liar and a bastard. Well, well in this case, I certainly am. <laughs> well, well, like I said, we'll try to get someone on to talk a little bit more about Budokan, the new Budokan, and even the old Budokan, but uh, certainly very sad to hear of his passing. Our thoughts go out to his friends, family, and of course his fans, and uh, the new Budokan will certainly live on in 605 history, and we'll keep his name and his spirit alive here on the program. And I want to mention this, too. Let me grab this. Hold on, Jeff. I got this right here. I got a piece of paper. Frank the Collector. I mentioned this fine gentleman a little while back. He had sent me some really cool vinyl that I added to my wrestling record collection. Well, he has now sent me, and I want to thank him profusely right here, a copy of the Body Press from Detroit. Let me open this to the program. It is from March 4th, 1972. It contains the actual ticket stub. And this was the famous night that Dave Drayson actually just talked about on the Jim Cornette Experience where Bruno Sammartino, because he was upset about being screwed on money by the Sheik, no-showed. He no-showed the Sheik. So the main event was scheduled to be Bruno Sammartino versus the Sheik. Instead, it's a draw with the Sheik and Louis Martinez. So I got this program. One other interesting thing I noticed here, uh, Jeff, tell me if you see something wrong. But this program from the NWA Detroit promotion has a listing of all the different world heavyweight champions throughout the years. So I'm going to read you a few of these. Tell me where you see an issue, okay? 1959, Pat O'Connor defeated Dick Hutton. 1961, Buddy Rogers defeated Pat O'Connor. 1963, Bruno Sammartino defeated Buddy Rogers. 1970, Dory Funk Jr. Yeah, somebody forgot about Gene Kaniski there, huh? Well, someone also forgot Bruno wasn't the NWA champion. Well, there's that. <laughs> well, there's also that. Or was that little minor split? <laughs> it has like who won the match, and then all of a sudden it just says Dory Funk Jr. <laughs> so, but a really cool one. I got to say, the Body Press from Detroit is such a neat program. I don't know how many of them you've seen, Jeff, but it's like a magazine. It's an entire magazine for the card, and it's really, really neat. Some cool photos, really good features. I don't know how many of them Dave Drayson actually wrote under different aliases, but 
Really neat, and I've had a growing collection of these lately, and a few people have sent some in, and I want to thank, once again, Frank the Collector. Very, very nice of him to send that in. Absolutely. You know, I just saw on Twitter today, I don't know if you had a chance uh, or if you've seen it out there, uh, Tim Hornabaker, he actually printed Sam Muchnick's, uh, it was like from September 1951, Luthez's schedule for the entire month. Have you seen that document? I, I like, did I, see that. Yeah, really yeah. I mean, that was absolutely fascinating. Tim Hornbaker always tweets out really interesting stuff. Obviously, he is one of the foremost wrestling historians out there, published a couple of books. He has another one coming up, I believe, in the fall. So I would, I would advise anyone on Twitter who cares about wrestling history to follow him. Really interesting stuff there. But, Jeff, we have to move on here. A man spoke on the show last week, and it got a big reaction, and he has decided to enter the top 10. He's eligible after next week's show, which will contain the next top 10. I want to go to this recording right now. I understand we have a new candidate for the top 10 who is on the line right now, someone who will be eligible after next week's show. I don't know who this is. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. I heard you cocksuckers out there at the uh, 605 have been trying to brand me some kind of racist. Look, I'm not a fucking racist. You say that again, I'll put you through a fucking window. Okay. <laughs> is this, is this uh, well, I won't say racist, is this barista Ken Patera? Whatever you want to call it. Just finish your fucking Frappuccino and get the fuck out of here. <laughs> you're, you're now eligible nope. for the top No. <laughs> no, you can't use my fucking bathroom. Get the fucking bricks. <laughs> okay, okay. Don't go through all your material just yet. But you're eligible now for the top ten. Is that what I heard? Yeah, but don't call me that fucking name racist. You hear me? Okay, okay. We will not Fucking asshole. Okay, all right. <laughs> Welcome to the program. Look, I, I'm, if you must call me something other than Olympic Strongman, you can call me Cranky Barista Ken Patera or Cantankerous Barista Ken Patera. <laughs> something along those lines. Okay, we got it. We got now it. get the fuck out of here. There you hear it. Cranky Barista Ken Patera, now eligible for the top 10, or at least eligible after next week's show, next week's top 10. Stay tuned for that. And on that note, we're going to move on here. Some footage recently emerged, and I was fascinated to finally get a chance to see Spiros Arion turning heel in the WWWF in 1975 on Chief J Strongbow and Bruno San Martino. I wanted to find out a little bit more about this footage, so I spoke to a real expert in the footage that's out there and the footage that it keeps emerging, Roy Lusher, a friend of the show. Here's my conversation with Roy about this footage. I am very happy to welcome back to the Super Podcast a great friend of the show, and that is Roy Lusher, and we've had him on in the past, and I'm very happy to have him back here today. Roy, how's it going? I'm doing great, Brian. How you been? I'm doing all right. So, you know, I want to talk to you about this footage that you just posted that I couldn't believe I finally got to see. It was such a delight, and it lived up to my expectations despite no sound, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But briefly, and I know you've talked about it in the past, let the listeners know what you've been working on, what you've been doing, because you've really done so much, and it really deserves some attention to document wrestling history, specifically getting as many videotapes as possible and converting them while you can. And you have uncovered footage. I mean, you've just run into footage today. You've uncovered so much footage that has helped keep the story alive. Let the listeners know a little bit about what you've been doing. Okay, so back in the 90s, I started because my parents had a satellite dish. I started recording Japanese wrestling, Mexican wrestling, uh, you know, and tape trading and stuff like that, thanks to Melcher's readers' pages and stuff. So I got a pretty good tape collection. 
recently, well, back in 2011, Ron had offered me his tape collection for free. So uh, what I started to do is convert that and all of my existing DVDs um, and put them up onto YouTube. Now, the collection, I finally went to my mother's in Lake Havasu this past January, got that collection, mailed it to my friend uh, Chad Austin from ECW out in Baltimore. He converted all that over. Long story short here is every single one of these DVDs, what I'm doing is I'm uploading them onto YouTube and Daily Motion. I have two separate YouTube channels, one that is for uh, All Japan Pro Wrestling and the other one that's for basically anything else, other Japanese companies. Uh, independence, world-class, uh, loot, international, uh, Hawaii, any Polynesian pro, anything I could get my hands on. And Daily Motion, I put New Japan on there since New Japan has asked me not to upload anything onto YouTube personally. So anything that I can find that WWE doesn't own the rights to, I put up onto YouTube. It's a side hobby. It's a passion that I love. It helps me relive when I was a fan years ago, and it just helps me share that love of the business to the fans out there who may want to recall seeing it live or may have never seen it before, but heard about it or just, you know, want to visit that promotion or that match. You know, Roy, something that I know people have run into, I haven't really so much, but I know people who have, and I believe you have. So I'd like you to talk about it if you don't mind for a few moments here, when someone uploads content to YouTube, there are times where the WWE will register a strike against the account through YouTube, even though it's footage they don't actually own the rights to. Have you run into this issue? Absolutely, and I have an example for that. I think it was a 91 All Japan TV show, and it was Billy Black and Joel Deaton against Johnny Ace and Kenta Kobashi, I believe was the match, and Black and Deaton won the uh, tag title, the All-Asia tag titles. I remember I uploaded it, and later that night, I got a strike on there from WWE from it. Uh, I was like, wait a sec, that's outright bullshit. So I contacted YouTube. I let them know, listen, I've scoured this whole DVD. This is nothing WWE owns whatsoever. Uh, them and also music video distributors. Now, if anyone out there uploads, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, all you need to do, by the way, is file a claim and say music video distributors does not own the rights to this video. And in 30 days, they will take it down. I guarantee it. The WWE one, they hesitated. Uh, they let it go and they uh, ignored, the, uh, removed the copyright strike from it. So that is something that, uh, you know, I mean, obviously, unfortunately, like I'll upload a episode of Southwest wrestling from 85 and there'll be like 32 seconds of the video that WWE owns. And when I go to look at it, unfortunately, it's like something where they go, let's show you from footage from world class or uh, world championship wrestling, which unfortunately they do own. So you either have to uh, edit that whole thing completely out or just look through it and see if WWE really does own it or not. But I, I run into more trouble with music video distributors than WWE. Yeah, they're, um, but they're a fraud. You and I talked about them a long while back because I uplo uploaded some content of mine, some stuff from Memphis that they certainly did not own the rights to. That was public domain footage. And I uploaded yep. it and they put a claim up. And I just right away filed a counterclaim saying, this is public domain footage. The owners of the company have stated they don't know who the hell owns what. 
Uh, although now some of them try to change their story and say they do, but no one owns this, certainly not music video distributors, and they pull it down. Apparently, they have an automated system where they just, anything that's been flagged that isn't like a public domain situation like this, they claim they own the rights to it, but they will never back it up. It's an automated system. It's the same thing with any Portland footage, by the way. Really? Any Portland footage. Yeah, I, everything like I uploaded, geez, I got that Buddy Rose collection a couple of years ago. Everything I uploaded, TV show, single matches, whatever, like it would say the entire video was owned by music video distributors. And I talked to Matthew Mertz, who um, is, has the Portland Wrestling YouTube page, and he says, yeah, I run into the exact same thing. They claim that they own it, but you you filed a claim, and in 30 days, they never once responded. It's just dealing with that an initial copyright strike over it. And YouTube allows them to continue to do this. They've been doing it for yes. years. That's that's yes. the scary part that YouTube allows them to continue it. But yeah, we'll return to this and this could be a topic in the future too. And I've run into it where I've seen the WWE claim the rights to footage from 19, what, 1971, 1972 in Knoxville, because it aired on Smoky Mountain Wrestling TV. They claim they own the rights to this footage from John Kazana's promotion, which has not existed in many, many years, which they don't own the rights to. So there are lots of other examples of this, but Roy... <laughs> it almost sounds like, you know what it reminds me of, and I gotta say this, it's like it's like Leno with his watermark on the Lord Littlebrook picture. <laughs> yes, the WWE is the Mike Leno of YouTube, is what I'm trying to say here. But, yeah. but Roy, let's talk about about some footage that you did find and this footage is extraordinary we've talked on the show in the past about spiros arion and the fact that people i've spoken to who grew up in the northeast have said he was the scariest heel he was the one that when he turned you were afraid for bruno there was something about arion that seemed real and scary and i had never seen his heel turn he had been a baby face there in the mid and late 60s and really got over big, didn't turn, went back to Australia, one of the biggest stars in Australian wrestling history, along with Danucci and Mario Milano. Probably want to throw Mark Lewin on that list as well. Mm -hmm. And then he comes back to the WWWF as a babyface in, I want to say 74, it may have been the end of 73, but in 74, he's aligned with Bruno, the way people remembered him way back in the 60s. He's aligned with Jay Strongbow, who had come aboard and been the number two babyface to Bruno. And that's really where this footage picks up. It is a television match, I believe Philadelphia, and it is the Valiant Brothers with Lou Albano against Chief J. Strongbow and Spiros Ariel. From mm -hmm. here, Roy, talk a little bit about this footage, what you saw, and what exactly the footage is. Okay, so um, it was brought to my attention this morning, this morning being um, May 20th, uh, Sunday, uh, from a friend of mine who inboxed me and said, uh, hey, uh, have you ever seen the Spiros Arian turn? And I was just like joking around like, well, no, because it's, there's no footage of it unless it's part of that hidden gems that comes out this week. And he's all like, no, I actually just saw it. I'm like, dude, share it with me. So he shared me this Google Drive thing that had the Aryan turn on it. I watched it. And, you know, at the beginning, you could see the Valiants in the ring with Aryan and, and Strongbow. And, you know, it looks like your typical match or whatever. And then like two minutes in, you see... Uh, it looks like uh, Strongbow going for a roll-up on, on on one of the Valiants. The Valiant uh, pushes Strongbow into the ropes or kicks him off, and Arian's back was turned to Strongbow, and I guess he just whacked him or whatever pretty good. And Arian just lost his temper at that point, goes and grabs the nearest chair and just pops Strongbow in the head. 
uh, from what I've read, the blood was like insane. Now it, it could be exaggerated similar to, you know, how great last battle of Atlanta was, but from what I heard, the blood was just off the hook crazy, which unfortunately you really don't see here. But what you do see is as he's going after air, uh, uh, strongbow, Bruno runs in the ring and it looks at first like cooler heads are going to prevail. And then he goes after Bruno as well. So, I mean, he's beaten both of them up and then the Valiants jump in and you see Captain Lou on the ring apron and, you know, orchestrating the whole thing. And it's just like, wow, because I've been hearing for decades that this is like one of the biggest uh, heel turns in the history of our business. It's that moment where Arion turns and leaves after Bruno, who had run in the ring and is in his suit and is getting beaten down now by the Valiants. Bruno and Arion had always been friends, and now Arion's leaving while Bruno's taking this beating. Strongbow's already down. It's really just such an amazing moment, and it appears to be 8-millimeter film of yep. it on TV, right? Is that the way you're seeing it as well? Okay, from what it was described to me as, the footage was there was a, uh, a kid that was going through either his dad or grandfather's uh, 8mm collection. Apparently, he was not a wrestling fan, but there was this wrestling footage on here. What the claim is, is that his dad or grandfather filmed the TV from his 8mm camera, the, the, this footage of the Aryan heel turn. And I'll tell you, too, the jumpy nature of the 8mm film really makes Arion seem so cool to watch. Yes. Right? How cool is that yeah. to watch him in there? I'm like, man, I want to see more babyface Spiros Arion. He's kind of great. Yes. I, 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 I personally, I mean, obviously, I'd love to have sound, but God, just the, the 8mm almost, in a way, enhances it. It does. It kind of adds to the mystery of the whole thing. Do we know yes. any more about the person who found it, how this got into the hands of wrestling collectors? I do not know yet that much. Uh, I, I don't know. All I know is that someone who uh, uh, saw it said that uh, it was being floated around in a Google Drive thing this morning, uh, that apparently this was just discovered within the past 48 hours, and that's why it was put up on the Google Drive, whether it was the person himself who found the tape or someone who was a wrestling fan who, uh, you know, knew the guy and then immediately put it up as well. And then my friend got it and he's just like, God, this is, this is like Holy grail here. So he shared it with me and you know, Hey, I'm an uploader. <laughs> I looked everywhere. <laughs> I'm an uploader. I'm not doing this. You know, I'm not trying to make money off of this. This is like, you know, Holy grail. I just want every fan in the world that's heard about, about this to see it that's my only intention here is so everybody out there who has heard about this can either relive it or see it for the first time roy will pick up this story if any news breaks any more information about this any more footage emerges and we'll have you back on but before you leave one last thing because this ties into that topic the idea that there's footage still out there i've talked about this on jim Cornette show i've talked about it right here on the super podcast I'm always optimistic. I'm always optimistic there's a fan who had a beta machine or even something before that who recorded stuff because wrestling fans have been the earliest adopters of new technology along with fans of pornography that there mm -hmm. are. I always have hope that there's a janitor who loved wrestling who took home master tapes from a television studio. I always have these hopes and then something like this turns up and it's like, wow, here it is. So where are you right now? What, are there any areas you think there could be some footage that we don't know about? And what do you think about the overall discovery of lost footage? 
Well, I know for a fact there's a ton of Cow Palace footage out there that uh, is being held back. So that's probably the next stuff that you'll, you know, hopefully see like, you know, a few years down the line. Uh, stuff with like Stevens and Patterson wrestling in the Cow Palace. Get it? Whoa, whoa, whoa. So, hold on. Time out. Time out. It's being held back. Who are you at liberty to say who has it? Unfortunately, I'm not, but it, it exists. Is I it, know. Is it 16 millimeter film or is it anything actually? It's from the Cow Palace, so that's not TV. So I'm assuming it will be either 8 millimeter, Super 8, or 16 millimeter, correct? Yeah, one of those. Okay. Yeah, I know, I know 100% for a fact. I do know the person who has it. Unfortunately, I, I can't say his name, but I know for a fact the footage exists. Um, so, uh, that's probably going to be the next big thing, uh, you know, within the next two to four years is some of the cow palace, cow palace footage is going to start slipping out here and there. Whoever has it, do not lend it to Mike Leno. <laughs> Let me just say that right here as we end the show. You know, Roy, I just saw that a uh, documentary rock rims put up the Hawaiian wrestling documentary. I'd never seen it before. It must be from the nineties. And that's the first time I ever saw Hawaiian television studio footage. It was Nick Bockwinkle versus Crazy Luke Graham, Ripper Collins at ringside. I had never seen that before, and that got me going. Like, where is that footage from? What master tape is that from? Who has that? What else is there? So it's things like this that drive you and drive me to just keep seeing what we could discover. Oh, yeah, exactly. And um, I, I know I've got a ton of all – I'm currently uploading All Japan 98, 97, and then New Japan 95 – but uh, Chad Austin sent me all those tapes that I finally got from my mother this Friday. So it's probably going to be like really late in the year, beginning of next year. But this is some like unseen stuff that, uh, you know, if, if you're not already subbed to my YouTube channel, my my indie non all Japan one, uh, there's going to be a lot of great stuff coming up on here. Roy, before we leave, just let everyone know how they can subscribe to your channels. I have uh, two YouTube channels under the name Roy Lusher. Uh, one of them you'll notice has a picture with like me and Liger, Jushin Liger, and he's actually like holding a sign saying support Roy Lusher's YouTube page. Uh, and the <laughs> other <laughs> and the other YouTube page has me, Minoru Suzuki, and Harry Smith from uh, Long Beach. And I, I know you and I got to talk about that down the road, but uh, I helped drive for Yoshihiro Takayama in, in Long Beach, and we ended up donating almost $1,000. And I personally was able to hand it to Minoru Suzuki to uh, wow. donate to. Yeah, that, that's one of the greatest things I think I've ever been a part of my entire life and stuff like that. Uh, so my YouTube, my two YouTube channels are those two there. And then I have a daily motion page where I upload uh, New Japan and basically everything else as well. Uh, that one has like me and I think Chris Jericho as the profile picture, but it's all under my real name, Roy Lusher. I don't do any kind of hidden wrestling names or anything like that, you know. You know, some other interesting information there, Jeff, of course. There's a lot of footage that WWE has pulled down off YouTube that they do not actually own the rights to. And if anyone else has other examples of that, you know, get in touch with the show. Maybe we'll put together a list of all of the things that WWE is claiming they own the rights to, which they don't, which I don't think should be allowed by YouTube's laws. But they're partners with them, so they'll get away with whatever they want. But some really interesting stuff there, and the hope is always still there for what footage could be out there. And you never know. In the last couple of years, we've seen the last Battle of Atlanta. And now this footage emerged. You never know what will be next, but we know what will be next here on this show, and that is another of our popular roundtable discussions. This time, we reunite two old friends for the first time in a long time. 
the golden boy, Jerry Gray. And of course, you can support Jerry's ongoing battle with stage four cancer by going to tinyurl.com slash GoFundGoldenBoy. Every little bit helps. If you enjoy Jerry on the show, please consider contributing and helping him as he battles cancer. But Jerry is with Bobby Fulton, the fantastic Bobby Fulton, about to embark on his final match, the final match of his long career. So we have him on here. Of course, this episode will debut after Bobby wrestles that final match, but you do get to hear one last really good promo, as Bobby's been doing lately on several shows, including Breaking Kayfabe with Bowdrin and Barry, a fine member of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. But... With all of that said, all that mumbo-jumbo, let's now go to this roundtable discussion with Jerry Gray and Bobby Fulton. Apologies for any audio issues. There was a slight delay between the two guys, so there may be a few moments where they talk over each other, but bear with it. It will be worth it. Let's go to this audio right now. We are back with another of our very popular roundtable segments here on the show and this one is a big one because we have two great guests one is a very popular man on this show you know him as the golden boy jerry gray jerry welcome back to the program thanks a lot brian good to be here and the other is another very popular guest on this show a man who had a fantastic career and it's winding down he's getting ready right (laughs) now for his retirement and that is my friend and yours bobby fulton bobby welcome back to the show Hey, thanks, Brian. I'm excited to get a chance to talk to all the folks out there and share this round table with uh, Jerry Gray. You know, uh, I knew him also as the guru, so uh, we're going to have some fun here. Hope that the folks enjoy it. You know, that's something we have talked about on the show. There isn't much footage right now in circulation of the guru, so not a lot of people have seen it. Bobby, what do you remember about the guru gimmick? Well, it was pretty interesting because uh, he would go around, as a matter of fact, and he, I think he had a tambourine or a box or something like that. Yeah, and he tambourine. Would gather up, uh, yeah, tambourine. He he would gather up, uh, he'd gather up gas money from the crowd, as a matter of fact, in, in Tennessee, <laughs> and uh, he'd go around and get <laughs> yeah. offerings from the people for his guru thing, and and uh, you know. Uh, I just it was it was really different. It was good though, man. I mean, it was it was great. I mean, that's what it takes in wrestling to have the have the edge, and he definitely had the edge with the guru. You know what I mean? The funniest thing ever though was the time I had like a I don't know. It looked like a kind of a thing that Nikolai Volkov used to wear, kind of one of the big Russian uh, yes. fur things on my head. And at TV, you said I right. look like a combination of uh, Daniel Boone and Mark Lewin because I do the you yell, you know. <laughs> Daniel yeah. Boone and uh, Mark Lewin. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm not wearing the hat anymore. <laughs> anyway, oh my God. Yeah, yeah. I stay with Tony Falk. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was another character, Tony Falk. What a oh, yeah, great guy. Yeah. You know, we, yeah, we, we had an oh, opportunity yeah. to have some good matches together, Jerry. And the one good thing, oh, Ricky yeah. Morton said it best. He said it, he said it like this. He said, you, could, you might be in the first match in the territory, but you could – you could outwork the guys in the main event. And that's the way it was back then. Everybody on the card could go. And, uh, I mean, we pushed each other, you know, to the limits to work even oh, harder yeah. when we got in the ring for those fans. You know how it is. And everything. Yeah, me and Eddie Gilbert, me and Eddie Gilbert and you yeah. and Tommy had some yeah. really good matches. I mean, some yes. really good ones. We sure did. Sure did. And, and I, I mean, think just I first... tore the house down. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, was that Jerry Reed at that one? Um, that that one that's on the yes, um, on uh, YouTube. 
in was Tulsa. he there? I yes. thought he was. Yeah. Jerry yes, he Reed. was yeah, there. Yeah, it was a big event that uh, that yeah. uh, Bill yeah. Watson put together there, and uh, yes, that yeah. was Jerry Reed that uh, did that so, yeah. did that event. It was kind of like a Bill Watson's <laughs> version of the Great American Bash, but it was there in Tulsa, and we had, like yeah. I said, we had a great match and uh, everything. We I really enjoy oh, yeah. every time I got a chance to step in the ring with you. And, uh, oh, yeah, well, yeah. you know, just a tremendous Good talent. One. Yeah. That's what I was telling sure. A lot of miles, though. How much did you guys actually get to talk, though, Bobby, like in Mid-South Wrestling? Uh, because you were in different locker rooms. None. None. We got to talk in the ring. Except one maybe in the ring. Down hip toes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's most it. Most talked, really. That's Calling it. high spots. You, yeah. Even you know, in TV, times, we were so busy, yeah. you know. Yeah, Brian. You know, a lot of a lot of times you, you you would meet guys for the first time in the ring, and you'd heard of them yeah. from another territory or seen them, but you 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 didn't see them prior to the match. I was at elementary school today talking to some kids, and kids said, "Let me ask you, how much do you get to rehearse when you go out there and wrestle?" And I said, "Number one, we didn't have time to do any rehearsing or jumping in the ring." And then they asked us. They asked me. They said. Well, how about Vince McMahon's scripts? How did you like that? I said, listen, I didn't wrestle during that time, but I said, what's your name? And he told me his name. I said, but let me tell you something, Billy, I'm going to wrestle you tonight at this school. And when I come in here I, with the people, and I mean, I just, I said, I don't need nobody writing nothing to say. Okay. I said, I don't know about Vince McMahon and the scripts. I said, that, that we wrestled in the day it was professional wrestling. And today it's sports entertainment. So there you go. You know, I mean, but, uh, you know, Brian, a lot of times we, we had never met the guys, talked to them prior to the match or anything. We were just, and, and the funny thing about it was, and somebody told me this the other day, that the bookers might tell each team that they're going over. Now that made for some inter interesting matches. I don't know, Jerry, if you've <laughs> ever heard of that or not, but they'd be in one dress and that. say, okay, you guys somebody, are going yeah. over. And then they tell the other yeah. guys, hey, you guys are going over. And all of a sudden, they'd be yeah. in the ring, and they'd be going, hold it now. This guy's getting a little wise guy here, right? <laughs> and the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I heard that from uh, Mark Rocco. Being... Yeah, in Japan. yeah. He told it me something. In England, they used yeah, to do it, that, yeah. It happened. And yeah. somebody was telling me that that happened with the Rock and Roll Express and somebody. And I can't really? remember who it was, but <laughs> even them. <laughs> so, Jeez, I mean, <laughs> you know, Man. can you imagine uh, uh, telling Ole and Gene, you're going over, and telling oh, Ricky and Robert, yeah, you're right. going over, and uh, oh, what an God. interesting match that, that would have made. But uh, I think know, Ole and Gene would have went over. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. The, well, uh, you know, you heard the story you know. about Ricky Morton. He said he punched yeah, yeah. Ole Anderson about 40 yeah. times, and yeah. Ole just stood there, yeah, yeah. and finally Ricky fell down, took a bump. Took a bump, and he yeah. And said, what yeah, are you doing? Yeah. He said, you ain't going to sell. I'm going to sell for you, man. So, I mean, yeah, you yeah. know. But <laughs> he laughed. Hey, Ole had to laugh was, at that one. In, <laughs> yeah. As a matter of fact, even this, I didn't realize this, <laughs> but someone had just told me recently, Randy Savage was actually one of the very first guys to talk out his whole match. Because we never did that, did we, Jerry? We might go no, a couple he, of he spots if we seen each other. Randy Savage oh, yeah, did? We, I mean, yeah, he did to me when I worked him in uh, WWF. He told me exactly. And it was only like a seven-minute match or something. But he, did, he went over it like right, three or four times at least. Out. The whole thing. 
everything. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we yeah. never did. I mean, we just called it right in the ring. Oh. I mean, right, everything, even long oh. high spots. Me and you know, us, all of us. Yeah, yeah. But um, I remember yeah. the first time I worked you was in Evansville in '84. Before I think that was before you went to Southwest too. You had brown hair. Was that when you were in, uh-huh. you were in Memphis too, uh-huh. right? In '84. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I remember yes, I worked yes, you at yes, Ev- Evansville yes. when Rick yes. Rude was there too yes. at the beginning. Remember? I think yes. it was me and Rick Rude, yes. maybe a tag team, and the yes. I remember the rope broke, and you and you told me to hit you with the rope. <laughs> I was okay. Well, I was, uh, <laughs> yeah. well, you, you know what so funny was? <laughs> I was in Japan later on, and Rick Rude told me, he "said Bobby, I don't, I never told anybody this, but you're the reason why I did my robes and did all my stuff. I did." He said, "You gave me all that yeah, idea," and oh yeah, I said, "Yeah, you. that was to keep from getting killed." <laughs> The more I oh took your God, time yeah. of you getting your robes off, the less I had to get yeah. beaten in the ring from you. <laughs> God, yeah, they had but me. I mean, they had me work babyface too with him. Almost killed me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He he was just Baron starting. Group was there. And <laughs> yep, you're right. You're right. As a matter Baron of fact, I'll never forget. <laughs> they they put they, they had me put him over, and I was walking back. Yeah. I was walking back Me from too. the dressing room in, in Louisville, yeah. and Tommy Tommy mm-hmm. Marlin told me, he said, it's time for you to go, Bobby. You need to get out of here. Yeah. And yeah. I said, okay. Yeah. I mean, he was yeah. older then, and I'm sure he probably drew some money, but and I don't know yeah, why I Tommy Marlin said that, but yeah, that was right in that time. You're exactly right. Because yeah, he was in you, Ohio. Were you part of the group, Jerry Lawler crew? Were you part um, of the Jerry Lawler I was, crew because... I was after that before they did all that. I, I came like I okay, 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 okay. I don't remember. I what remember what it was before. You it was right when Dundee Bill Dundee. Yeah, okay. went. You were part of the Dundee crew, Jerry. I mean, because you weren't really a Jerry Jarrett well, guy or a Jerry Lawler guy. You were a Dundee guy, right? That was well, later, though. When I first went to Memphis, I was from Charlotte. Johnny Weaver and Gene Anderson sent me there, so it was like when right. uh, Watts just made made the deal with Jarrett to take some of the you know Midnight Express sure. Cornet and them, and then. And I was only there like a month that time, and Jerry uh, Lawler sent me over to watch. Thank God, <laughs> that's when right. it was real. When it was real, when it you know really got hot there with the midnight and rock and roll. Right. So I was with uh, right. Bill Dundee then. Then I got to know Bill Dundee at that time. Sure. But when I first was in Memphis, I wasn't with anybody very much really. <laughs> and then later, I was with Dundee right. a lot. I, so I used to ride with him all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. But I, the, uh, I, I appreciate Ohio. Bill. Bill's uh-huh. a. Bill, oh, what, yeah. you what now? I said Ohio. I, I didn't I'm even realize good. you were, because we never really talked. You know, we were both from Ohio. Yeah, I never yeah. Where, even are, you knew, from, we'd where say, are you from in Ohio, Jerry? <laughs> where, where about? Akron. I'd go, Akron. I'd go to the wow. Akron Armory every every Saturday. I was going to you, say, you worked there before, you at you? the Akron Armory? I never worked the yeah, Akron I'd Armory. I'd go there every, didn't you? Oh, okay. Walter J. Moore was a promoter. Yeah, yeah, Walter Moore. And then, you know, Billy Coleman. Remember, remember Billy Coleman? Yes, I remember him I, when I broke into business. Yes. Yeah. Did, it, he, did he break he you right in the down business? the street from me? No, but he, I was just a little kid. He lived right down. He lived right down the street from me, and he he was really nice to me. Though he gave me a lot of pictures and stuff of all the Eric the Red and all of them. He used to come pick him up and right down the street from me. I'd yeah. Freak out. <laughs> Eric the, yeah. But I was yeah, uh, I was just cool. twelve know, years old. <laughs> he lo- he. I, yeah. I, I remember. What, how, now, how old are you, Jerry? I'm fifty-five. How old are you? A couple years, probably okay. younger. So, yeah. so I started when I was 16, and Billy yeah. Coleman was at the very first show I was at wrestling. And I remember yeah. he, had, he had had with him at the second show he was older. a guy by the name of Mark Shire, who had went and worked 
the WWE, because that's what Billy Coleman would do, go over and do the WWF TV tapes, yeah. remember? They were in Hamburg. Yeah, with Zoltan. And, uh, and in Allentown. Yeah. And all them, yeah. and they, they uh, Mark Shire, who was Rip Rogers, had blew his knee out, tore a Tanaka, threw him through the ropes, and he hurt his knee real oh, bad, okay. and he came to the show in West Virginia. But oh. Billy Coleman, they always freaked out about him because he would, he would get juiced and then he would sew his own head up in the dressing yeah. room. That was kind of his claim yeah, to fame, Brian. He would yeah, do he his own suturing and the whole nine <laughs> yeah. yards, buddy. Yeah. yeah. They, they're yeah. a different lived, breed of yeah. animals back then. You yeah, know. they were. Yeah, he uh, he lived down the street from me. And you started well. Did you know Jugan, Herman right? Watson? Yeah. Did you know Herman Watson? Uh, Sheep on Red Cloud? He Herman lived in Barberton. Oh, yeah, yeah. He had a ring. He had yeah, the ring. Red Cloud. Yeah, yeah, I knew him. Yeah, Red Cloud. I, I met him, yeah. Now, they yeah, told Red a story about that. him. He, he he got beat up by a ring rat one night at ringside coming out of the ring. <laughs> the, the ring rat sister, because oh he had done the ring rat dirty. They said he got out oh of the my. ring there at the Akron Armory. Oh. And a woman jumped oh, up really? and hit him right in the mouth. And, uh, oh, my John God. Red Cloud, I think, that is. I don't think I was there that night. <laughs> Jeez. No, no. Jimmy. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember that one. Jimmy Banks was from Akron, yeah. too. Remember him? Yeah. Jimmy you know, Banks. I was in Calgary. I yeah. I love Jimmy Banks. I went oh, to Montreal yeah. with him. And you know what happened yeah, he was, was nice, uh, nice I, I called his house, and, and his yeah. brother said, well, Jimmy's dead. I said, I didn't know oh, that. Man. What a great yeah, guy. Casaboo, but he drew a lot of money in yeah. Calgary for Stu Hart and them. Yeah. They loved him. Yeah. He came up there when I was he there. He was doing dialysis then. He was pretty sick. Yeah. And he was still wrestling and everything, but what a great guy. Another Jeez. guy from Akron. What about Brady yeah, Howard? Do you remember that name? I remember the name, but I don't remember him. I thought you I worked at the Akron Armory. That must, I seen it. No, no, no. Yeah, I, I know no, it. I wish I would have. Yeah, because I know uh, Fred Curry had a show. Yeah, I know who that is. Yeah, Red, Ronnie Lee. Because um, Fred yeah. Curry had a show there. I remember once Fred and Bull Curry against uh, Dr. Jerry Graham and uh, Jerry Jaffe. It was Dr. Jerry Graham Jr. They had an independent what? show there once in uh, 78. Now, I, I may think, have been. I may, I may I have, you might have been because I probably yeah. was and don't remember because I've been seeing stuff lately, like in, in shows yeah. and stuff up around there in Wheeling, and I had forgot. That's what I thought. I said, yeah. My goodness. But I probably it was, was because I wrestled for him then. I think it was 70, yep. 77 or 78. One of the other. That's why yeah, I thought you I might, might have been on it. Have. Yep, I may have. I, the, I, I'll tell you what. Yeah. It was uh, Brian's a big uh, Brian's a big uh, fan of Wild Bull Curry. And it was weird to be oh, 16 yeah. and 17 years old looking across. As a matter of fact, I was at yeah. elementary school today talking to some kid, and I had a picture of Bull uh -huh. Curry on my phone and i said take a look at this man how would you like to be 16 years old standing across the ring from him yeah he nobody ever looked like that definitely yeah i see they all look pretty One scary day. back then you know up, up yeah yeah they were did you, well, go? you know even tommy Ron yeah i'm sorry go ahead did you go when you were a kid live to where was the uh the town you went to see it at? well i went to columbus where, where... i went to dayton hair arena I went to Cooper oh, Arena okay. in Columbus. I went to Dayton Hare Arena uh -huh. and watched the wrestling. Uh -huh. And that was yep. where they had it at around there. And then they had a group out of Chillicothe <clears throat> that had worked for Al Haft, who I kind of got in, <clears throat> in by setting the ring up with. His name was Hank yeah. Best. And as a matter uh -huh. of fact, he promoted shows. And 
he had Leon Graham and Buddy Rogers and them and and uh, guys yeah, like that yeah, that yeah. wrestled and you know so oh, yeah. so I I went to some of their wrestling and things and everything but uh, yeah. yeah I just uh, I was always a fan Jerry I'm sure you were oh, too yeah, right yeah. yeah yeah oh yeah on the big time wrestling could you get did they have like a lot of security or could you get right up and talk to the guys or because of the Akron Armor you could get right up and stand there right there with like fur pro and all the guys you know i could yeah yeah everybody. yeah you could you you could you could do that there you you could you get, get right there the yeah that was cool yeah oh yeah, yeah I, I thought yeah, so like the, i got a little like bulldog story to tell don you guys <laughs> uh go ahead yeah, bulldog don ken i remember well when i i yeah. shared this the other day on jimmy's show if you don't mind i'm gonna tell jerry brian uh, uh-huh. i was on there with you i got a call from les ruffin who was the cincinnati promoter and he said, yeah. Jim, because Jim's my real name, he said, can you make Dayton Hair yeah. Arena uh, on Monday night? <laughs> I thought, sure. Yeah. So I got over there, and I wrestled. I wrestled and, uh, Randy Savage, the first match. And it was oh, for really? the Sheik's big-time wrestling. And I Randy wrestled Popolo, him the right? first match. We wrestled. Yeah, well, no, he was Randy Savage. He was just becoming oh, Randy Savage. Oh, was he then? Oh, okay. Yep, and oh. he was he was macho man. And he... Uh, so I wrestled him the very first match. Then I went back out. I wrestled for 20 minutes. No, 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 no. I'm I'm mixed up. I wrestled Al Costello the first match oh, and okay. wrestled him for 20 minutes. And then I went back in mm-hmm. a tag match, and it was me and Randy Savage against Bobby Boldego and Al Costello. And during that whole tag mm-hmm. match was another 20 or 30 minutes. Every time I went to tag Randy Savage, he wouldn't he wouldn't let me tag out. So I wrestled the whole match and got beat. And then after the match, Randy Savage beat me up and left me laying in a working way. Well, I went back to the dressing room to watch Bobo Brazil and the Sheik. I hurried up and took a shower and went running out because I'd worked like 45 minutes of the show, you know. Yeah. I ran out there to watch the match, and they're coming out of the ring, and it only lasts about three minutes. And I didn't oh, yeah, get course. to watch the match. <laughs> the cheek. But what was, so, oh, my God. what was so weird was, Jerry, this is a funny thing, Les Ruffin came up to me. He said, hey, boy, uh-huh. can you make Cincinnati next week? I said, no, I got a wedding to go to. He said, that's strange because Jim Grabmeyer is going to a wedding, and he can't make that show either. <laughs> and I figured out oh, he yeah. got my number he somehow. Thought you, yeah. thought I was Jim Grabmeyer the whole time. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I met oh. him once. Uh, remember, did you ever meet him, Jim, Jim Grabmeyer? He's from yeah, Springfield, he was, Ohio. Uh, yeah, he was on uh, that. Remember when Louis Toledo and Buddy Fuller started that promotion up in 82 yes. in Ohio? They tried to bring yes. him back. Yeah, he was. Yes. I was on that because – Louis to let train me, and then uh, he uh, he was on their shows. He was he was pretty old then, uh, Grabmeyer. Right, but right. The, well, uh, you know Louis yeah, Tillet, but... Louis Tillet and uh-huh. and Ronnie Garvin and Jimmy <laughs> Garvin tried a company prior to that up in Ohio. Yeah, and they called I've it Ohio Valley Wrestling. Yep, and they, they, they tried to book. Yep, they, they tried to book. But see, back then, what they didn't realize that Ohio had a lot of they didn't have a state athletic commission. They had city athletic yeah. commissions, so these city, yeah, some of these right, city yeah. athletic commissions were shutting them down before their show. Because I remember yeah. Jimmy Banks was working for him and people, and it was right before I got in the business. We was at the Armory yeah. in my hometown, Chillicothe, and there was Louis Tillet standing outside. He said, "They're not going to let us do the show tonight." The commission said no, and uh, but 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 Jimmy Garvin later told me he said him and Patty learned to eat a lot of potatoes back then. 
I'm talking about yeah. 10-pound bags of potatoes. Oh, I know. That's all they could afford yeah, to because, have, you know, yeah. eat, you know, and everything. Yeah. So Somebody was on I didn't that know show. Who he was, was with Buddy Fuller. Yeah, they did it later. But, Who's um, that now? That Ohio – that Ohio Valley wrestling, they had um, Brandy Colley was on there. I remember when he was first starting. Um, wow, that's name. cool. Yeah, and some other big not Randy black, black the Mountaineer, right? Name. No, it Banks. I don't know if it was that name. Yeah, there was another one too, though that ended up being God. Who was it? Leroy Brown, I think. Bad Leroy Brown. I think it was him. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Pretty sure. Yeah, Hank. Did um, they call him Bearcat? Last night. Something. I don't. I can't remember, but remember Hank. Uh, I can't pronounce his real last name. Klumkowski or Hank Hudson, Hudson. You know. Yeah, he Hank he put Hudson, it in yeah, his results. Henry yeah, yeah, he put it in his results. Yeah. Like one well, of those old ones from Ohio yeah. Valley, and said it was somebody. Uh, I think Leroy Brown on Ohio Louis Tillich show in '76. Yeah, wow, wow. So wow. I I tell so, you what, I love the way Hank does a description. I remember right before oh, I, yeah. right when I broke into business, his little articles would uh-huh. be in the back of Ring magazine. And you could read it, the oh, descriptions yeah. of Henry P. Klimkowski's of the shows at Canton and yeah. different places and stuff. And he still does that today. As a matter of fact, he's going to be announcing on my last my last match. And I thought that oh, is he? Oh, brings yeah. a full circle because he was the announcer of my very first match in Clarksburg, West Virginia in 77. Yeah, with, so, yeah, with so. Zoltan, right? Zoltan's show. Sorry. Yep, that's right. And with Jukin. Zoltan, yep, yep. Yeah. Yes, that's he's a, right. Yeah, he's a Jukin, good guy. Yep. Yeah, the good guy. Sure yeah, the uh, yeah. Remember that Three Rivers wrestling. Remember that thing he wrote the newsletter. Yeah. Uh, Ken Jugan. Yeah. Yeah. Together they I wrote that. That, was, that. that was a good yeah, one. Yes, sir. Yeah. I yep. Did, and as a matter of fact, good stuff. Good stuff. I my first match, Brian <laughs> and Jerry. I'm going to tell you this. I wrestled Joseph Shedlock, who wrote something out of Greensburg, Pennsylvania, a uh, newsletter. I don't know if you remember that name or not, Jerry. But he big and, guy, and Brian. Right? But he he. Yeah, he he was the Joseph, first match. Yeah, and and Joe Joe Shedlock, but he mm-hmm. wrestled as Mad Dog Michaels that night. And me and him, yeah. neither one of us had any real prior training. We went out yeah. to that ring, buddy, and we fought each other like cats and dogs. I was Matt Burns, Rose yeah. Burns, beat up, <laughs> and the dressing room emptied out yeah. on the second match of the card. The dressing room, they came out and had a big <laughs> pull apart on me and him. They figured we was gonna kill each other. And Hank Huston said, I know your whole story. That was actually, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hank Hudson said that was he really actually me. one of the best matches on the card. And that was a, a, very, a very first match, but it looked shoot, real because yeah. it was real. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know, you know he was Brian a wrestler. Uh, I, I've read his bulletin. Who? The, shed, the Who? Shedlock, uh, Joe Shedlock. I've read he, his bulletin. Yeah, he yeah. Only, I never he, knew he was a worker. Yeah, he only huh. did it a couple times. He didn't do it much. He he did it two or three <laughs> times. He was called Mad Dog Mike. <laughs> and uh I remember, and, yeah, uh, I remember that name. Yeah. And Jugan managed him. Yep. But uh yep. he yeah, he did it. And you know, I try to tell everybody, Jerry, that that's how we knew about uh-huh. wrestling. Like Scott Teals, I used to read his slammogram when I was like oh, yeah, the dream of the day that yeah. I could go wrestle down there and have blood flowing like <laughs> wine, yeah. like a old fashioned Jubilee yeah. because I'd see them pictures <laughs> yeah. of Phil Hickerson and Dennis Condry and Jackie Fargo and them, and I said, "Man, I can't oh, wait yeah. to wrestle down there." And it was weird when I finally went down oh, there, yeah. you know. And I'm sure yeah, you felt yeah. the same way too, you know. And I, oh, I told yeah. these kids today when I went to this elementary school, Jerry, and I'm sure it was for you. It was a dream come true for me to be a get a chance oh, to be a wrestler yeah. and to travel around and to make a living at it. 
and it was a dream oh, because God, it was yeah. our passion. And, you know, God really yeah, blessed definitely. us that we could go out and do that and, and have the opportunity to wrestle some of some of the greats. I mean, some guys that were yeah. just super talented. It was unbelievable. You know, definitely. that's like what Tommy was, Gilbert. What was the first Tommy Gilbert? Yeah. What yeah, was the first thing you ever seen on TV? Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, it was uh, it was uh, wrestling. It was uh, the big time wrestling. That was uh, probably in '66. I was walking in front of it, and it was uh, Bob Finnegan uh-huh. was doing the commentary. Yeah. Well, actually, it yeah. was Ernie Roth uh, talking too. Oh yeah. And uh, they, yeah, that was they old. did yeah. a live show, I think, and and uh, I remember uh-huh. the Oklahoma Kid and Tokyo Joe and. Uh, all these guys, yeah. uh, you know, the Sheik, yeah. of course, Wild Bull Curry, and all of them. And I was just oh, mesmerized. Yeah. I, I tell people it was like yeah. when I walked yeah. in front of that TV and it caught my eye. It was like a symphony. Right and some of the be- most beautiful music that I ever heard. It was oh, him yeah. going, and now he's got him down, and he's stomping him. And you can hear the mat hitting and the yeah. little studio audience booing and cheering. Yeah. And it just sounded like the greatest yeah. music I'd ever heard. And I was hooked, yeah. you know, yeah. for a life. Yeah. You know, yeah, you didn't get good. the um, you didn't get you didn't get Pedro Martinez and Johnny Powers no, wrestling there in that part not. of Ohio. No, okay. no, no, yeah, no. I, guess, I wish I, I got did, the Sheiks and yeah, I got that one and yeah. the Sheiks did you, both. Did you uh, get, really good. You got both of them. Powers, yeah, Powers. Yeah. They ran the Akron Army at first, and then she right. took it over later. Yeah, but even Greg before Valentine that, the they had Pedro. Uh-huh. Yep. Al Haft ran it years before that. Oh, yeah. Years. He, Way he before, was the yeah. booking office. And then Walter yeah. J. Moore switched and went with the Buffalo office, who I think was yeah. the Sharp. Uh, not the, Maybe the is the Sharp brothers who I'm wanting to think or not the Sharp. It could have been. Would that have been right, Brian? Uh, the guys out of Buffalo, Walter the brothers. Moore. Jerry. They, Mike they were Sharp famous the, tag his, team. his dad. Well, the Sharp brothers were out of no, Canada, was, but they became famous no. out of San Francisco. What was the brothers out of Absolutely. Buffalo that you see on? I know. on I, one was Doc. Doc. Oh, I know Gallagher. Gallagher oh, the right? Gallagher. 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 Yeah, yeah, the Gallagher, Gallagher brothers. Yeah. yeah, Doc and Mike Gallagher. Yeah, yeah they they worked yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. for Walter Moore, the Buffalo office, and then they switched because they didn't like yeah. the talent that Al Haft was giving them. I was reading a thing, so they switched yeah. and went with the Buffalo thing, and you know, yeah. Um, I wish I wished in a lot of yeah. ways I could. I, I I do remember this though. At the end, Al Hampton them they had wrestling, and Carl Gotch was wrestling like in the shopping center and taking on all comers. And they would come on the huh. Sheik show during the commercial and say, "We'll be down here at the car lot and this and that, and uh, come down here and you know all kinds of things." And it was Lex Meyer, Mayer, a guy who did a lot of advertising and stuff, and had the wrestling on TV. They called it Lex's Live Wrestling, and it was on television. A lot of great Was Gotch you know. again? Was, was Carl Gotch opposition to the Sheik, or was he with the Sheik? Was... Well, he was. He would have. <laughs> it's strange, because I'm trying to put it all together. Al Haft. Stretching. And I didn't realize this till hmm. till just about four or five years ago. Al Haft had to quit running because he was in tax trouble. And apparently the tax people, he had been, he, he was a wrestling coach for Ohio State and everything years earlier. And I think they gave him an yeah. ultimatum. People told me either you quit running or, or you will, you're going to pay a price for not paying taxes for all these years. Cause he had the wrestling in Cincinnati. He had it in Columbus. 
He was one of the founding members of the National Wrestling Alliance, and you can see all this stuff online about him and the tax people. But I've also read letters yeah. that he wrote to Jack Pfeffer, and he sold off tons of land and stuff like that. So I don't know exactly what happened with Al Hamp, but he was one of the most powerful guys. As a matter of fact, that Hank Best I mentioned oh, yeah. to you, and I've said this every time. Yeah, He was in the dressing yeah. room the night that Bill Miller and Carl Gotts broke Buddy Rogers' arm in that dressing room in oh, Columbus, uh, Ohio. They yeah. were working that's, for Jim yeah, Barnett opposition. Yeah, they yeah, were working for Jim Barnett opposition, story. and they came into the dressing room and broke his arm, and Giant Bobble was on that card, as a matter of fact, and now half canceled the show. I think I think he canceled. I wasn't I wasn't familiar, but I know Buddy Rogers pressed charges on him and everything. You know. Did he say that goes. it really took? Did, did he say it really took more than just Gotch to do that? I thought my favorite Gotch probably just had it was Bill Miller watch well, Bill Miller, Miller, two of the baddest guys in the wrestling. It took two yeah, of them I know to hurt. Yeah, well, like they that, said you know, I, the way the way Hank Best said kind of weird. Was yeah. I think one of them did it, but Bill Miller stood in the doorway to make sure that yeah, one of them helped him. I believe that. That sounds more, yeah. That's, I think, the, is gotcha. the way that it went. <laughs> that Miller was there. Yeah, that's just, and then Carl Gotch went home and sat by the phone waiting for Luthez's congratulatory phone call. Yeah, because Gotch, Gotch just walked into the Tampa office. I told Brian and everybody, you know, in front of Matsuda and everybody, and they all disappeared. <laughs> When he was right, doing the right, opposition, right. <laughs> so I don't know. Right. Anyway, well, you know the, what uh, was so funny was Al Perez told me about his meeting of Carl Gotch when he was down at Malinko oh, Wrestling okay. School, and Al yeah, was oh, a, like a state wrestling champion. And he said yeah, that his old man yeah. had just had surgery on his ankles, and he said that man <laughs> yeah. started to get up in the ring, and he thought, "What's this old man going to teach did. me? Come on up here." Oh, he said God. that he when he stepped in God. the ring, he grabbed him by the pinky. And then all That's of a funny. sudden, Carl Gotch had him screaming and yelling and begging, please quit hurting me. <laughs> oh, man, that is funny. Al Perez, he taught me Carney. He's the one yep. who taught me Carney a long time ago. Really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And when Louis Tillette ran that Ohio thing, he was just starting to with the Mullingo yeah. and everything. And, I, and Louis didn't teach me anything at first. You know, I just threw you in the ring how they did back then, you know, like they didn't right, want to smart right, you up right. too much. <laughs> That's right. I was like, they didn't know if he was going to hang out, like, right? The hell? Yeah, I was like, what the hell? The hell's that? How long did that territory last? Well, you know, you know, not, and not Brian Lasko told us too. Well, Buddy uh -huh. Fuller was the one that always went out and started the territories. He was famous for that. <laughs> yeah. He went and started Louisiana in yeah. different territories. He had a gift of it, you know. Yeah. It's yeah, amazing did, that yeah, it didn't still... take off. Yeah, I know. I don't know what they. Well, they well, weren't advertising it because it was just. It was towards the end of him as a promoter yeah. as well. It was one of the last things. Yeah. Yeah. Year. He was he was pretty old. Yeah, and they weren't advertising too good. Some of the towns were good. Like I think it was Dayton. I think it was that was yeah. the two arenas in Day Dayton. Harrow Springfield, Arena, Dayton, or Troy Hobart. Yeah. Was Hobart? But I mean the two in. In Dayton, there's a Harrow, and there's another one. What's the other one in Dayton? The big arenas well, back then. In Dayton. There was a, I think there was it was Harrow. Fairgrounds. Harrow's. Well, they ran Harrow the Dayton. was the arena, yeah. Yeah, they ran you that know, one. It they was, had a good house there, I remember. Yeah. That one was good. You know, it was. That's where Dick yeah, Steinborn was, was there. That one. Yeah, Dick Steinborn, yeah. It's he amazing was how the had, Dick Steinborn? Yeah. Yeah, he was on their show, yeah. and he was Mr. Wrestling. And then uh, he did a hard way on some. Oh, really? Yeah, I can't remember his name. 
I told Brian them that before. Yeah, he did a hard way on the guy. I was yeah. like, hope they don't do that on me. What the hell is this hard way crap? I'd rather use a razor. <laughs> hard way, man. They busted him with his eyebrow. You know, I was like, man. Yeah. I was just starting out. <laughs> but the, uh, yeah, what was the they had to punch then? him and were to punch him, right? Yeah, what was the minimum with the, uh, yeah, they did, they knew how to do it good back then. Yeah, the hard way. The minimum back when uh-huh. the Sheik was like, what, 25 bucks? Uh, Lanny Poffo used to tell me when I'd ride with him in Louisiana. Well, I'll tell you what. Back, I'll tell you what. That was like 25, I, right? I, I can't even, I can't remember now <laughs> what it was. It probably yeah. wasn't a whole lot, but I think it might have been 25, you know, yeah. uh, back then. But that was a little bit more than what $25 is today. You know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Of course, but Lanny, but, remember when Lanny and but I remember but, when Angelo and Lanny was there. Yep. They were the pop, the world tag team champions. Yes, yeah, they, they were. were the champions. I remember. And yeah, and yep. Lanny told me that he, uh, they were on top and he said he'd get like for Akron and 25 bucks main event. And he said, but I saved wow. money still. Wow. You know? <laughs> wow. He yeah. Said, I still yeah, save they money. Could. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. They could. He told me how. He, he told me how to save money. I rode with him a lot. Yeah, that's Mid-Dolf, good. Back in- that's good. <laughs> it was funny. It's not what yeah, you make, it's what you save, right? That's what the promoters are oh, telling yeah. you. It's yeah. not what you make, boys, what you save. Yeah. And that's the key. While they're eating. saving. Lobster. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that's the truth. Yeah. So, uh, no, but anyway, the uh, let me jump in. I want to go to Mid South for a little go bit because I'm fascinated yeah, by 84 Mid South and I'm fascinated by 85 Mid South. So 85, yeah. Were you were you still there in Mid South, Jerry, in '84 when the Fantastics came in? Um, I can't remember that part. I don't think so. I, I was there in '85. I know when um, Bill Dundee was just leaving mm-hmm. and Slater took over. Slater came in mm-hmm. with Sawyer and Buzz Sawyer right. and all the. Were you yep. were you I in the dress room? Were you in the dress room, Bobby, when uh, uh, Buzz Sawyer was first in there and Watts was having the meeting there in Shreveport and saying that uh, Buzz Sawyer's here and he says he's going to be straight now and then Buzz was just laughing like a maniac, right? In, I mean, pretty much really? right in Bill's face. He, he, right. I think you well, were you in know, there, I don't know. The hills were kind of like you, on the you, other you, side. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you knew this or yeah. not, but we had to wrestle. We wrestled him and Dick Slater. Constantly, me and I Tommy did because we were finishing up. I watched it, and yeah, I uh, watched it every night. Did you? Good, good as hell. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah they good. were great. Buzz Sawyer was unbelievable, man. I mean, oh, Dick Slater too. Was Buzz it? Sawyer was just oh yeah, unbelievable. I, but but was he stiff? Because uh, I never worked. I, <laughs> Buzz Sawyer <laughs> was he stiff? Because I, I worked later, him. but I don't. I, didn't, I never felt because uh, he was I never good. Felt him. And he was really he, he was, was really good then because I always wondered. I never worked. Yeah, I never worked him. I worked Slater, but not not Sawyer. Yeah, he he would take yeah. a bump where you'd be standing in the center of the ring and you'd punch him, and it looked like somebody took a rope and tied on him and pulled him through the second rope. I don't know if you yeah. remember it or not. Yeah, seen he him would do, land yeah, on I've his back out yeah. on the floor. Brothers on Yeah, he was good. I don't know. He was, I seen him. Yeah. Yeah. I bet you Tommy he, had some good was, stories about him, huh? Was he really? Yeah. Well, Tommy, I, I was telling some somebody stories? that Tommy. Yeah, well, this woman, this lady, this lady that don't live too far from me, she thought Tommy was mm-hmm. a Woolian. Tommy wasn't a Woolian. Tommy, no, t- Tommy no. went to school with him. He was, uh, yeah. and, and somebody said, well, how was his connection? I said, it was about like Magnum TAs. He paid for uh, one of Buzz's kids to be born, and that's how he got broke into the business. And everybody, because he was around Buzz, everybody figured he was Buzz's brother like Brett, but they weren't really brothers. Oh. You know, they were friends in school. Oh, okay. I was he friends with Brett or not? Tommy, he was I thought friends Tommy with was Brett friends and with Buzz. Brett. 
Oh, he was okay. friends okay. with both of them. He said that Buzz was the stud of the school, the phenomenal athlete. Yeah. He was unbelievable. The yeah. women went crazy over him. Yeah. And everything, you know. Yeah. Buzz was just uh, yeah, a gift, you know, athletically. Yeah. And, uh, of course, you know, the rest of the story. But uh, he was just yeah. phenomenal in the ring to wrestle. He was a true yep. professional. And, I mean, uh, I never I I never, I never had any problems with him. Uh, yeah. He, he got in there. He looked like he looked like he was killing you, but he wasn't. And another one's like that Dick Murdoch. I had to oh, look yeah. around he was and good, yeah. try to figure yeah. out if he was really hitting me. You know? Yeah, I mean, he was that's, great. They're that definitely. good, you know. Oh, I know. Murdoch That's a true was really pro. Good, definitely. Yeah. He was one yeah. of the best. Murdoch and Sawyer was too, though. Both of those. Them yeah, both. People don't realize. Yeah. They don't realize how, how good they were. No. I worked uh, no. Murdoch no. in Japan once. I didn't realize how good he was until I worked him. Jeez. Oh, man. But, he was amazing, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, he was good. Oh, and, yeah. And over there, know, especially because he, always... he tried, you know. Jeez. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, he was really yeah. good. Okay. Well, that's why and they what said. About that, uh, that's why they Oh, I was going to say, that's why they couldn't make him the world champion, because they didn't know if they yeah. had Dick Murdoch going to wrestle that night or Curly Joe or the Three Stooges <laughs> wrestle the next night. Yeah, joking about <laughs> everything, yeah. What, what, you know, he was wasn't consistent. The, yeah. When was that when ZZ Top or uh, Dusty Hill came to the the thing? The meeting well, that was when I, we went I, into, that's when we did those videos. There. Yeah, well, that's when we did was those that? videos. In, in, was in that 85? And I, I can't remember. It was, uh, it was when we first went oh, in there. God. So whenever we went in there and we showed the videos, but we thought we were going to be in yeah. trouble. So they said that yeah, he was coming tonight to the Coliseum, and <laughs> he welcomed us. <laughs> and so he, just, he loved it and thought it was great. Yeah. He, he loved it, as a matter of fact. And what a nice guy. And, uh, I know. I, and everything. I was so mad Houston I was, was a heel. great wrestling town. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Oh, I hear God, you. I hear you. But, I was so mad as a heel. Oh, God, it was. You remember when Johnny Valentine used to come in there? He used to come, and yes. then he asked me how the house was, I remember. I was like, oh, my God, the legend Johnny Valentine asking me how the house is. Yeah. Jesus. I remember I couldn't did believe you, he was Did you ever hear this day. story? That on the way to What's the that? towns after he was crippled, he'd have his yeah. wife beat him up on the way to the matches. What? Really? I never. Yeah, I believe that was where he is. Punchman. So he'd look he told like, us. He told us in the dressing room. He said, um, "He said, you know, he talked kind of slow, like Greg Valentine." He said, yeah, yeah. you know, I never punched anybody really hard." He said, "They just had these <laughs> milky white bodies, and when I punched them, the blood would start coming out their sweat pores." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah right. Oh my God. Yeah. He was a tough guy. Yeah. He. uh yeah, Greg looks and acts so much like him. Jeez, except for the rib part. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know. And yeah, that's right. I told somebody, I don't know, Brian, did I tell you about Luis Martinez and Johnny Valentine in the stage in the shower? Did I tell you that before, Brian? No, you told me Luis Martinez and the Sheik. I think that was yeah, about him drinking Weedman, right? Maybe. But so. what happened was, <laughs> what, what 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 happened was. Well, the one thing about the Sheik and Luis Martinez, Louis had been dr drinking and crawled up under the ring and crapped himself and all over the Sheik, and the Sheik was going nuts and everything. But Louis, Louis just kept out, was drunk, about to fall asleep, but had crapped himself and had the runs. But now Luis Martinez, they had a stage up in one of these arenas, you know, 
back then, and they had a stage, and they had to shower. And Luis Martinez could barely see. So all of a sudden, he's up there showering, and he hears the crowd really loud and roaring, really good and roaring loud, and louder and louder. And finally, he turns around, he looks, and he can't really see, so he bends down and gets his glasses and puts them on and looks. And everybody in the audience is looking at him in the shower because Sally <laughs> Valentine pulled the, sh- the curtains to the stage back. Yeah, you know who told me that story? Bugs and McGraw. Because he, he, the Sheik started yeah. him. Remember Bugs and McGraw? Yeah, he said it was the Akron Armory. He told me that story where they pulled the, 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 the big curtains. That's what he said. And then, uh, yeah, because I heard that story. That was, that's crazy. That was funny as hell. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, man, oh, could you imagine? 2,000 people. 3,000 people. How do you work there? Yeah. How do you work there? Again? I don't, oh, know. My God. I don't I know. know. I seen hopefully, him there. I hopefully seen you him have enough. From the 70s. Hopefully the water wasn't cold. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what about that bear? You wrestled the bear too, right, Bobby? Some few times. I wrestled the, the bear the wrestling before. bear. Yes, a couple of times. <laughs> Yeah. Yep. The uh, I, remember, I, uh, remember Big Bad Big <laughs> Big Bad John? Remember him? The big guy, Big the, Bad the manager, John. The wrestler, the manager. Yeah. 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 Bugsy had Bugsy yeah. has some good stories. He told me one time at the Akron Army, Big Bad John uh, grabbed that bear and like picked it up and threw it or something kind of, and the bear went crazy and started running all over, and chairs were flying everywhere, and all the people were running out of the armory and everything. <laughs> and Bugsy doesn't, Bugsy doesn't lie either. So I was like, "Oh my God!" A yeah, yeah. Grabbing a bear, well, you know, picking a bear up. Jesus. Yeah, picking them up yeah. and swinging. <laughs> yeah, well, they said a big they bear said, too. They said in Cleveland, Wahoo slapped yeah. that bear or something, and that bear slapped <laughs> Wahoo in about the fifth row of chairs. <laughs> <laughs> I believe. Yeah, I believe that. Jeez, you know, man. But uh, but uh, I see Bugsy was the big O. And yeah, he, he was, yeah. It was just like yeah. it was yesterday there in Detroit. And he came out yeah. and wrestled, and he handed handed the commentator a note. And the commentator said, I don't know if he wears the mask. He was a baby face, I think. And yeah. he said, I don't know if it's because he's been burned as a child or what, but he wears this mask. Huh. And I remember he wore orange. I thought it was orange. I had black and white TV. But the reason why I said that was because the big old orange juice, you know what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. The big yeah, old orange remember juice. The, I, I know he gave me the mask, but, you know, I trained guys. And let You're them kidding use it. me. I ended up keep, yeah, like 20 years oh, ago, man. I trained guys, and somebody used it, and they ended up keeping it. I never could find the thing again. Yeah, he wow. gave me his, that wow. mask from the big O, yeah. Wow. It was like a black, it was real old. Yeah, so I don't know what the now, outfit looked like. Brian and Jerry. The first time I ever met Bugsy really live, I was in Columbia uh-huh. at the Township Auditorium, and I was walking on the stage, and it was dark back there. And all of a yeah, sudden, somebody like in a really green outfit came walking up to me, and this is all he said, guys. Do you know that this is the middle word in life? <laughs> yeah, but he's And walked on that. and left me there. Yeah. And I said, if is the middle word in life, and that was my first meeting of Bugsy McGraw. I... He was wrestling as the Green right. Machine, I think, for WCW. He gave, he gave me that outfit, <laughs> believe it or not. He gave me all of his old stuff. I, I Wait, might have whoa, that. You have, the, that you, have green the, thing. you have the Green Machine outfit? Yeah. Come on. Yeah, somewhere in all my <laughs> stuff lands. Oh, yeah. He, he gave me all of his stuff once. He, every, even I even had that wow. big thing he wore as Bugsy McGraw, the big white doctor's coat and all the scarves. and Really? Get out of here. Yeah. Really? 
Wow. Yeah, yeah, we were, we're a really good friend. He's a really good friend of mine, but he uh, he gave me he's all the stuff. He's a great guy, time. man. Oh, I love Did him. he ever yeah, tell yeah. you about he's, me he's really and nice. him and Mighty Wilbur? Me and him and Mighty Wilbur was in Chicago. I need to hear this. And I'll ask him. Tell me. We were, we were looking for Al Capone's. Uh, looking for where the the famous uh, massacre, St. Valentine's Day massacre, and I can't remember oh. if it was Bugsy or Wilbur driving, but Bugsy, we got turned down the side street. Nobody in Chicago knew where the St. Valentine's Day massacre took place. We wanted to see it, <laughs> but we got down in the hood, and you know how all the boys back oh. then carried them black bags. <laughs> yeah. Oh Jesus! We started screaming. We thought we were going to be killed, man. We, me and him, and Mighty <laughs> Wilbur, and I can't remember. One of us grabbed that black bag off the the uh, dash of the car so no one could see it. You know, and they were dealing drugs and everything. Every which way. they were trying to sell you everything. Good thing Jake wasn't with you. Yeah, man, and we were just trying to get out of our lives. <laughs> that was so. Funny. Yeah, really. <laughs> Mighty Wilbur, he was a funny guy too. Yeah, was real nice. Yeah, like uh, yeah, I don't really guy. Either, I can't remember he was a super nice guy. I'm a big fan of the Mighty Wilbur because it's one of the most ridiculous things in, in wrestling in that he's brought into the NWA yeah. in 1988 and he's aligned with Paul Jones' yep. army, this heel stable. Oh, yeah. God. But he's completely a baby oh, I forgot. face. And remember, what drives Paul Jones crazy I forgot is about that. that the Mighty Wilbur calls him Puddinghead. And every time he says Puddinghead, oh, God, I forgot about that. it drives Paul Jones oh, insane. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, that was... That was yeah, pretty rough. So <laughs> the, oh my god, he was Incubus before that with Sullivan. Did you know that? With that weird, stupid looking mask on. I never knew on, that. The, the no, Mighty Wilbur. Yeah, he was Incubus I didn't know down he here. With uh, yeah, Sullivan had him like rip a mask in half and then put half clown makeup on and half. It didn't look too good. The the mask they had wow. <laughs> or whatever it was. But, I didn't know that was like Mighty Wilbur. Evil gimmick or whatever with the Sullivan's clan. Like, yeah, it didn't last too long. I thought he was just a yeah, good old was, country boy. Yeah, they made Dusty. Dusty seen him when Crockett took over Florida and made him the Mighty Wilbur Dusty's idea. <laughs> that was Dusty's idea. <laughs> That's funny. He didn't stay there. He didn't stay there very long. No. Yeah, but did you meet, did you meet all of ZZ? No. Did you Who? meet all of ZZ Topper? Did you meet all of the ZZ Top or just, just Dusty no, just Hill? Dust, or? Just Dusty Hill. Dusty Hill would pick oh, okay. us up from the airport or take That's us cool, to the but... airport. I didn't get a chance to meet the other guys, Billy but he took us to their workout studio <clears> they had. They trained before they went on a uh, on a really? tour. And as a matter of fact, he told us that they always went to Memphis to do their recordings because they were big fans of Elvis. And as a matter of fact, oh. whenever... Whenever Dusty Hill's out on the road, he stays at a hotel. He goes as one of he, – he's checked in under one of Elvis's names that he used in a movie. And that's how you <laughs> no, can really. find out where D- Dusty Hill's at. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, huh? yeah, you just gave up his spot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But you have to guess the name. Okay. For, no. no. The anyway, now, the, now uh, here's what, the deal. The... I'm going to even give it to you more. The name oh. – the. The name that he used was a guy that worked out of Georgia. The guy that worked out of Georgia, and he used that name uh-huh. on television on TBS. A wrestler. He did Shit. jobs. An Elvis so, name in a movie re- that was also the name of a job guy on TBS. Yeah. River. Oh, God. You gave it away now. You got it. <laughs> oh, God. I did, didn't I? Because he was my partner once. He was on news. He was my friend. Oh. 
change it, Dusty. All right, Dusty. Better call Sorry, him and tell him to change, change his gimmick. Sorry, Dusty. <laughs> Sorry, Dusty. That's funny. He's got to change oh his name God. now. Where did you team up with Dusty? I didn't even think. Oh, uh, I, one of the first times I went up there, I, got, I think it was at Six Man against Michael Hayes and Otis Sistrunk, the greatest worker ever. Oh, oh wow! Remember Otis Sistrunk? <laughs> oh god! Yeah, you heard about you I heard almost, about uh, oh. Buddy Roberts told me about Otis Sistrunk and him, right? No, no. <laughs> the Freebirds used to be in the shower and they would pee on each other. Yeah, I remember that. They would pee. That's they would pee thing. all over each other. Well. Well, Otis Sistrunk yeah. was in the shower one time. Buddy Rogers, I mean, Buddy Roberts, not Buddy Rogers. <laughs> Buddy Ro- Ro- oh, Rogers, God, please forgive me for con- 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 <laughs> yeah. confusing you. But Buddy, oh, Buddy, don't. Buddy Roberts <laughs> told me he peed all over Otis Sistrunk, and he was about oh, ready to no. kill But he said, yeah, when we were in Louisiana, say. he said, but the funny thing ever was, Buddy Roberts told me he said he must have liked it because he just got arrested for peeing all over some woman somewhere and he's in jail now because of it. Oh, you serious? Oh my God! Yeah. Oh man, that's crazy. I never heard that one. Yeah, that's part of wrestling history. Learned they know the Freebirds learned. ruining Otis Sistra. Yeah, they're the ones. That, they're the ones that ruined them. Jeez. They told me they took Buddy Roberts was to pass out on the beach down there in Corpus Christi. Oh, and they God. found a dead fish yeah. with maggots laying all, all yeah. hanging out all over it. It was rotten. And they laid that fish that on Buddy Roberts' <laughs> face. <laughs> oh, my God. He liked it. <laughs> he probably liked it. <laughs> oh. What about the pot? The One time I was going to kill him. <laughs> oh, they done, yeah, he kept it in there, didn't he? Yeah. Didn't he keep it in there? Put his clothes on. Didn't even sell it. Yeah. He just put his yeah, yeah, yeah. outfit on and stuck like a possum. Yeah. What, what, did you, oh, what were you going to say, Bobby, though? You said one time you were going to kill him? I was going to say, years him. ago, years ago, I was going to kill him. We were at a Denny's late at night, and he was drunk out of his mind. I was sitting there eating. He said, I've got a Canadian bronchial problem, and started hacking and coughing oh, and spit on me. God. Man, oh, I, I wanted to kill him. He spit on my shirt. I went Ugh. there to that building the next day, uh, and I said, buddy, I'm sorry, man. I didn't know what I was doing. I was drunk and messed up, I, you know, and everything. It was just buddy's life. Crazy buddy yeah. Roberts. What I can't believe how strong he was. Yeah. Do you ever hear and how hey, strong he was when he was Jerry young? Brown were the Hollywood Blondes. But when he was young, then, did you ever he hear how strong Dale he Valentine? was? Yeah, yeah, yeah he when was he strong. Was with- when he was real young, yeah, with uh, Ivan Koloff told how yeah. what he used to bench like, I forget what it was like yeah. over like four fifty five hundred or something. Yeah, but um, yeah. yeah, there's one there's one story I don't know if did I ever tell about the story with him and the at the the adult bookstore Brian uh, I, I Buddy I, Roberts went it's in not there ringing any bells. <laughs> so let's hear with uh, with uh, <laughs> with uh, with uh, what's his name Percy Pringle and when they were in Florida Percy oh, Pringle no. Buddy Roberts. Yeah. Buddy Roberts and some of them, I don't know if Missing Link was with them, but uh, some of those, the, right. the gang, you know, that he was managing, they went in an mm-hmm. adult bookstore just to kill time and they were looking at stuff and Roberts went in one of them, uh, the little things they had back then, you know, you go in there and put a quarter in and mm. there's holes, you know, in the walls, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, glory oh, holes. Oh, no. So yeah. then Roberts, they don't, they don't, and somebody put through there, you know, and they don't know Buddy Roberts is over me. on this other side of this thing. Yeah. So he no. grabs. And, and just pulling and yelling, the guy's screaming, and then 
Uh, what's his name? Percy Pringles. Want, Percy Pringles. Want to tell us the story? He told the story. Oh. And it's so funny the way per, Percy told it. He said the guy oh, screaming yeah. and Buddy Roberts is going. <laughs> I can't say all the words, but they, they had to come break it up and everything. He was ready. Oh my goodness! Thing off. He's <laughs> stick that thing through the floor. <laughs> I can't say all the words or it'd even be funnier. But oh, I hear you. I can, can you imagine? imagine? Can you imagine yeah. Buddy Roberts? I, I, That's the wrong hole to put it yeah. through. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh man, <laughs> he was Fun. a character, buddy. Buddy, God. he was. You know, <laughs> she's and, yeah. scary. And just, Terry uh, Cordy was yeah. nice guy. Yep, Terry was I really good. First, first time I met Terry Gordy, he was he's or was in the Dothan, Alabama TV taping. He goes, uh, there was like a coffee pot there. Was you ever there at that? Um, mm-hmm. I forget the channel. No. Dothan, Alabama TV, whatever it was. Yeah, no, I it was like 1980, there, no. 81 or 81, I think it was. But I was sitting there, young kid, you know, nervous. Here's the free bird, big stars, you know. Right. And he walk, he walks in. And he goes, "That's what I like to have: a lot of good coffee, a lot of good alcohol, and a lot of good pot." <laughs> I was like, "Okay, he's cool. He's not a." He's not a big. Head. I thought he was gonna be some big, big cocky guy walk in there. He was funny. Mm-hmm. Like eight o'clock in the morning. I can't say talk like him, but you know his his nice voice, guy. his voice though, it's funny, funny. You know that voice he had. Yeah, you sounded pretty good. You sounded pretty good like him. Uh, I can't talk. Some people can he talk just like him. who is it? Michael Hayes. Michael Hayes can talk just like him. <laughs> oh, I bet he could. And he burned down. He burned down Terry uh, Jimmy Garvin's house in Tampa. Almost you hear about that one? Huh? They were uh-huh. all staying in Jim- Jimmy. Well, they almost did. They were all standing. Jimmy Garvin had a house. He's letting the uh, same thing again. Percy Pringle, uh, Terry Gordy, Buddy Roberts, Michael Hayes, all of them were standing in his house while they were down here uh-huh. in Tampa, like in 80, 85 or whatever. <laughs> and then uh, the smoke starts coming. Uh, Percy's up in the room with Michael Hayes sleeping or whatever. And the smoke starts coming up in the room. They can feel like smokes everywhere. And Percy's running all over. And Michael's just mm-hmm. like, yeah, whatever. I don't care. Michael goes back to sleep, you know, he don't care. The whole house is filled with smoke everywhere. And Percy runs downstairs and like freaking out everywhere. What's going on? The house, the smoke everywhere. And uh, Buddy Roberts is sitting on the bed with his wife saying, uh, yeah, the house is on fire. How calm, you know. And no. he's in the front of the, front of the house, squirting the couch, saying, Percy, the house is on fire. And he's squirting the couch <laughs> off with the hose. And they almost burned down Jimmy Jimmy Garvin's house. Smoke everywhere. And they're all so calm. They're all so calm about it, except for uh, Percy screaming mm-hmm. and running everywhere. <laughs> That's the funniest thing you I know, ever. Who would ever? It is. <laughs> Go ahead. You you you, you heard about Buddy Landell suing Terry Gordy. Because him and his no. wife couldn't have sex anymore, right? <laughs> what? <laughs> what? You didn't hear about this? No. Guy? No. <laughs> Terry Gordy, she's gonna kill that man. I'm gonna kill that Landell. What happened was there was a car wreck or something. Yeah. And Buddy uh-huh. Landell said, "Me and my wife, since I've had this car wreck, we're not able to have sex anymore." And he was up on the stand testifying, and Terry Gordy was just steaming mad, man. Are you kidding? <laughs> he, he, what? Said, oh, no, this is the truth. This is the truth. Really? Buddy Landell said, well, Buddy Landell said, yeah, Judge, uh, me and my wife, we're not able to have sex since I've had this car wreck with Terry Gordy, and I want some compensation for it. <laughs> he said, I'm going to give you some compensation, man. I'm going to beat you half to death to get you out of here, right? <laughs> oh, my God. 
Did he? God, then, I, I can't believe that happened. You talk about Jimmy. Yeah, that happened. That happened. But then you talk about really? Jimmy Garvin and Terry Gordy burning down the house. Years yeah. later, right at, almost at the end of Terry Gordy's life, uh-huh. it was me and my brother Jackie re- in Mount Airy uh-huh. wrestling Michael Hayes and Terry Gordy. So we get in the mm-hmm. ring and we're wrestling. And Jimmy Garvin, he t- drives his motorcycle up from Charlotte to M- Mount Airy to see Jimmy and, and Terry. So uh, Michael and Terry, I said, well, Jimmy, do you want to do anything? Nah, I don't want to do nothing out there. So finally came up to me. He said, let me do this, Bobby. You roll up Terry Gordy. Let me give you the DDT. And that's how Terry Gordy beats you. I said, really, Jimmy, you want to do that? He said, yeah. So when Jimmy walked away, I told Terry and Michael, I said, now listen. When I roll you up and Jimmy gives me that DDT, I'm going to pull an imaginary needle out of my wrestling trunks. I'm going to shoot myself with it like it's steroids and blow up and flex. And then I want Terry to give me the uh, the Asiatic spike. And then that's how you beat me. So all of a sudden, oh, <laughs> Michael said, man, if you do that, that's going to be crazy. So all of a sudden, we do the thing and roll up Terry Gordy. And here comes Jimmy Garvin in. He gives me the DDT. He rolls out with his hands raised up looking at the crowd. And he turns and looks at me, <laughs> his eyes as big as saucers, looking at me as I pull that imaginary needle out. I act like I shoot it in the air. And then I stab it in me. And then I blow up and flex. And then Terry Gordy gets up. Jimmy Garvin's so mad that he goes to the back, gets on his motorcycle, and goes home. He ain't even back there after the match is over. He went and let him. <laughs> Oh my God, that's crazy! I said he Jesus. he got so mad because I'd done that, but I was only playing with him, you know. <laughs> yeah, was that was that your show or? A fair, no, 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 that was another show guy's or? show that we had. But you oh, know what, okay. guys? I'm gonna tell you, it was sad because huh? here's the deal: I knew Terry Gordy when he could go, but like I oh, said, yeah. this was close to the end when we we had to tell him, yeah. "Walk up, grab my head, punch me once, yeah. punch me again." He had just lost everything, his God-given ability. He had lost it because he was such a natural. Yeah. You know what I mean. Oh, and yeah. then it wasn't too far, too long after that that he passed. But, I mean, that was so funny. Jimmy Garvin thought, man, I'm going to give the DDT. They're going to yeah. get the win. Ball, he turned around. He was mad. Oh, the I think I apologized to him since then when I seen him. But <laughs> you know how it goes. Yeah, what's that great, great American story, match, remember? You know. Oh yeah, that you Great American me? Bash tape. That was your tape, right? That Great American Bash um oh, backstage I footage. I taped a lot of that. Me and me and Jimmy Garvin taped a lot. Yeah, of that. yeah, yeah. We did. And I can't we believe did. people and, think know, that that's that 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 hawks uh, that baby powder is cocaine. It's like, oh my God, it's baby powder. Yeah. You see, it's like I told I told people, people think it's well, cocaine. you know, this was yeah. I, I've told people <laughs> that a hundred times. I said there wasn't no cocaine. Uh, they weren't snorting nothing. Nah. And you know what's funny, Brian Bluger. and Jerry. Oh. It was it was mm-hmm. at the very beginning of VHS cameras, yeah, and so we took playing, that yeah. we took that on that trip of those bashes, and we yeah. we went around and I started videotaping stuff and guys was hamming it up, and they were tired. Yeah. What about where Dusty? What about where Dusty was he on seemed, there? Sedin, all nothing but a bunch of babies. He seemed you, so shy. You guys remember so that weird, on that Dusty. tape? Yeah, Dusty seems so yeah, shy, but, you know, compared to everybody else. Doesn't wasn't that weird? Yeah, like but Dusty, he, remember, of all remember people. He, yeah, but but remember when babies, he said, yeah. "I got nothing but a bunch of babies on this tour." Yeah. I mean, can you imagine? Yeah, 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 yeah. He said, and everything. But yeah, got people think that was. 
guys was on drugs. And Road Warrior Hawk was one of the <laughs> biggest hams, if you remember, during that whole thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, he loved it. He was so much oh, different yeah. than that killer road warrior that we were used to seeing, you know, on that video <laughs> yeah, yeah. and everything. Yeah, it was funny. Were you? Yeah, was, were they, you in uh, Memphis? We were you in Memphis when the road warriors worked that first time there in the mid south? Yes, Coliseum against. Yes. Were you? Yeah. Do, do you remember when he wore those? When he had to wear those gold boots? You remember that Hawk had to wear gold boots once? I don't know if you even remember that. He forgot his boots. I don't know so he if had I remember my gold. <laughs> Did he? That's pretty cool, man. Yeah, That's no, pretty cool. Nobody had big enough, big enough feet, and uh, he had to wear right, my my right. uh, gold gold That's shoes. Cool. That's he, he, cool. He always laughed. He always remembered that too. He always said, and "I always told my wife." She said, "Where's that picture?" Yeah, gold. He always never wore gold before. He's like, "Yeah, well, the guy let me use his boots." <laughs> He's like, "Yeah, the guy yeah, let me use yeah, his boots." Yeah. Uh, yeah. Nobody else had size thir- thirteen or whatever. He might. He always yeah. remembered that. That was funny. <laughs> yeah, that is great, looked, man. I, I I didn't know, it, realize it, that, but yeah, I remember when they came in, looked, and I remember the Road Warriors at the beginning. They were unbelievable, brother. They were over. Oh yeah, big time. Oh yeah, thing. worldwide. Yeah. There was one guy who wouldn't do a job yeah. for them. Everyone else. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know who that yeah, was, that's, Jerry? That's right. Yeah, I know. I, I mean, heard all your interviews, I man. I know your everything you ever did. Yeah. I, I know everything yeah, I you heard, ever did, I, man. I I've seen all your shoot interviews. I, yeah, I've seen all your interviews. Only Anderson. That was the only time he couldn't a, cuss. He was he was just yeah. ba- he was dumb dumbfounded. Only Anderson yeah. he was speechless. He couldn't even cuss yeah. that day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know you. I did, know, Bobby. I, I see it, Bobby. I know you had a run in, or I shouldn't say run in, but you guys didn't exactly uh, see see the best side of George Scott when you were in uh, WCW in 1989. Jerry, did you ever run into George Scott? Yeah, he was the booker when I first started in Atlanta, right before Ole and Gene, well, Ole took over there in 80, what was 81? Yeah, he was the booker, but he, uh, I don't know, he was a little goofy. <laughs> I don't know if he was older or what, but he dressed right. a little funny like him. <laughs> I wasn't too yeah. impressed on I was No, I was pretty green, but I mean, to me, it just seemed kind of stuff he would say was kind of goofy like stuff. That's all. I wasn't around him a lot. Well, but like I said, he didn't right. say much. What, Go ahead. Say, Bobby? what was weird after after we left there, you know, and that was our end of the WCW for Tommy Rogers and Bobby Bolton Fantastic. I was at a I was at one of Greg Price's first fan fest, and they've got Jim Cornette, then 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 Sandy, then George Scott, then me, and I'm sitting there, and I used to tell Jimmy when when George first came in. They don't want us doing anything. They don't want us doing nothing now. And he would be going nuts. And, and then Byron, Byron, George's son, would say, Dad, these guys, man, are still in the shows. Why? I don't understand what you – you don't want to do nothing with them. Well, finally, I was sitting there, and George Scott looked at me, and I kid you not, guys. He said, Bobby, if I had a territory open right now, you would be working for me. And I looked over there at Jim Cornette. <laughs> you you more or less fired us run us off you know years before and now you're offering that that's pretty funny you know but uh yeah really but now now he caused jim Cornette to gain a lot of weight because i'd tell jimmy Cornette, jimmy can you believe george said we're not allowed to do this or do that he said man i gotta get to wendy's i gotta get a triple tonight i'm gonna eat two of them (laughs) <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> That's funny. 
Yeah, yeah. The, uh, yeah. Mid-South. Mid-South, though, man. Them trips in Mid-South, though. They were fun, though, huh? <laughs> yeah. Remember the trips? They were uh, different. I used to ride with. I used to ride with Carl Fergie all the time, and people don't realize how what a great guy. like him and Ronnie West. Yeah, he was so. And plus, uh, the mind he and uh, Ronnie West too. What a mind he had. People don't realize how oh, yeah. smart Ron West was. God, I mean, I would oh, sit yeah. there and ride with him, hear all his ideas he had, and everything. I mean, he was like, well, he should have been a booker well, somewhere for sure, Ron West. Well, he and was he was too, he was kind finishes. of he helped in offices. He yeah, you he know did, what's he funny, was, Jerry? Geez. That was our classroom. Those car rides were yeah. a classroom oh, I know. for professional wrestling. I know. God. And that's what they don't I have know, anymore, man. you know. I know. It was yeah, I know. to sit like... in the car and listen to guys like that, man, and just you learn and learn. Well, as a matter of fact, I took a car ride. Yeah. And here's what happened uh-huh. with Carlos Colon over in Puerto Rico. And it was me and my brother. Yeah. And the territory was yeah. really down. I said, you know what, Carlos? I said, the thing <clears> of it is, I said, you and Jose have been here for years. I said, why don't you work an angle mm-hmm. where you two wrestle each other, but you're not the heel and he's not the heel, and just have some good, rough matches. Well, that weekend, we were down there for three days. And finally, the last mm-hmm. day was Sunday would be payday. Me and my brother waited for a ride. We never got the ride. So then I called Carlos at his house. I'll send mm-hmm. you the money, amigo, in the mail. But when I told him the idea of the gimmick, he said, brother, listen, I'm going to do this. And if it draws good, I'm going to bring you in on some of the shows and give you a payoff. Well, I asked Ronnie Garvin, I said, what's going on in Puerto Rico? He said, well, they did this and did this, everything. I told Carlos Colon. And he said, man, it's drawing and they're doing pretty good. And I still have never got paid to this day for oh. even that weekend that we wrestled down there. So, I thought I was going to say something You know, good talking about classrooms and sharing ideals and yeah. stuff like that, you know. Oh, you, you, oh, he learned this time, though, yeah. The older guy learned that time. Yeah, you, yeah, huh? yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, you know, I used, I, you just, yeah, and I did. A, I used to do a real good trick. I'd bring my Walkman headphones, you know, and I'd ride with right. people like you know, no matter where it was, I'd ride with like Dundee and Dutch all the time, and right. all these guys, and listen to all because they really talk, you know, if they think you're not listening, they really tell all the stuff. Sure, and then sure, I sure. had my music, I'd have my music playing, you know, I'd have my music playing. They thought so. I'd hear all the good stuff then. Have it really off, yeah. you know, completely off, turned off. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Learn a lot. Well, Terry Taylor. Learn a lot that, that way. happened to Terry Taylor and <laughs> Dusty Rhodes. Oh. I was on an airplane. Oh, really? And yeah. and Dusty had the headphones on. And Terry Taylor's yeah. over there going, yeah, let me tell you something, baby. I'll tell you this. I'll oh, see big dust and this and that. They don't like that. Dusty finally <laughs> took his headgear, all, headphones off. He said, brother, you don't think uh-huh. I got the music on, do you? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Yeah, he don't like the. <laughs> yes, oh my god, so that's funny. Terry Taylor did from that. Oh yeah, yeah. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, when you got you guys were the. Uh, well, how long did that thing last? That time when um, you guys went to Georgia a couple months or about three, seven, six, seven, I mean, eight weeks, eight weeks. Oh, did it? About that. Oh. That was Jim oh. Cornett's. Yeah, if it was that. No, the one where you we guys wrestled for only and. The yeah. birthday cake and yeah. everything. George. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. And... That's why <laughs> yeah. I told him I wouldn't put the Road Warriors over. No. Oh, that's yeah. That's when I right. told that's him right. that. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> and then you went to Southwest, too, right? And yeah. that 84? I you loved were wrestling Southwest? for Joe Blanchard. 84. Yep. Yeah. 84. Did you, did you ever get to work for Joe Blanchard? 
No, I never worked for him. Luke was the booker there too, he right? Was a great at the guy. end, right? When you yes. Oh yeah, Luke's yes. really good guy. Really good. He's yes. got a good mind Bill too. Bill Blanchard was a really great guy. Really good. Uh, Jerry, yeah, I, I never told, met uh, Joe. I told, yeah, I told uh, Brian last. I know, but I tell you, when I walked in uh-huh. there to, I was training pretty hard. I came out of Memphis, and I walked in uh-huh. the, in the uh, in the office there in San Antonio, and Joe Blanchard had been working out, sweating like a dog. He came he came out of his gym that he had there in his office and he told looked at uh-huh. me and he told me he said listen when a promoter sees a wrestler either he, he sees little money no money or big money and that's all he said to me and i thought what did that mean but the first night that i wrestled there was that was my first night was that night he paid every night and he paid me a lot of money mm-hmm. for the opening match yeah i heard and i just thought I he Man, paid good. that yeah. was really nice and yeah. uh, he always took care of me, and he was a nice guy and a great, you know, yeah. it was like Paul Bosch. And you remember how nice Paul Bosch oh, was. Oh, yeah. Bosch, yeah. Oh, yeah. How long did you stay there in Texas, uh, Southwest? You stayed there for? I, I can't remember. Six months or a year or something like that. You know, we yeah. never yeah. stayed anywhere for a long, long time, except I was yeah. in Memphis. Yeah. It seemed like a long time. Yeah. Yeah. So the um, But I love that um, territory. Yeah, mid mid South was. Did you? Oh, you went to Memphis from mid South too, right? When Slater was the Booker, I went with you and then guys. Dundee got, we all went together. Yeah, that's remember? Right. I remember because Watts was having a meeting and said Dundee's told me he's not going to steal my talent. And then, and then next thing, uh, you guys went, uh, me, and then I forget a bunch of guys left. Pat Dutch, Rose. Uh, Pat Rose. Pat Rose. Yeah. Tom and, Pritchard, uh, I think. And, Everybody went, didn't we? Yeah, well, he, and Watts was like the funniest thing was when Watts said uh, that Buzz Sawyer right in front of Buzz Sawyer, he's standing right. I mean, sitting right there looking, and and Watts is like, Buzz is here. He says he's straight now, and Buzz is just sitting there laughing like a maniac. And then I'm like, like you gotta be kidding. <laughs> you gotta be. Yeah, kidding. yeah. He, he he didn't care. Yeah, he was always nice to me. Though. Yeah. People say you know stuff about him, but he never did. I was with him every night in the yeah. dressing room. Stuff. It was funny. I've learned. I've learned. It was funny. That you got to judge people by how they treat you. Yeah. And he always people treated, are cocky. Truly, He's not gonna. Yeah. 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 He. If somebody's cocky. I never to had him. a problem with Buzz Sawyer. <laughs> Buzz. Yeah, because if somebody's cocky to Buzz, he's gonna rip their head off. Of course, they're not gonna like him. Yeah, I never had a. I never. <laughs> I never had a problem with him though. He was always a professional to me. No. No, I remember. You no, know, I tell you what, Jerry. I told. I told. I told this before on some shows back when Buzz was yeah. in Atlanta. And mm-hmm. Tommy was there, and Buzz yeah. told, told, uh, only told Buzz to make the payoffs. But Buzz would be so messed yeah. up at night, he told Tommy Rogers to make the payoffs. So Tommy oh, really? would always pay himself about $50 less than the Road Warriors. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> Tommy Rogers was making the payoffs for that territory then, and nobody knew it. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, I remember that because that's when I was living with Jay. I was living with Jake and Charlotte yeah. and he he was hired he was right. hired to be the booker in Atlanta and him and Buzz were uh-huh. fighting over the booker position you know to be the booker oh, at that really? time like 80 what was it 80 yeah and oh, then all kinds of really. stuff was going on they hated each other all kinds of stuff was going on they were trying to get each other busted for drugs and everything yeah Jake told me really? I didn't hear about all that yeah yeah cuz Jake was the booker and then and then Buzz Foley like Buzz better and then Briscoe's like Jake right. so because Briscoe's on part right. of it, you know. So, yeah, there was right, a lot of stuff right. going on. I didn't on, know but... all that stuff right there. <laughs> yeah, but I do know Tommy Rogers was making the payoff. 
Yeah, I believe it. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, Nobody guys. noticed. Just pay it. We'll, we'll okay. Begin, we'll begin wrapping up now. Part but, two. Um, I, I want to uh, <laughs> try to find a topic we haven't hit on yet. We've talked about wrestling okay. in Ohio. We've talked about Mid-South. We've talked about Memphis. What about Japan? Jerry, you worked for New Japan. Of course, Bobby, you were an all-Japan guy. Did you guys ever mm-hmm. wish that you could have worked for the other? Bobby, did you ever wish you could have worked for New Japan? And the same question. I, I was happy with Jerry. Giant Baba. Yeah, I was I was always happy with uh, Giant Baba uh. as far as uh, the style and everything. I enjoyed uh, working for Baba. You know, uh, I, yeah, I was, I'm just thankful yeah, I, I got a chance too. to go. Yeah, I was too. I was there. Let's see. Did they show you guys our shows on your tour bus too? Like they'd show the All Japan on our tour bus and um, we'd watch your guys' shows. We would see all kinds of stuff. I don't know if stuff, you guys did I've the same the, thing. I've seen the New Japan yeah. stuff prior to that. I, yeah. Know, being a big wrestling fan, I'd watch it. Yeah. Yeah, that's what they would do, though. They'd show us, like, like their competition, mm-hmm. they'd show us on our bus. I don't know if you were there at the right, same right, time right. as I was. 86, 87, right. 88, those years. Were you right. there those years, sir? Oh, yeah. I was there. I was oh, there. Okay? I can't remember the years because I just told somebody yeah. last night. Might, I was there in 94. Might not have been the same month. That, huh? that was 2004. Oh, no. I can't remember now. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Big boss yeah, man. I, I, I knew I was there in 88 or 89. I can't remember 90. Oh, okay. We were there for a few years. I can't remember yeah. now exactly, but I loved going over there. I loved their style yeah. of wrestling. Oh, yeah. I liked the food. Yeah, I loved it, too. I liked the way they treated I did too. us. Everything was first class. Well, yeah, I did, too. Everything was easy, too. You didn't have to do anything. Just be there at the bus, and they'd drive you everywhere. That's well, right. the trips were kind of long, but, That's right. but you didn't have to do it. Just let them yep. drive you. It was yep. pretty did much you drive on, Did you go on the ferry rides? We did everything. Did you ever go Train, on the ferry like, like that movie. Yeah. 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 See uh, yeah. Japan or yeah. whatever. Yeah, that yeah. Was a yeah, little... yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was a little bit. But it was Yeah, we went everywhere. Yeah, was some great stuff. Long. But yeah. mid south, I didn't I didn't mind those trips there. But okay, Brian, I know. No. <laughs> Japan. Before we wrap up, okay. Jerry, we'll let everyone know in a moment when we come out of this segment a little bit about how they could support you and your GoFundMe. But Bobby uh, one last time, your final match coming up. Anything you want to say about it before we wrap up? I just want to say that I'm excited, Jerry, as it comes to to the end. I'm just, my son's asked me, Dad, what you going to do? You going to cry? Hey, I love wrestling. I, for 40 years, I've told, people's asked me or they've known me about being a professional wrestler. Well, come May the 27th, I'm going to be a former professional wrestler, which is fine. I'm excited about it. I'm going to be wrestling a, Nick Kid Curry, who's starting a career in professional wrestling. He's a Naga champion and a great amateur champion and a college wrestler and this and that. So I believe in giving back, and that's what I'm going to do. But I'm pumped up and excited. It's going to be a great event. i got a lot of people coming in. I'm excited about it. And uh, Brian, you know, my friend Jim Cornette's going to be there. And uh, it's just going to be a great night. It's going to be to celebrate and just be thankful that we got a chance, Jerry and I, Brian, and so many other people we got a chance to live a dream meet some of the nicest people some of the craziest people but some of the greatest fans in the world all over and some of the greatest fans in the world i mean in wrestling fans they're the best when it comes to being fans and i've got a lot of respect for jerry i'm praying for him and his uh and his illness and, and it ain't over till it's over and i'm praying for him a recovery and hope that everybody reaches out to help him with uh, his GoFundMe that you're talking about, but uh, 
I'm excited about May the 26th. It's going to be a hot time in South Central Ohio. If anyone with an earshot of my voice can make it out there, come on out and support me one last time. Fantastic Bobby Poulton going to the ring. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Jerry. God bless you guys. Thank you, Bobby. And I just wanted to say, you know, that I'm proud of the career you had. I'm proud to have been so many matches I've had with you, some of the greatest matches I ever had in my yes, life. Sir. And you had yep. one of the best careers. Mm-hmm. That you were, I mean, you should be really happy to be in the greatest years there blessed. ever were in professional wrestling. I mean, we were both yep. very same, blessed to be in those years. Yeah. And yeah. You're, yeah. You're always, you'll always be a professional wrestler, brother, and it's never going to be over because you'll live forever on videotapes, thank God, and YouTube and all the yep. Internet forever. So God bless yep, you, brother. That's true. That's true. Yep. Have a happy, God happy, happy you, day there. You, Thank, thank yep, you, man. Love you, you, brother. Good, good talking. You guys. Thank God you. bless. Thank you, Bobby Fulton, and thank you, Jerry Gray. Once again, to support Jerry's battle with cancer, tinyurl.com slash GoFund Golden Boy to help out. Every little bit helps. So if you enjoy Jerry on the program, please consider contributing and helping the Golden Boy out. But with that, Jeff, it's time for Book of the Week. Book of the Week. And this week, we're going to talk about an old favorite, one that concerns you, of course, Breaking Kayfabe with Jeff Baldron. What? Well, actually, it's not with Jeff Baldron. It's by Jeff Baldron. You see, I'm so used to plugging the show that I'm now plugging the show when I talk about the book. Well, you know, there were other people that were involved. Some that we won't mention. Yeah, many we will not mention, but I want to mention this book. I also want you to mention a little bit about what's going on with your upcoming book. But right here, Book of the Week, Jeff, you can get Breaking Kayfabe by Jeff Bowdrin at crowbarpress.com. But talk a little bit about the current book that's out, Breaking Kayfabe, and what's coming next. Well, uh, Breaking Kayfabe, Dinner with the Wrestling, the Legends of Wrestling. I should know my old uh, subtitle there. But uh, what what happened was uh, we had a a group of guys that would sit down and have uh, dinner at a local uh, Fort Lauderdale restaurant. Uh, We invited uh, guys like Ric Flair, Ricky Steamboat, uh, Magnum T.A., uh, J.J. Dillon, just the list is, you know, very long and, and uh, the dinner is very interesting. And what I did was transcribe the uh, the details that came forth uh, of the uh, of the dinners. Some really good stuff. Great stories came forth from guys like uh, Steve Kern, Paul Jones, just a, a whole list of guys. And uh, I think it's something that any ra- wrestling fan, anybody that's a fan of the history of wrestling business would enjoy just kind of uh, reading through it. It's like, you know, sitting down and having dinner with one of the wrestlers. There you hear it. Breaking Kayfabe by Jeff Baldron, available at crowbarpress.com. Jeff, a little bit about your upcoming book. Well, first of all, let me mention to the good folks, as I mentioned on a Breaking Kayfabe with Baldron and Barry, uh, folks, I've got my daughter's wedding to pay for, so I don't want to beg, but come on, folks, I need a little help there with Crowbar Press. Uh, the other book that we want to talk about, uh, I, uh, as the time of this uh, broadcast, will have, in fact, sent my second book, Brian, second book to Crowbar Press, Scott Teal. Uh, the tentative title to the book is They Call Me the Booker. It is uh, going to be a look back at when I was writing an articles or a series of articles for the Wrestling Observer Newsletter back in uh, 1990, 1991, that they called uh, Booking by Bowdrin. Some people called me Bowdrin the Booker. Uh, and it was basically about a nine-month look at uh, my, uh, my efforts to book WCW, which was in the throes of some horrible booking and horrible uh, promotional work. So I decided to take it upon myself to do a week-by-week articles 
that went from, uh, I want to say, the end of August of 1990 all the way through the 4th of July to 91, where I was the booker for WCW. And uh, Dave uh, was a stern taskmaster as my editor. And anytime there was an injury or somebody walked out on the promotion, I had to write that into the story. Uh, and uh, I guess it was sort of the first uh, what you call fantasy booking. But uh, this was something you know, I was pretty proud of. Uh, I, I kept it up almost for a nine-month period. And uh, it was sort of a labor of love. And uh, I hope the folks, when it comes out through Crowbar Press, will give it a look and enjoy it as much as I uh, enjoyed writing it. There it is, Breaking Kayfabe by Jeff Baldron, Book of the Week, and of course available at crowbarpress.com. But for all other needs, whether it's books, DVDs, music, movies, video games, clothing, furniture, I've recently learned really it truly is everything at Amazon.com. You can go to tinyurl.com slash superpod. Amazon and by using that link by clicking that by going there anything you add into your cart we get a little bit of consideration and love from the good people at Amazon for the purchases you make with anything added to the cart after you click that link if you enjoy this show if you enjoy everything that has been coming at you from the super podcast from day one then please consider using tinyurl.com slash superpod Amazon for all of your purchases and remember you can get a free trial of prime it costs you nothing 30 days tinyurl.com slash superpod prime you get access to all sorts of wrestling footage in their prime video catalog movies tv and lots of memphis wrestling so check that out but once again the big one tinyurl.com slash superpod amazon Lots of other shows have links they want you to use. Lots of other shows are pretenders out there. Lots of other shows try to convince you that you should support them. You need to ask yourself, which show sucks and which show doesn't? Which show delivers the goods and which show is the bottom of the fucking toilet? I think if you stop, smell the roses, and look around and listen around, the answer will be clear, the answer will be obvious. When it comes down to it, when it comes down to them or us... Fuck those guys. guys! I stepped on you, sir. Support the Super Podcast. Support your Super Podcast. And uh, support Breaking Kayfabe with Bowden and Barry as well. They're part of the family. But from there, we now have to go on to one of the most popular segments in show history, In the News with Jim Cornette. And this week, In the News is brought to you by our friends, the wrestling fans over at Ramsor Records. And of course, you guys know how it works. You can go to ramsorrecords.kungfustore.com, enter the promo code 605 at checkout, and save 20% on all purchases. R-A-M-S-E-U-R, ramsorrecords.kungfustore.com. And boy, the reaction since last week's show. To- <laughs> yeah, I'm going right there as soon as we're done here, man. <laughs> hold on. Hold on. Uh, yes, hot dog. I didn't expect you here uh, today. What's going on? What's going on? All My Shades of Blue, the great track from the upcoming debut album by the Ruin Brothers. Oh, I love those guys. Henry and Rupert Stansel. <laughs> well, that's right. We're talking about that. The upcoming album by the Ruin Brothers. We played a little bit of the song yeah. last week on the show. People went crazy. The biggest awesome. reaction. We awesome. Were- what are you piping in about over there? I love it. I've got, I've got a big surprise for you, but go ahead. What were you saying? I was just, I was just saying how people, what, what's the big surprise? You, you got me now. What, what's the big surprise you have? Well, <laughs> keep it under your hat, but I've got an exclusive live track recorded at Ramsour Manor uh, with, the, uh, with the title track from their new album, that incredible song, which uh, you can also check out on YouTube. The video's on YouTube now. 
but that album's coming out real soon. And the lead track, All My Shades of Blue, I've got an especial, eh, kind of an acoustic version of it. Uh, <laughs> what? Exclusive, exclusive to us here at the Mighty Mighty 605. Yeah! <laughs> now, now, hold on. Hold on. Where did you obtain this exclusive recording that you claim to have of the Ruin Brothers playing All My Shades of Blue at, what did you call it, Ramsor Manor? It was recorded at Ramsor Manor. Yeah, I got it from the from the brothers themselves, Henry and Rue. We, we go way, way back. You know, those guys hail from Scunthorpe, Northern England. I have some family out there in Scunthorpe. The, uh, no, the you bang- don't. Yeah, the bangers. I first met them when we were on Glastonbury together in the same year. I was playing one of the side stages. You never played Glastonbury. What are you talking about? We were there together the same year. You know, I, I, I'm not the type to brag, but I'm known in some circles as the third Ruin brother. <laughs> You're the Murray the K of the Ruin brothers? Oh, look, we're not here to talk about me, but that's a good way to, of putting it. Um, let's hear that track. Hold on a second. Hey, in, in, the, uh, in the booth there, uh, Bix, are we ready to roll? <laughs> what? <laughs> let's hear that track, man. <laughs> Miss beats and tambourines I hear them as the record goes round Oh sweet melodies But the chords are ringing a little to loud I know it's not black and white Baby, I know I feel my colors fading The coldness of the night Wraps round me like a blanket tide It gets inside, you see And kills the fire inside of me Twilight of masquerades It's going on just a little too long It's nothing that I want to face Cause I'm nothing with you gone Don't know how to make it right oh, I only know that I can feel my colors changing The coldness of the night Wraps round me like a blanket tight It gets inside, you see And kills the fire inside of me Oh, I dream of you Through all my shades of blue
like a blanket tight It gets inside, you see And kills the fire inside of me Oh, I dream of you Through all my shades of blue fantastic track i like the single this version's pretty badass too the only question Ah. is how it got into your hands (laughs) of all people because it's really good and you should have no involvement with it whatsoever hot dog well it's nice of you to say that but let me reiterate that is an exclusive version that you can only hear right here on the mighty 605 and what website can the listeners go to to buy this track they can't you can't go to any website i told you it's an exclusive you can only hear it right here at the mighty 605 I I don't know how Dolph Ramsour got in touch with you, but I'll have to have a few words with Dolph. But while we're wrapping things up, Hot Dog, and God, I hope we're wrapping things up with you, I want to mention the Ruin Brothers on tour. Don't forget, yes. May 31st, the Mercury Lounge in New York City. On June Excellent 1st, play. we shush, on June 1st at Milk Boy in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Milk Boy, uh, Philly. Okay. On June 2nd at Jam and Java in Vienna, Virginia. And uh, you have any witty comment there? No, you don't. On June 15th at the Mercury Ballroom in Louisville, Kentucky for The Gathering. Yeah, that sounds really great, that Louisville show. I'm going to try to line up Rip Rogers to open for them. He's going to do a spoken word set. Keep your fingers crossed. (laughs) You know, that's not the worst idea. Well, maybe for that show. But the idea of Rip Rogers doing spoken word could be pretty interesting, I have to say. You never know. And one last thing before we go, Hot Dog, I want to give a very big congratulations to our friends, the Avit Brothers. Of course, they are also aligned with Ramsor Records. They are managed by Dolph Ramsor. Congratulations. They just sold out Red Rocks, Salt Lake City, and Edgefield multiple nights, almost 45,000 tickets in total. Congratulations. And uh, once again, Ramsor Records. Dot KungFuStore.com, but with that... 45,000 is a big number. You got to give them props for that. Okay, well, you, it's time for you to go, and it's time for us to move on with the show, and we're going to do that by going to In the News with Jim Cornette. We are back with another of our popular In the News segments, and of course that means I am joined by the Ari Melber of the 605 Super Podcast, Mr. Jim Cornette. Why do I have to be Ari Melber? Why can't I be like Keith Oberman? Because I love Keith. I love me some Keith Oberman. He's, or, or why couldn't I be the most trusted man in America, Walter Cronkite? Because we did those on earlier editions. I always try to hit you with a different oh. name. Well, still, I like all those people. Ari Melber's okay. The Ernie Anastas. I, 
of I I want to be Nicole Nicole Wallace is the hottest news news chick on the air by the way is that a sexist term news chick Well let me say this as a, as an aside it's so funny you say that because uh she was co-hosting Morning Joe today and I thought it in one year's time of her hosting her show I think she's the very best political show host on TV by far she's amazing Oh yeah she she's she's so much sharper than the other tools in the drawer there that it's not even funny she is she blows everybody away I'm telling you Well before we Very go- smart I love a smart powerful news chick Well there we go there we, we maybe we'll see about for a future edition we can get one here you could have a little uh, co-anchor and uh we could see what happens there we'll get HR in the room as well when we do that but <laughs> listen let's move on right now to what we usually do on In the News is we look at classic wrestling stories from newspaper articles. Today's newspaper articles came from both the Crowbar Press Archives group on Facebook, which is put together by Scott Teal. This is from his research. And also from Tom Burke, wrestling historian, and his Facebook page. And some of these stories are from his scrapbook. So we have a nice mix of wrestling historians supplying some stories here today, Jim. And for our first one, we're going to go to Auckland, New Zealand, Saturday, December 5th. 1970. Associated Press. Ref loses two bouts with Dr. Death. A wrestling referee met death in two forms during a bout here on Friday. Referee Lewis Wells, 64, collapsed and died as he remonstrated with, that's the Australian way to say it, or the New Zealand way to say it, masked heavyweight wrestler Dr. Death. Billed as the most hated and feared man in wrestling, Dr. Death threw New Zealand champion Big John De Silva out of the ring in the sixth round. Wells disqualified Dr. Death for leaving the ring and while chastising him, collapsed and died. Okay, you're the promoter. You have a guy working for you named Dr. Death. There is a death that happens associated <laughs> with his involvement. Do you <laughs> jump on it or do you avoid it? I, uh, You know, well... It 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 uh, what what date was this? Uh, when was this? What year was this? Nineteen seventy. Well, you could get away with with mocking death back then. I'd go with it. Doctor Death has killed my referee. It'd have been better if he was my top babyface. But no, I I you know I'm sure that referee Lewis Wells was a a beloved figure around the promotion there at that time. Being a sixty four year old man, I'm sure everybody was broke up about it. I'm I'm hope I hope they left it alone. I do have to wonder what would happen when the police showed up to investigate this death of this referee and they're interviewing the fans. What exactly <laughs> happened? The referee was chasing Dr. Death and, and he dropped dead. <laughs> Put that in your report. But uh, let's now move forward, Jim, and let's go to Great Falls, Montana, October 29th, 1952. Wrestling Problems Discussed. Byline Butte. Wrestling promoters conferred here Tuesday with the Montana State Athletic Commission to iron out difficulties which have arisen in professional wrestling throughout the state. Commission Chairman Ted Hodges of Great Falls concluded the meeting by emphasizing no individual promoter or matchmaker will be privileged to operate at the exclusion of another. The commission cannot and will not consider parceling out territories within the state to promoters. It is solely concerned with maintaining responsible promotion, Hodges said. Adding the commission further is entrusted to avail the best wrestling talent which promotional competition can offer. Proposed amendments to the existing statutes of the commission constitution will be patterned after other states' wrestling statutes. Bylaws of three states were submitted to the chairman by Peter Malloy, Helena attorney. In attendance were Commissioner James Archer, Glasgow, Secretary J.A. Al Livingston of Butte, 
Hodges and Malloy, Maurice Lechap Maurice LaChapelle of Great Falls, Stu Hart of Edmonton, and H.R. Eckmeyer of Great Falls. It's an interesting little story there about the government, you know, the Athletic Commission saying, we don't want anything to do with being the official person to lay out the territory boundaries of the state. Well, and since this was 1952, it was before real, before a lot of real territories as we came to know them in the modern area, modern era existed. But Stu was already promoting in Edmonton and Calgary, and Montana was, as we've heard from all the old Stampede regulars, was a, a, a stop across the border when it was easier to go and run things across the border in those days because Montana was closer to the Calgary booking office than anything in the United States. Uh, but in those days, the state athletic commissions still governed wrestling similarly to the way that they would govern boxing. And sometimes the commissioners were smart and sometimes they weren't. And, I mean, that continued until the 70s and early 80s, where sometimes the commissioner wasn't even smart to the business, because it was a political appointment. The most interesting thing to me is that Stu is somehow, you know, uh, well, it says in attendance, we're okay. So he was in attendance as the wrestling promoter, and I don't recognize Maurice LaChapelle, I recognize, which I think was somebody that may have worked with Stu and promoted in Montana. Maybe the other guys, Eckmeyer and et cetera, were opposition promoters, and they were having a, a you know, a meeting between all of them. But uh, we, we know who won. Have you seen athletic commissions work on behalf of a promoter to keep another promoter from running a show? Oh, God, yeah. Uh, it, in, in, in some cases, and especially down south, um, yeah, I remember Ric Flair cussing the, the Virginia Athletic Commissioner Inspector out in Richmond one night because he wasn't keeping the WWF. This was in 1986. He wasn't keeping the WWF out of town or out of the state. He And Flair was hot. He was like, you fucking take our money for our licenses and all these bullshit physicals and everything, but you won't keep them from coming in and running on top of us, which in a lot of cases – of athletic commissions would do because they worked with the same promoters for five or 10 or 15 or 20 years or more. A lot of those commissioners, they were in it because they loved boxing or wrestling. Remember Frank Talent, the Pennsylvania athletic commission, he died not long ago, but he had to be part of the commission for 30 or 40 years. Yeah. And they wanted to be around the boys and they recognized that it, 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 it was more difficult and they didn't keep the WWF out in 86 out of Virginia from competing with Crockett. But when you had outlaw promotions and the Jack Pfeffer type of Hobo Brazil and Bruno San Martino and, you know, ripoffs on the card or, or bad outlaw promotions that are leaving uh, uh, bills or disgruntled fans or unpaid arenas or whatever, a lot of times the commissions would help by just wink, wink, nod, nod, making it harder to get a license or harder to uh, to operate and come in because they wanted the established promotions to flourish because that's where they were making so much money. If, if uh, the gate was, or if the uh, attacks on the gate that the commission got was 5%, then think about when some of these promoters had million dollar towns, how much they getting off just that one city from in Louisville. If, if the gate was, which the gate was for years, 5% in the days when, when Jerry Jarrett was running here, if Louisville was doing even at, at when they were three, four, and five dollar tickets, you know, fifteen grand a week, twenty grand a week, fifty-two times a year, 
What the fuck? How much is, is, is so do the math. What's, what's 5% of 20 grand. Let's just keep it to, to even numbers. 5% of 20 grand is a thousand dollars. They're giving $50,000 a year off the of city of Louisville. As long as nobody came in and fucked up Jerry Jarrett's business. Well, there you go. That answers that question. So, you know, but sometimes other people come in and fuck up your business. And with that said, let's go to this next story from Knoxville, Tennessee, your old stomping grounds, October 18th, 1979. Wrestler sues rivals restraining order issued a temporary restraining order has been issued against all-star championship wrestling incorporated and four individuals after a rival wrestling promoter filed suit claiming the defendants are attempting to run him out of business. Ron Welch, who wrestles under the name Ron Fuller, and NWA Southeastern Wrestling Incorporated filed the suit in Chancery Court here, claiming rivals to his company had behaved in a disorderly and obnoxious manner at NWA Southeastern matches in an attempt to force away customers. Individual named in the, individuals named in the suit were Ronnie Garvin, Bob Orton Jr., Bob Roop, and Ron Wright. Weld said the defendants also had made defamatory statements about him in Southeastern Wrestling and had improperly used the trade name Southeastern in their wrestling activities. He asked damages not to exceed $2.5 million. Chancellor Lynn Broughton set a hearing on the restraining order for October 18th. Not the first time and not the last time outlaws in Knoxville would behave in a disorderly and obnoxious <laughs> manner. <laughs> I would think that's safe to say, but yeah, yeah. this was the most destructive promotional war of all time. It killed Knoxville as a town, as we know. It's a lot of interesting little things in here. I never realized Southeastern's official corporate name was NWA Southeastern Wrestling Incorporated. They actually had NWA in the name of the legal company. well 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 it's the Knoxville paper so you know they <laughs> that, may, that's true it may have been habit oh that's that NWA southeastern program i i mean i don't know but it, let's not take it as uh but it, you know southeastern wrestling incorporated was was obviously the name of the thing and it could have been NWA southeastern i don't know that it made any difference but uh the point is that's it, that was when everything blew up that summer uh, Garvin, Orton, Roop, and uh, and Malenko were upset because they felt like the Fullers and and Bob Armstrong were getting all the the main events and all the the top pay and and they were getting shorted and Ron Wright who had made the deal to bring the Tri Cities, uh, Kingsport, John City, Bristol into the territory back in '74 when Ron opened it didn't feel like he was being paid as a partner. And then Garvin kept the boat that he won in the tournament and they had to go to court, try to get the boat back. And then this began the, the tactics that they would all do. And it, it wasn't, they didn't invent this. This has been done in promotional wars and by the outlaw side for, you know, since there's been promotional wars, but they would come to the matches when the guys, they did the same thing in Rupp Arena in Lexington to the guys in Louisville uh, or to the guys that were coming in from uh, Jarrett's, uh, territory to work the shows in Lexington because that was their since Garvin and those guys were living in Knoxville in, they just did it. But then by the time they were doing it in Lexington, they were living in Lexington, but they'd come to the back of the arena and they'd hoot and holler the guys and they'd try to challenge them to fights or they'd buy tickets and sit in the crowd, try to challenge them or just get some attention. And it, it basically what it did, you're right, is it was the most destructive promotional war because the guys in Atlanta during the war didn't resort to that. 
the guys in when Sheik and Bruiser were fighting in Detroit and Indianapolis, they didn't they didn't do that. They they did everything they could on their TV and they brought all the names in, but they didn't they didn't go to the newspapers, expose the business, go to each other's shows, cause chaos, which made the papers and and caused all that stuff. And still after those wars, business went down because the territories were no longer being hot shotted. But in this case, it killed a whole town. Ron said, fuck it and got out of there. Sold uh, Southeastern to, uh, well, it was Barnett first, one who yeah. just made it part of the Atlanta territory, but he couldn't get anybody to, to come to the matches, even though Atlanta was doing good business in those days because there'd been so much bad publicity. So then he pawned off on Crockett, who sold it to Flair and Blackjack and gave them like Knoxville and the Tri-Cities and, and Roanoke, Virginia to give them a little territory, and they lost their ass. Flair, Flair joked with me. He said, I ought to be sending him 10% of Knoxville from Smoky Mountain because he still owned the town. <laughs> and, and really, even when Continental Wrestling finally came back in the mid-'80s, and, and Ron you know, ran it again when he was, had had more success down in Alabama and expanded back, wrestling was never as big in Knoxville at that period of time as it was the original Southeastern run. And obviously Smoky Mountain wasn't. So that, all that tomfoolery and hoo-ha uh, exposed the business in town, exposed who, uh, that Ron Fuller, the top star wrestler for so long, had owned the company, that people weren't getting the boats and cars they were supposed to be winning in tournaments, real names, it's kind of a work, bad publicity. That's, you know, they didn't come back. Do you know who tipped off Ron Fuller as to what was happening? What it was? Oh gosh, I remember the story because uh, Mac McMurray had told me something about it, and I can't remember. But uh, who it was? It was Slater. It was Slater. That's right. Dick no, it was Slater. Slater. Yeah, because he was living with at the time, not living with as in a couple, but he was room roommates right. with uh, with Root. Yeah, yeah. I think Buddy Landell actually may have been hanging around at that point. Right? <laughs> I'm sure he was. Yeah, he was because he actually got in the business of uh, right about the same time, and and he worked uh, uh, for the Outlaw Group first as Buddy Roop. That's right. That's right. Interesting little stuff there, but uh, yeah, very destructive promotion award to say the least. But Jim, for this next story, let's go to New York. On September 28th, 1965, the day after a Madison Square Garden show. Thief Flips Bruno by Al Buck. It shouldn't have happened to an honest wrestler, especially the champion Bruno Sammartino, but it did. Somebody stole his $10,000 diamond-studded championship belt early today, a disturbed Bruno told police. He reported the loss to the West 47th Street station, claiming that the belt, along with a top coat and mat gear, had been taken from his car parked in front of the Biltmore Theater west of 8th Avenue. A few hours earlier, San Martino had retained the title and the belt in Madison Square Garden by defeating a new pretender, Tarzan Tyler, in 27 minutes, 43 seconds. I've been robbed on bad decisions, limited the champ, but this is the first time I've lost the belt this way. If it was a fan who took it, I wish he'd bring it back. It means more than money to me. Bruno had scored spectacularly over Tyler, using Antonina Rocca's famed backbreaker on the 270-pounder as 13779 paying $44,425 roared their approval. In other featured events, Dr. Bill Miller and Johnny Valentine drew, while the 11 p.m. Cur curfew cut short the Bobo Brazil Cowboy Bill Watts fracas. Ooh, and imagine how much heat that fracas had. 
I'm sure it did. Yeah, heel Bill Watts against Bobo, that must have been incredible. But Bruno's title belt stolen from his car with his top hat or whatever it said. No, top coat, top top hat, his top coat. His top coat and his wrestling gear. How often, if ever, did you run into stolen belts where guys would have the belts be irresponsible or just have bad luck and the belt is gone? Well, stolen and guys being irresponsible are two different things. But this was a famous story because after the garden, Bruno had gone with some friends to, I guess, one of his favorite or his favorite Italian restaurant or whatever, and had left his bags and coat in the in the car. And when they came out, somebody had broken in and stolen it. And I, I did they ever return it? Did they ever recover it? I don't think so. I don't think so but i will uh double back i'll ask tom burke actually he made well yeah they, if, if anybody's got it he had no <laughs> <laughs> it's in his file cabinet uh, <laughs> but i mean you know a, 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 and guys i can't remember anybody losing a belt but i sure can remember another a number of guys taking off with the belt and the promoter losing the belt but uh i i'm trying to think of another Big example and can't off the top of my head as far as who has who has spectacularly lost track of their belt in the past. <laughs> hey, you know, I, Flair never checked the belt. Um, I always when when we had belts, I always carried them on on my bag. That was that was part of my thing. That's why one of my shoulders is lopsided from the other one. These all those years of carrying belts and bags through the airport. Uh, but no, you'd never check those things, and you didn't you know leave them laying around. And honestly, the other big belt theft that I can think of right off the top of my head is one that makes me cry. The old Southern Junior Heavyweight Championship belt that Lawler ended up keeping in 77 when they got a new one had been in use since 1952, since the very first tournament. And it had all the early champions engraved on the side plates. And it was just unique. It just it was just such a cool looking old, old belt. And he, Lawler had it like 10, 12 years ago, whenever it was at an autograph thing out at a fair in Memphis and had it with him because everybody loved that belt back then in those days. And he had it in his tent. And when he came back in the tent, looked at his bag, it was gone. It's never been seen again. So that's, you know, but that it, it had been retired 30 years previously, but still. Well, for our next story, Jim, let's move on to Dayton, Ohio, Friday, April 10th, 1953. TV announcer's fan enriches him. Dayton, Ohio. UP. A television wrestling show announcer was $12,000 richer yesterday because of a 68-year-old woman Matt fan he never met, naming him beneficiary of her double indemnity insurance policy. Mrs. Susie Robison was killed in an auto truck accident near Fonton, Ohio, last Friday. Wednesday, an attorney notified Neil Van Ellis of television station WLWD here that he would benefit from the insurance policy for $6,000, which pays double in case of accidental death. At first, the handsome young announcer, WLWD program director, thought someone was trying to pull a gag on me, explaining that we get kitted a lot in this business. Well, fans love their wrestling, and I got to ask you, I mean, A, do you know about other instances where this happened, and B... The famous Shawn Michaels story, to the best of your knowledge, is it true or not where a fan died and left him a few million dollars? Um, I had I had heard the Shawn Michaels thing. I don't know how much it was. And I'm trying to think whether I – when was that supposed to be? That would have been maybe 93 or 94, I think. And that, that, was, that was before I was there in the office. I don't know whether I ever thought to ask – Anybody that would know, hey, is that true? So I really, I can't comment one way or the other, but I've heard it a lot. 
Um, in this case, and by the way, television wrestling show announcer, that was 1953 in Dayton, Ohio, uh, station WLW, and it's a slash D, because WLW is a Cincinnati TV station and uh, a radio station and has been for years and years. And I think WLW slash D was maybe a Dayton retransmission of the Cincinnati station. Oh, interesting. Because in those, well, in those days, I think there was, there was still only two TV stations in Louisville at that period of time. I'm, I'm sure there were. So in that case, I don't know, you know, whether it was any in Dayton yet or not, because they had, I think three in Cincinnati at that time, but I think maybe it was a, our Ohio fans need to weigh in on this. Was that a retransmission of the Cincinnati station? But that proves that they were broadcasting local wrestling at that period of time in, in Cincinnati and Dayton, which is kind of cool. And I've never heard of this guy, Neil Van El Van Els. Uh, so he had to be just a local station announcer, sort of like Lance Russell started at about the same period of time. Uh, and he, he was from uh, Dayton, Lance was, but moved to Memphis around a little bit earlier than this and, and was doing the, the wrestling program at the little station in Jackson. So even though the network TV shows from Chicago and uh, 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 Los Angeles and Hollywood Legion Stadium and everything at that time were on most of the stations, a lot of the stations I'm finding, especially in the Midwest, were already broadcasting some kind of local wrestling. And in Memphis, before Memphis got permanent TV in 1957, WMC, imagine that, had had flirted with showing like not even not necessarily the main event, but one of the main event feature matches on Monday nights live from the Ellis Auditorium, and I think fifty one fifty two it lasted a short period of time. Huh, so fifty three is the earliest you know of for TV in Dayton. Well, we'd have to look it up. Um, I mean, they they obviously they had the network programs, but a local TV show would be, would they was still unusual for every market to have local wrestling on TV at that point. You did that, you know, every, every market did not do that. And, uh, and I don't know, you know, like I said, if there were, if there were any other TV stations on in Dayton at that point, or if this was a retransmission of the, the Cincinnati station, cause there's only 50 miles apart. We ought to look that up. We ought to look and see when, cause I thought WLW has to be the oldest station in Cincinnati. And I would think WCPO channel nine might be next, but now I'm just, I'm just revealing my knowledge of television stations across the country uh, uh, too too fully here. Well, let's move on from there, and let's go now to Tampa, Florida, Tuesday, April 15th, 1952. Wrestler arrested on check charge. Johnny Valentine, Portland, Oregon heavyweight wrestler, was arrested by constables officers here today on a worthless check charge and released to the custody of Cowboy Luttrell. Tampa sports promoter, the sheriff's office reported. The West Coast wrestler who won a feature bout at the Armory here last night from Jack O'Brien is charged with passing a $25 bad check drawn on the First National Bank of Tampa last September 11th. Valentine's bond was originally set at $1,000, but he was later released by order of Peace Justice Hendry to the promoter's custody. A man identified as Dylan Edwards, 3152 South Dale Mabry Avenue, or South Dale Mabry Highway, and they're always a bad sort down there on South Dale Mabry Highway, by the way, signed the affidavit against the fighter as complainant. Johnny Valentine, a young Johnny Valentine, 
he would have been what uh, in 1952. He would have been barely uh, out of his early 20s, right? Yeah, and his checks are bumping more than he ever did in the ring. <laughs> <laughs> Well, but he was working for Cowboy Luttrell, so maybe there's a reason for that. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever have to deal with that as a promoter, deal with guys who may be writing bad checks, or beyond that, were there any wrestlers, <laughs> not promoters, but were there any there's wrestlers this, that had reputations? There's a few ex Smoky Mountain wrestlers who say, no, we only had a problem with him writing the bad checks. Um <laughs> <laughs> no, they were always good after a day or two, but sometimes guys got there before the money did. But everything always worked out by the end of the week. Um, you know, well, yes, In, I mean, I never had a problem dealing with it. But in the old days when guys would literally, you know, go from territory to territory. And, and think about how hard it was back in those days. If you go to a territory and you stay there three months, you've either if you've got a family or even if you don't, you have to find a place to live. Maybe get an apartment. You sign a lease. Or do you not? Do you rent furniture? Do you not? You have to have a phone. So you just used to have to get the phone hooked up in the wall. The people come out and, you know, fucking do the whole nine yards, right? Uh, so it was hard establishing yourself in a new place. And then if it didn't work out, you were you were leaving pretty quick. So if guys would have multiple bank accounts or no bank account. Guys would write checks that may be good in one place, but by the time somebody got them, they'd be bad or they'd just be bad to begin with. It was just, it was, you know, I mean, there was no ATM cards, um, you know, so yeah, there was a lot of shit going on back in those days. Um, and that's why Watts for one always kept back. In other words, if, when you worked at, let's say you got your check on, on uh, Monday in Memphis, it would be for the previous Sunday. I'm trying to think the pay period. It'd be like through the, from the previous Saturday through the previous Friday or whatever. In other words, the previous week and you'd get to check on Monday in Memphis or previous Sunday through Saturday or whatever it was. Watts would hold back a week. So you'd be getting paid like two weeks later because if you left the territory, if you stuck the hotel the boys stayed at in any of the towns for a bill or or anything like that, that would get taken out of your check before <laughs> before you got it mailed to you. So that's that was his reasoning behind that. And also, when you think about the size of some of those guys' checks and how many of the guys there were at one point, he was drawing a week's worth of interest back when that meant something on other people's money every every week. Good idea. Very, very good idea. But, Jim, writing a bad check is one kind of trouble. Let's move on to another kind of trouble, one that's always popular with the listeners. Let's go to this story from Gates, New York, Friday, March 24th, 1989. Wrestler arrested, Gates, New York, Fafiti Uliuli Tonga, known to professional wrestling fans as King Haku, has been charged with a misdemeanor for a fight in a bar that began when a woman refused his request to, quote, bow to the king, unquote, he said yesterday. Haku 30 is scheduled to be arraigned on a charge of third degree assault Wednesday in Gatestown court. The charge stems from an early morning incident, February 15th at the runway bar in the Rochester suburb of Gates, very near the airport. As you can imagine. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Bow to the King baby. <laughs> what trouble could happen at the runway bar? <laughs> Especially involving Fafita Uli Uli Tonga. <laughs> and when I see Haku again, I will bow to him <laughs> immediately. 
All right. Well, let's uh, let's move on from there. This next story is from Monday, May 4th, 1959. Bam! Justice George Tilzer of Supreme Court has denied wrestling promoter Vince McMahon's application for an injunction to restrain Ricky Starr from performing for a rival group, which includes Jack Pfeffer, the glad Russian <laughs> that should have been the mad Russian. Well, it's Pfeffer. And- and Pedro Martinez at the Sunnyside Arena or elsewhere in New York State. The Glad Russian. Oh, that's and obviously Ricky Starr was a big attraction in New York, oh, and yeah. he must have been on the outs with Vince. And so Jack Pfeffer and Pedro Martinez at the other side of the state had come over. Pedro Martinez in his day spent a lot of money to buy a lot of get the the, the garden book. Uh, that that Scott Teal just just put out not long ago. Uh, it details that that Martinez was dropping tens of thousands of dollars at a time into the to have pieces of these different northeastern promotions in the fifties when that would be hundreds of thousands of dollars today. And um, he just he couldn't crack he he, he had uh, Buffalo but he couldn't crack the other end of the state uh, for long before Vince Senior got got back control. I wish there was a good book about him with real research because he's such a fascinating character and none of his TV from the NWF survives. There's a lot of stuff we still don't know about, a lot of details we still don't know about. He eventually has the IWA, attempts to run national with Eddie Einhorn, going into New York, going into the Carolinas. He somehow, him and his son get all of these videos, all of these master films from all the different territories. It's a fascinating. Well, and and that really wasn't Pedro as much as Ron collected all that stuff or accumulated all that stuff. And I mean, you know, they were early on seeing that that keep these tapes and films. They're going to they're going to mean something. Are there a lot of early cases like this that you know of of a promoter attempting to get an injunction to restrain a wrestler from performing for someone else? I mean, in this era, we think of before contracts, even though there were contracts. Yeah. Well, and see, that's the thing is. Who knows what, because this just one little blurb, there's no details involved. I would like to have heard the, the both the, the plaintiff and the defendant or whatever plead their case. Um, we need to get Stephen P. New on this. Um, but uh, there may have been a contract with a guy like Ricky Starr or Rocca. I think, you know, at, at one point the joke is that, you know, people owned 150% of Antoni, Antonina Rocca. So, you know, who knows what kind of contracts were or what kind of agreement, a verbal agreement, you know, just uh, trying to keep in some way block uh, the opposition from getting a hold of a guy that may draw some money for him. Well, let's talk about promoters a little more with this next story from 1954. This is from St. Louis. Muchnick sued for $379,200 by promoter. <laughs> St. Louis wrestling promoter Sam Muchnick today said he had no comment on a $379,200 suit filed against him by Emmett Harry Wills of East St. Louis. Muchnick said, I will have no comment until I have looked over the petition. I have not been served with anything yet. Wills, in business as Harry Wills, East St. Louis Sports Enterprises, Filed suit in federal court at East St. Louis yesterday. Muchnick's alleged failure to provide Wills with first-rate headline wrestling talent damaged the plaintiff to the extent of $126,400 it is charged. It is alleged that Muchnick has a monopoly on wrestling exhibitions in the St. Louis and East St. Louis area in violation of the Sherman Antitrust Act and triple damages of $379,200 were asked. 
Will's petition stated that he and Muchnick entered into a two-year contract on January 20th, 1953, whereby Muchnick was to supply talent for wrestling shows promoted by Will's in East St. Louis. Will stated he made a net profit of $1,000 on a show January 24, 1953 that included Wild Bill Longson and a net profit of $1,800 on a show February 12th, 1953 that included Pat O'Connor. Wills' petition said it was reasonable to anticipate and expect the popularity of such exhibitions would increase, and an anticipated $2,500 figure was set forth. In four subsequent shows, only unknown or little-known wrestlers of inferior box office drawing power were provided, and Wills failed to make any profit and suffered losses on each of those four exhibitions, it was stated. (laughs) First of all, $379,200 in 1954 in $2018 is $3,475,163. Yeah. So close to $3.5 million he's suing Sam Muchnick for. Well, it sounds like to me that because East St. Louis is not that far from St. Louis. And as we know, the antitrust... And that's what we should have mentioned earlier in the segment when you talked about commissions having power to keep people out or whatever. You know, it was Senator Kefauver from Tennessee that Nick Goulas was good friends with that helped the NWA out a great deal in the whole antitrust suit from the government in the late 50s. And Sam Muchnick was probably aware at that, even at this early date, that, you know, this guy was probably, I'm just reading this, a local promoter that wanted to run spot shows in East St. Louis. And... I guess Muchnick made a deal with him, okay, you know, and we'll, a booking fee and blah, 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 or whatever. And either since Wills made a profit of $1,000 and $1,800 on the first couple of shows, it sounds to me like that they were doing fairly well for that time period for being spot shows instead of being the shits. So something happened in their arrangement. Did Pat O'Connor go back and say, hey, this fucking guy's, uh, you know, he's, He's he's double dipping or he's not, you know, uh, reporting the right amount at the gate or there's something going on with the business deal that they've made. And he started starving him out with the with, you know, the underneath crew or maybe it was just a shit town and none of the stars wanted to go to it, even if they did get a payoff. But something happened and um, he started sending over shitty cards. And, and so this guy thinks, well, I'll just sue him for three point whatever million dollars in today's money. It is kind of nuts when you see this article and right away they have the mention of the antitrust, you know, statute that's on the books. It is in so many ways amazing the NWA survived the 50s. Well, they 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 were correct in staying under the radar and not uh, attracting too much attention to them. That was always the thing. Wrestling was more popular with the fans that bought tickets and went to see it and watched it on TV when they got no mainstream publicity and were pretty much out of the regular media and they flew under the radar and it was better that way well let's go now a year before this this next story is from wednesday april 29th 1953 this is an interesting one and the next one will be following up on this wrestling promoters to meet at atlanta Cowboy Luttrell, Tampa wrestling promoter, was headed for Atlanta today, where wrestling promoters from 14 southern states will meet Saturday to form a Southern Wrestling Alliance. The Tampa promoter announced plans of the group called for tournaments to select heavyweight, junior heavyweight, and tag team champions. Matches will take place in Tampa when Luttrell starts his summer series on June 22nd. And the follow-up here from Wednesday, May 9th, 1953. 
Crockett heads Matt Promoters. Atlanta, May 9th. Jim Crockett, Charlotte, North Carolina, was elected president of the Southern Wrestling Alliance, which includes 15 states at a meeting here this week. The wrestling promoters completed plans for three tournaments this summer. Champions will be crowned in heavyweight and junior heavyweight divisions and also in tag team competition. What do you know about this, the Southern <laughs> Wrestling Alliance? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> okay, so I've we're never, I've never even heard of this before. <clears throat> they had must had gotten an idea, and I would imagine that well, who would have been involved at the time? Paul Jones in Atlanta, Roy Welch. Luttrell in Florida, um, uh, Crockett in the Carolinas, Roy Welch in Tennessee. Maybe they were going to secede from the union. Fifteen states. Well, fifteen states. Crockett had three. Right, right, right. Uh, <clears throat> North Carolina, South Carolina, and Virginia. Uh, Tennessee and Alabama would for Roy Welch at that period of time would have made five. Georgia six from Paul Jones. Florida, obviously. Florida seven for Luttrell, and and then they probably juiced it up because there really ain't that many more Southern states. And maybe, maybe they had like, you know, the guys from whoever was running, some member of the Welch family was running the Gulf Coast, probably at that point, Mississippi, maybe the, uh, the Culkins, Curtis family, even that far back. I don't know. They still might've stretched to get 15 states and they probably ended up having some great plans and then figured out that none of them had decided how they were going to fuck the other one and it didn't come about. (laughs) Well, I definitely have to look more into this, and if anyone knows anything about it, any historians out there, let us know. The Southern Wrestling Alliance. I don't know anything about this. Very oh, and, and wait, also the the first article mentions 14 southern states. The second article mentions 15 southern states. Well, <laughs> so they, they picked up a state. It was a very successful convention. I want, did Luttrell ever start his summer series it, I, on June 22nd, 1953? I wonder. I believe we do have complete records from 1953 in Florida, or somewhat complete, so I think we can probably get an answer on a future episode. But, Jim, for our final story, let's fly all the way to Chicago (laughs) on February 5th, 1963. Flying wrestler grounded. It took Mrs. Eva Kraus, 57, of Bensonville, seven years, but yesterday she received $3,000 worth of agreement for her theory that flying wrestlers are dangerous, especially when they land on you. On November 18, 1955, Mrs. Krauss was in attendance at ringside when Mr. Vern Gagne and Mr. Hans Schmidt, wrestlers, were performing their feats of daring-do in the International Amphitheater. During the course of the entertainment, Mr. Gagne elected to leave the ring and, without filing a flight plan, proceeded on a direct course to the chair where Mrs. Krauss was ensconced, thereby causing her to suffer bodily injury. Yesterday, a jury in the Superior Court of Judge David A. Cannell awarded the $3,000 to Mrs. Krause in her suit against Mr. Gagne under the assumption that indoor flying is illegal under regulations of the Federal Aviation Administration. Mrs. Krause already had been compensated out of court by Fred Kohler, promoter of the extravaganza, when he was informed that Mr. Gagne wasn't even using landing lights. Well, you think that copywriter was just having a good time that day in the, in the fucking newsroom? <laughs> it must have been a slow day, and 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 uh, maybe he was he was about to leave on a, on a jet plane for a vacation. But what were we just talking about on on uh, my program here the other day? One of uh, one of my many programs, instead of one of your many programs, when guys go out of the ring, it's as old as wrestling. When you fly out of the ring and fight in the crowd or land in the crowd or do whatever in the crowd, you can get sued. Even a, even an old pro like Vern Gagne. And, and Vern Gagne was the baby face. 
and this old woman should have loved him. But instead, she she got three grand, which in 1963 would be what equal to about fucking twenty something a day, and who knows what Fred Kohler gave her. So, you know, that was a couple of brand new cars back. Well, several brand new cars back then. And she had to wait eight years. She had to fight eight years to get that money. Yeah, I think she got something from Kohler probably that night. He was probably out there greasing the wheels. You know, that was in 1956, 1955. He would have still been doing big business. That was before Jack Pfeffer killed Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that, we're going to kill this segment for this week, and I will now allow you the it's, it's euthanasia, <laughs> <laughs> the Keith Olbermann, the Walter Cronkite, the whatever of this program. How about Edward this? R. Murrow? This is London. I will let the Edward R. Murrow of this program sign off. Thank you very much. And good night and have a pleasant tomorrow. (laughs) Boom! There it is in the news with Jim Cornette, a very popular segment here on the show. And I guess thanks in order to Hot Dog for that very special introduction and really cool that we had an exclusive track from the Ruin Brothers to debut here on the Super Podcast Big thanks to the Ruin Brothers, our friends at Ramsor Records, and of course, Dolph Ramsor himself, and I guess to the staff at Ramsor Manor for making this wonderful recording that we played here on the show. But with that, Jeff, it's time to wrap things up before we get to the lights out section of the program, before we get to the Cauliflower Alley Roundtable, which will be coming at you right after this show. But as we wrap things up, Jeff, let the listeners know once again how they could find your show and how they can keep up with you on social media. We are available at BowdrinPod.com, Breaking Kayfabe with Bowdrin and Barry. And we uh, we hope you give us a chance and uh, listen to our thoughts on the wrestling business, television, music, movies, pop culture, and on life. <laughs> Someone should hire you. That's going to gonna be, be like, a t-shirt. That's going to be a fucking t-shirt. Be, has, someone <laughs> should hire you to be like a Major League Baseball game as the announcer. You know, now batting number four, I would pay anything to hear you do that. You'd be really good at it. Now batting number 44, Anthony Rizzo for the Cubs. (laughs) All right, well, let's not talk about that. He's from my hometown. Okay. Okay, okay. Well, with that said, let's move on past your hometown. A few news and notes here at the end of the program. Of course, you can follow the show on Twitter at 605pod. Follow me on Twitter at Great Brian Last, and you can follow the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network on Twitter at Super Podcast. You can join the show's Facebook page at facebook.com slash superpodcast. Get show updates, see the exclusive Travis Heckle artwork, vote for the top 10, the championship match, and so much more. When the show goes up, the first place it goes is facebook.com slash superpodcast. We mentioned it earlier. If you enjoy this show and want to support us, we are ad-free. We do not jam it filled with ads and commercials. You can go to tinyurl.com slash superpod. Amazon and all the purchases you make after clicking that link, we get a little bit of love, consideration, and credit from the good people at Amazon. So if you enjoy this show the way it is, please consider tinyurl.com/superpod Amazon. I also want to mention tinyurl.com/superpod store, and I want to thank everyone. May has been, if it's not the single most successful month in show history. 
maybe the second. I have to go back and check in terms of merchandise. And I really got to thank everyone. So many people have bought the Mothership baseball shirts. A lot of people have been now buying the regular tees. And so many people have been buying some of the older products. And it's just been uh, extraordinary. Thank you to everyone so much. You can get t-shirts, stickers, magnets. And of course, we now have multiple t-shirts including the Mothership Baseball shirt, which I think is the single best piece of merchandise we've ever produced. tinyurl.com slash store. If you would like to support this show on a one-time basis, you can make a donation to the program at paypal.me slash superpodcast. Or if you'd like to make a donation on a monthly basis, you can go to patreon.com slash superpodcast. We do not jam this show filled with ads. We do not hit you over the top of the head with stupid ads. We don't condescend here with the Super Podcast and Arcadian Vanguard. If you appreciate that and realize it takes a lot to get to that point and you want to make a donation, once again, you can make a one-time donation, paypal.me slash superpodcast, or on a monthly basis at patreon.com slash superpodcast. In the News with Jim Cornette was brought to you by our friends, the wrestling fans over at Ramsor Records, ramsorrecords.kungfustore.com. Enter the promo code 605 at checkout to save 20% on all purchases. R-A-M-S-E-U-R, ramsorrecords.kungfustore.com. If you have anything you'd like to mail into the Super Podcast, you can do so by sending it to the 605 Super Podcast, P.O. Box 1242, Morristown, New Jersey, 07962. That's the 605 Super Podcast, the Mothership, P.O. Box 1242, Morristown, New Jersey, 07962. I also want to make mention that you can listen to the other fine shows on the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network, including Kentucky Fried Wrestling with Scott Bowden, Ron Fuller Studcast, Breaking Kayfabe with Bowdrin and Barry, and a couple more shows that will be debuting very, very soon. Stay tuned for more information. The 605 Super Podcast is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. For Baldrin the Booker, I'm the great Brian Last. Tally-ho! are back with another edition of the Super Podcast Roundtable, and this is a very special one because we're going to talk about the 2018 Cauliflower Alley reunion, convention, whatever the hell it is, and of course, we had a 605 contingent that was in the house for it, and that contingent was led by several people, and we have a few of them on the line right now, so let me quickly introduce them, we'll get into the discussion. Of course, we have a longtime friend of the show, one of the most popular people ever on the show, one of my favorite people in the entire world, my friend and yours, Rockin' Jerry Brown, Vandal Drummond, many names, <laughs> but we also call him Kurt Brown. Kurt, welcome back to the show. <laughs> a prick by any other name is still a prick. Lucha Lucky Pierre, ready to make a comeback, but not really. <laughs> Another guest we have on the line right now is someone who has been a great friend of the show. You've heard me mention him for all the hard work he's done on the show wiki page, which is tinyurl.com slash superpodwiki. And that is my friend Jace Nacarado. Jace, welcome to the show. The script sucks, and I'm leaving, so see you later. <laughs> That's the official mothership <laughs> hello, as we call it. It was a mothership hello. Thank you very much, Brian. I appreciate it.
And our final contestant, a very popular man, the man who has brought to life the hiccuping fabulous Mula, and of course, the magnificent one, a very popular man in the world of the Super Podcast, my friend and yours, Howard Baum. Howard, welcome back to the show. Aloha, Super Podcast <laughs> Universe. <laughs> the Alpha Cat. Howard, let me start with you because you're really the person who spearheaded getting a table and getting everything set for Cauliflower Alley. So just whatever your general thoughts or impressions, whatever you want to say, let's start with you and then we'll take the conversation from there. Well, you know, being the great mind for the business that I am, I've done a little Venn diagram for the fans that I think will set the scene if you don't really know the territory, the ecosystem, if you will. Of the COC, there are four major islands, and for the most part, they stay self-contained. And if you fit into one of these four groups, interaction with the other groups is kind of limited. So the first of these groups would be your fans or your audience. Um, That's self-explanatory, because if a tree falls in the forest and nobody's there to see it, nobody really cares. Your indie guys, an injection of youth and sex into the proceedings, one of the most ridiculous... Uh, feasts for the eyes I've ever witnessed, the, the big strut-off competition and the, the big red lounge in the back, the young people oh going for it, going <laughs> for it, trying to make a name in the wrestling biz. Third category, the legends, what it's all about, what Cauliflower Alley truly at its core was and is all about. And I sh- an ex-girlfriend of mine, Monique, saw my photos, my gallery on the um, – on the interwebs, and uh, she goes, it looks like an Iguanas Club, meaning Kiwanis <laughs> Club, of course, because I used to go out with... I like Iguanas Club. Oh, man. Uh, apparently, I, apparently, I used to go out with Norm Crosby. She's very good at those malapropisms, but, um, yeah, it's like the Iguanas Club. It's where the old guys, you're Charlie Smith from Georgia, you're Nick Bockwinkle, you're Terry Funk, and they don't kayfabe the audience, the fans, the marks, If you're there in the olden days, it used to be assumed that if you were there at the CAC, and the further back in time you go, the more true that this is, it was assumed that you worked within the business and that you had a place there, and they weren't going to try and take five or ten bucks from you here or there or work you and treat you with, like, equal respect. And I don't care if that was Terry Funk or Nick Bockwinkle, and they treated you like that. Your fourth and last island and the most controversial island is the WWE contingent. For some reason, CAC made a deal with the devil, invited the WWE in, which gives it legitimacy, big names, etc., but they treat it like they're walking around in their own bubble. All the WWE people seem to have an attitude where they're unapproachable, unavailable, mm-hmm. and, you know, on a PR basis, I understand why they're there. I received intel that Vince might be helping the group out a little bit, like under the table, keeping it alive, which is uh, commendable. But by the same token, they don't react, they don't interact in the spirit with which the entire CAC is intended. And now, gentlemen, I open the floor to you guys. That's a very interesting thing you just said that I hadn't heard before or even thought about, the idea that Vince is putting up money for CAC. You know, obviously there's been a more dedicated WWE presence that I've seen at the last several CACs. You know, Pat Patterson is there. I saw that Shawn Michaels received an award this year. There's always 
different WWE representatives or at least people who were aligned with WWE. Jim Ross was the MC. I heard he technically is still under contract at WWE. I never thought about the idea. And it's very interesting ruining the spirit of it because I've only been the one and that was on the East coast. And certainly like you're saying, Howard, that was part of what it was. It was being able to mingle, being able to chat with people and then move on and do it with someone else. Right. And I'll tell you the one disappointing thing, and of course the new person that I have to add to my roster of heat that I seem to accumulate in my travels, but of all places, my old Nazi Nazi enemy, Baron Von Raschke. Now, let me me preface by saying, okay, he was probably the most iconic photo op at the entire thing, right guys? Big ugly head, still looked like Baron Von Raschke, posed with the claw, I get it. Great photo op. However, I have posed... With a who's who of professional wrestling, without paying two cents for it, Ric Flair, Buddy Rogers, Bruno Sammartino, Killer Kowalski, I don't care who, Buddy Rogers, Fred Blassie, Harley Race, Story Funk, Terry Funk, I don't care who, and I've never paid two cents. My friend Jason Rudy is like, will you take a photo photo for me? I'm like, okay, I take a photo of him in the Baron, and I go, hey, let me get one too. And I go over to move on him to get the photo, and his wife is like, five dollars, please. Oh yeah, I go, she was very, she was very I, salty. I go, I, like, oh. I go, oh, uh, I thought there was some professional courtesy. I didn't realize because I really did not expect a guy who fit into the legends category, the old timers category, to be nickel and diming like that. Superstar Graham gladly posed for photos for God's sakes. So I said, oh, I thought there was some professional courtesy. She goes, professional courtesy, like Seymour Skinner's mom sitting there. And I go, yeah, well, I used to be a photographer, and she's like, used to be. And I was about to say, but I always hold my tongue when it comes to the legends. Yeah, and the good Baron is in the main event tonight, I suppose. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Did you tell him you remember even though you weren't there? That's Even though you weren't there, did you tell him you remembered a stellar match with Baron Von Raschke? I mean, with Tony Atlas? (laughs) Uh, No, but that's... Anybody who was there will tell you. Okay. Once again, guys, be careful with the talking over each other. Howard, finish up what you were saying. Sorry about that. Then Kurt, jump in. And what was I saying? I don't. What was I saying? You were finishing. I okay, okay. I, was I got it. I got it. Give me, a, give, me, no, give me a countdown. Sorry about that. Not a problem. I'm usually the king of interruption. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Howard, jump back in whenever you want. Just uh, I'll, I'll find an edit. Okay. I'll count myself. The last two are silent. Four, three. Yeah, so it's just talking about being in the spirit of what the CAC is intended for, which is for the legends to get together in their Iguanas Club, to hobnob, to go over their old memories, the classic guys that you see. And they understand that the fans are there to take them at face value. They, are, they want to honor them as legends, and they want to share in it. It's not like these guys, uh, I mean, I don't know. Somebody threw me off my track, but let me just, it's just a matter of being, I don't I don't even think this part is necessary. I think we could do without this. You we, killed it, Vandal. Without the whole thing? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, if you think there's anything I could use, I mean, let me say two sentences about, like, it's just a matter of it being in the spirit of what the CAC is supposed to be. That's all. Okay, then, Kurt, you could instead of giving Instead of giving a whole... Go for it. Four and three. And it's I just a matter like of... Say. God, man, what do you think, Brian is all night? Go ahead. 
right. Let me just say two sentences. Let Howard get his two sentences and then jump in, Kurt. Yes, definitely. Man, really has the good stuff this week. Jesus H. Okay, four, three. It's just a matter of doing things in the spirit with which the CAC is for. These people traveled. They're on a limited budget. They want to hobnob with the stars of yesteryear, give them a last final run at glory and feel like themselves again. And I think anyone who nickels and dives the fans is just not doing the whole thing a service. And the WWE takes that one step further by being there. And they're so close yet so far because they're highly unapproachable. They all have a forbidden upon them. And God forbid you approach him. And now nobody interrupts. Yeah, <laughs> now nobody fights up. <laughs> I just don't want to jump yeah, the gun. You know, you know, the key to comedy is timing. Yeah, that's something oh I God. lack. <laughs> now, it was uh, 2008 is one of the cauliflower alleys I remember really well because, yeah, there were some – there were several people from WWE there, and there was that same kind of vibe, but there was one really huge exception was on the night of the baloney blowout. Uh, Jim Ross and Steve Austin were both there. They made no commitments to really do anything other than just appear there. And you know how they are with the baloney blowout. No autographs, no autographs. Well, this line forms around Stone Cold and Jim Ross. It was a long, long line. Uh, JR and Steve Austin did not leave until every autograph was signed. But that was the last time that happened when a big name came there, because every other time that a big name came through, your Michael Hayes, your HBK this year, Mm -hmm. zero interaction. They were like in a bubble. And I think that's I ridiculous. Totally. If you're gonna go. Why would you go? Why would you go to the CAC of all places with all your fame and fortune? The CAC is the one place you can let your hair down. There's not that many marks around, for God's sakes, that you can't deal with it. You know what I mean? It's not like ten I million know exactly people. What it's like four hundred. It's four hundred people. So what if you get annoyed by some stupid questions for one Absolutely. night? Absolutely. You know? and, and I think it was that same year. The same year that I referred to earlier, that Bret Hart was there. And Bret Hart did the thing where he made the speech and then just kind of paraded through and got out of there. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, but I do want to point out that was one, like, glaring exception, wonderfully glaring exception was Stone Cold and Jr. And I've got to say, like, this is an interesting question because, um, Vandal, you're an old-timer, and Jace, you're a newcomer. And mm-hmm. um, I'm kind of somewhere in between, I guess. Closer to Vandal, I've been around the block. But um, this is the first year that I noticed a perceptible lack of, like, true legends there due to the fact that everybody's dropping like flies. Yeah. And it Mm -hmm. just seems to be a perceptible void that where you used to walk into the nostalgia room, and I don't want to bury the thing, but I think it's either a transition period or something is going to have to happen or it's just going to be like the last days of the carnivals where they didn't allow freaks anymore because – there's probably like 10 or 15 old school workers left that are even and going one to go the to one, this thing. One of the ones who really tried and, to bridge the gap between the old school and the new school was Red Bastine. In fact, he bent over backwards trying to uh, get a lot of the young guns out there and, and mix. And uh, 
you know, I don't want to bag on the old school too much, but I uh, remember the last year Mike Tanay and Bobby Heenan, you know, uh, hosted CAC. Uh, the reason they never came back is because a lot of old timers were just crapping on uh, everything that was going on in the 80s. And Heenan was especially offended because <laughs> that was a lot of his work. And uh, I, I think that's something that has always been a bit of a hassle. I, I, I wish you guys, man, I wish we could time travel and go to Studio City when it used to be held every year at the Sportsman's Lodge. Yeah. Oh, my God. Those are the ones you know, that I envy. Oh, my God. You, you, you know the photo at the end of The Shining? <laughs> exactly. You know, oh, everybody in those photos. It's, wow. like Buddy, it's like Buddy Rogers, Fred Blassie, Luthez, like everybody throughout yeah. history, all gathered around. Um, Mike Mazurki, all those old school guys. That is the – that's like the dream. That's like – with, with know, shoe, shoe polished black hair on the guys, shoe polished black hair on the guys, and you know, and the Omega wigs, or you know, uh, and women dressing scantily clad who are like in their sixties. Um, it, it was a it was a time travel trip. It was it was strange, but it, it was pretty tight there. They were just starting to let uh, you know lay people come. Before that, it was just for wrestlers, boxers, and people in the uh, right. movie industry. I had a good conversation with Tom Burke about that, so it's really interesting. Count Billy Vargas. Yeah, and and the middle period was great. Like I started going in, like in the '90s, and it was still the vibe of the old school because you had your Rogers, Blassie, etc. But they were letting fans in and stuff to roam freely, and still there was so much respect between the the big names and the fans because there was just an understanding that you were well you're kind of in the business you're probably in the business and they didn't k fabia for sure and that's yeah, kind of what i was going to jump nice. into like yeah i was sorry guys sorry Kurt. i was just going to jump in really quickly uh and if people hear me uh making squeaking or growing noises i do my best uh garth from wayne's world impression especially when he's like <laughs> squeezing around on the set and he's like i'm having a good time not and then uh yeah <laughs> therefore uh so, just kidding but uh no moving forward uh just talk howard talking about the ecosystem because howard and i had, had talked about this quite a bit and uh, howard you were just mentioning to me about how it had that very unusual vibe this year about uh you know not that many quote-unquote big name people being around like the terry funks uh obviously the um the Brock winkles and such and yeah it was it was an interesting vibe for me just because you know i had mentioned to numerous people because i'm uh, nervous. Uh, I just said that, yeah, it was, it was kind of weird for me as a fan, that kind of imposter syndrome, like, should I be here? Should I not be here? But I wanted to ask you guys, and Howard, I think you probably alluded to it already, like, and Kurt as well, in the past, like, have there been a lot of overzealous, and I hate using the term, a, a lot of overzealous marks that were there, or like, have any bad not experiences, really. or was it just pretty neutral? Okay, that's good. No. That's good. I, not really. That's Howard, bar, I mean, uh, pretty high. Thing. That's the thing. I mean, I don't see how uh, I don't know why you would go to that thing not knowing what it is and and copying an attitude. Why would Jim Ross walk around every year with a sour puss on his face? You know what the hell it is. You know what it is. But it's not that many people. Put up with it. You know what it is. Hey, what's the best match you ever saw? Hey, well, well, fine. Deal with it for one day. Pretend yeah. that you're into the fans. You know. Come on. <laughs> why did why? I have, a, I have a sneaking suspicion that everybody who ever says we owe it all to the fans is thinking the exact opposite. 
Yeah, and some of them were walking around looking like uh, their parents put them on restriction, like they didn't want to be there, and they had to just... Yeah, like, what, exactly. Like, I mean, come yeah, on. Yeah. yeah, I will say, though, that uh, with regards to WWE guys, at least from what I saw in the Nostalgia Room and at least what I saw after the dinners, is that uh, Booker T and Stevie Ray were pretty good. Like, I know that they were taking pictures with a lot of people. We discussed this. Shawn Michaels and the Click Contingent, literally. It's like one of those cartoons where they kind of just zoom away and their shadow outline is still there, and it kind of just drifts away into dust. Pretty much like right after the you know the banquet, they just disappeared and they did little to no interaction and absolutely you know that's their prerogative, but it wouldn't really surprise me from those guys. But uh, yeah, I think that everybody was you know I was had the utmost respect for all the people that contributed everything to the business. It was just nice to kind of just chat and there were a lot of people that I have seen some of their matches, but obviously not a lot of them. But that's what I'm there to to do. I'm and that's why I listen to the show is that I'm here to learn. And I think that you need to understand the past in order to interpret and plan for the future. And yeah, it's just fun for me to kind of soak up any knowledge that I can sit under the learning tree, as Ernie Ladd said. And Von Raschke's wife was a little, you know, dour for sure. Like I walked up, I said like, oh, like uh, how much for uh, taking a picture? And she's like, $5. Oh, okay. Well, do you have any change? Because I had like, you know, I had like a $50 bill. <laughs> yeah. Why would why wouldn't I? Oh, okay. Thank you. Like <laughs> I didn't know what to say, but I'm just like, oh man, attitude. And you know what? For five <laughs> bucks, just give it away for free. Like I understand why. Yeah. I mean, is it worth a one or two hundred bucks to you? Why don't you be cool? Because yeah. that's a great photo op. But I've posed with everybody there is a veritable a, a veritable who's that of professional wrestling. <laughs> oh yeah. And um, great post. Great post. That was a. <laughs> Oh. Hey, can I tell you something about that? I posted, okay, I came up with this hilarious line on the airplane, and mm-hmm. it was, as always, the CAC is shaping up to be a veritable who's that in professional wrestling. So I'm like, okay, now I just got to find the appropriate photo. And usually shooting anybody from behind at the CAC, whether it be a Rock Riddle or that mini George Steele guy who has the little tuft of hair in the back of his head, it's usually <laughs> yeah. gold, and it's it's good enough, you know? The but then somebody... Somebody showed up with his wife and presented the ultimate photo op that would go with my hilarious caption, and it was Mr. Nature Boy himself, very big name, not Buddy Rogers, Stan Lane, or even Ric Flair, but the most famous of the Nature Boys, Paul Lee, and his wife draped in the American flag. So I go, so I go there's my shot. So I go, there's my shot, right? And I posted it, and like three seconds into the convention in the first day, I'm in the memorabilia room, and uh, Rod Hicks comes up to me, who I had not met previously, and he sees my name tag, and he goes, Howard Baum, oh, my God, you're so over. Al Snow saw your <laughs> your post and, like, shared it to all his friends and all that. So I went up to Al Snow. I'm like, is this true? He's like, Howard Baum, oh, my God, you're hilarious. What post? So I was made. Like, I could have gone home right then, mission <laughs> accomplished, but that was that. I'm surprising he was nice to you, considering your M.O.T. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew that in the back of my head. I'm like, damn, he, he would have to be, uh, you know. Yeah, no, I know this... what was up with. I don't know the full story about that, but it's kind of like one of those things I didn't click on, but I got it through the air. Yeah, it's uh, there's something in the air about that. That's for sure. But all right, we gotta we gotta discuss that then, Brian. Before I uh, relish that too much. Yeah, we'll discuss that uh, later on. Uh, not necessarily on the all right yet. But let me ask at you one of our me. secret meetings. You know, yeah. when all of us. Uh, Jace, let me ask you. When all of us get together, you had heard so much talked about CAC on the show, and obviously you were aware of it. What did you expect going into it? Because this was your first one versus what it was. 
you know what? I think my expectations were pretty much answered. I was really expecting not a lot. I mean, I've heard about the seminars. Uh, I knew that everybody was going and for me, it was just kind of a jumping point to introduce myself and to get to know, you know, Kurt and Vandal and everybody, uh, sorry, Jesus, Kurt and Howard, pardon me. And everybody is, and, you know, I've, I've worked like that. And everybody Kurt else and can Vandal. go. Kurt and Vandal. Yeah. Howard do. Who's technical? You don't want to meet Lucky Pierre, though. Believe me. Rock and Jerry Brown. I think he's. I think Rock. I think um, Lucky Pierre is still in my bathtub in Vegas. Mm. Oh no, no! Look behind you. I'm right there. Howard. The world. Known for his creepy gimmicks the world over. It's uh, Vandal Drummond, ladies and gentlemen. That's oh. right. From the abortionist of <laughs> a lucky. Here. But Jace, uh, oh, Jace, speaking of which, yeah. hold, speaking on, hold on, guys, hold on, hold on. I'm executive decision. Jace, finish your thought. <laughs> uh, yeah, let me get back to it. Uh, yeah, no, for me, like it was just an opportunity to see the nostalgia room, to see a whole bunch of pictures. Uh, I knew Scott Teal was going to be there, so it was just an opportunity for me to look at some books and just kind of get a feel of what it's like to be around everybody else and to see what it was like. I wasn't going with the expectation to be like, oh my god, there's so-and-so and there's the brother of Jim Londos's grandma. Like, I don't know. Like it's, it's, I wasn't expecting really very much. It was just, you know, it was an opportunity to meet new people uh, and to respect the heritage of wrestling. He was cool, by the way, the uh, brother of Jim Londos's grandma. Thank you. I know I was. I appreciate it. Thank you, Howard. <laughs> he was cool. He was a good guy. I am a cool guy. Who are you uh, talk- Howard, who are you talking about? No, the guy, the guy, Jim Londos' granddaughter. He was a good guy, I'm saying. I met him, too. <laughs> what am I missing? What am I missing here, what you guys are missing? I don't know. I don't know. I, don't I, made know. A bad, I made a bad joke saying that the brother of Jim Londos' grandma was there, and, you know, that's who I was expecting to talk to, and Howard said, yeah, cool cat. Okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Well, Jace, I hope you've enjoyed your last appearance here on the 607. Oh, I appreciate it. I want to enjoy it. Good night, everybody. Thank oh, you you're a good much. man. Uh, you're a good man. Let me oh. just tell you people out there, this is a very good man. He's a very nice boy, this Jace Nakarado. Yeah, very good guy. It was fun hanging he with a, you, man. He is a, he is a good heart. Yeah, I wish we, and, I wish we could have hung out a little bit more. I know that there was other people had some other stuff to do. I know that you were there with Fredo and you were there with Dan and Mary and yeah, it's just it was nice because everybody kind of did their own thing and we kind of all reconvened at one point or another and it was it was great. You know, I wish that we could have talked a lot more, but hey, there's always the future and the uh, hint hint wink wink six oh five convention coming up in the future. Eh? Absolutely, and I mean I gotta say I'm sorry we didn't talk more than we did. It's like uh, my only regret was I was totally on nighttime hours, you know, going to sleep at like four in the morning and waking up at noon. So. Uh, and plus, there are so many people that I had not seen in a long time. Um, oh, absolutely. And just trying to catch up with everybody from Dean Silverstone to the Morettis, um, Tom Burke, who I had not seen in like three, four years. So, uh, and, you know, another thing I was just thinking about when you're talking about how the WWE figures just kind of parade in there and parade out, when you're thinking of an, an organization where it's your peers, it almost reminds me of that line in Animal Farm, uh, paraphrasing, saying uh, uh, all wrestlers are equal, but some are more equal than others. You know, like, <laughs> we're going to get out of here. All you, uh, all your lower rung guys, don't approach us, okay? <laughs> hey, you, brought mm-hmm. Scott Teal before. you brought up Scott Teal before. I heard he did so good with his books there that he actually brought, he should have brought more books. 
Yeah. yeah, his table was pretty much almost empty by the I'd say the end of the first day, maybe in the nostalgia room. Like they were oh, they wow. were selling pretty fast. But the next day it was sold out, like totally. I don't think yeah. I've ever seen that before. That's pretty wow. Good I would, I would on you, Scott. Too. Wow, <laughs> you're a good man, Scott Teal. Were there a lot of vendors? He's one of the good ones. Not a ton. Uh, Eric Caden, of course, who Vandal knew better than me, he was a he was a standby, which is a real loss because he had his spot in the back. Oh man! And uh, he was the Sorry. man. Vandal knows way more about him than me, but I know he's a Hollywood institution. He had the coolest stuff, and he was a good guy. Eric Caden was one of the neatest people I've ever known, and uh, when he passed away, man, it hit me a lot harder than I pictured that it would. I mean. He, he was such a part of LA uh, of Hollywood subculture and pro wrestling. I mean, when you talk about his memorial, uh, people attending there were uh, Glenn Danzig, Rob Van Dam, um, hmm. uh, Sybil Danning, uh, uh, William Margold. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it was like it was like you're going to a celebrity, uh, like a a celebrity yeah. convention, a fan convention, and I it. it and his booth being there at a CAC, I miss it very much. And along mm-hmm. with him not being there, that means that uh, the uh, cartoonist Gilbert Hernandez and his uh, wife Carolyn never come because they were close with Eric. And so, so yeah, every, every, like you say, every year when somebody drops off, it, it, it loses a little something. And I personally, this is, I had a great time, but I felt that there was less of an enthusiastic vibe as compared to last year. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. It's palpable. I really thought it was palpable. And I asked a couple of people that were with me in previous years. And there was just something palpable about it where it was like it was continuing, but as a, I don't know, this, this is horrible to say, but it's kind of like a shell of itself. I'm just going to say my honest opinions. Because I think the heart of it was the big names that were the older guys who were the legends we all grew up on. Mil Mascaris, Nick Bockwinkle, Terry Funk. I don't need to do another one of my patented spittle-throwing speeches, but name every big name you want to. And they were there, and now they're not. And you walk in, and you're salivating over... um You know, the photo, the photo op with anybody that's halfway recognizable just to show that you went on a trip. <laughs> And, I mean, Jace might not feel that 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 acutely, but I think us old-timers certainly feel a palpable difference. And a lot of people, I asked a lot of people from a lot of different, you know, age groups and walks of life. I'm like, would you come again? What did you think? Everybody had a good time. And even I had a good time, I must say. It doesn't even sound like it. I know I bitch about everything, but I literally had a good time. And, um, you know... I still recommend it. It's not an expensive trip. It's fun. You're with like-minded people. It's always interesting. You always meet the coolest people. Just not expecting to. It's always somebody you never heard of or didn't think of who ends up being a classic, who you end up talking to that you like think about the rest of your life as what a cool guy. I can't believe I never met him before. In this case, it was Alta Russia for me. Oh, Alta Russia so nice. from the uh, nice from guy. the AWA. Oh, oh what a classic yeah. guy. We thought we lost all of the classic broadcasting people from the business, like a Lance or a Soli. But Al Darusha, I'm not quite sure. I know he was like in the production department at AWA. Yeah. 
And, um, you know, everybody was trying to figure out a way to take a photo of me and him, every which way but loose. Nobody's <laughs> at the PAC but me has ever seen a camera, oh, apparently. Yeah. And I bet well, that, I heard a lot about that. It's not the whole thing. No, no, no. I don't want to open that because that's the whole thing. And we all Please know don't. it. And I, yeah. could, I, could make, I could make my case, and it might even come out, but... But I'm I didn't get yelled at, and so, I feel bad for no, I feel bad for Jason. I I did I did not get yelled at, so I was happy about that. I was just you know snippedly like, well, you can hold yelling, it from this it's, it's not yelling. It's like a Laurel and Hardy reaction. I maintain myself for like two two interactions. I'm like, please hold the camera higher. Hey, I'm shooting like this. Hey, why don't you hold the camera a little higher? Oh, I'm shooting like this. I'm being creative. Hold the fucking camera above your head so I'm coming out at a flattering angle. I take all good shots of all you guys. You can't hold the camera at the one good angle, but I still have at this age. What the fuck? I will fuck? say your camera, phone, like, like your camera phone was fucked up, though. I will admit. Because there's a, there's a little no, no, doubt no, no, in the I will middle. admit that. I, was, I, will I, admit was, that. I, was, I thought it was pressing it. I'm like, oh, do I need to press this to take the camera? No, I know. I, I know. I know. My equipment, oh, my equipment was not great. My equipment was not great. I don't, I don't, I don't, I, I take that. I take that. Get a Google Pixel, okay, man. So you, so you, were, you were commenting on my okay. photos. You're like, oh, what? man, your camera's so nice. I'm like, How, oh, get, a, get a phone. However, I was on a time constraint. I wanted <laughs> yeah, to get a picture I, I of the 605. I wanted to get a good picture of the 605 and it's all its proceedings and everything as a PR mm-hmm. stunt. Took a picture of nine out of ten people at the table. All we needed was one more of the guy who <laughs> put the whole thing together, for God's sake. Hey, do me a favor. Why don't you stand up and take a picture of me from my one good angle at my advanced age? No, I think this is good. We want to accentuate the double chin and the, uh... Okay. So I'm not, that's not even the story. I didn't even want to open that can of worms because it's the most frustrating thing in the world to be able to take photos of people and everyone gets back and they're like look at my 11 by 14 with uh with super pimp and me it's like a blurry fuzzy thing with like you know looks like a vend it looks like a um rorschach test I'm like great that was my trip thank you guys well, anyway photos, I, I, I don't my head get, didn't get cut off so I'm i don't even want to get i don't even want to get into that my point about that was Meeting, do. I meeting the cool it. people like Alda Russia. However, after you, all you guys were like a monkey with a camera, I leaned into Alda Russia, Alda Russia, after it was taking forever to get a simple photo of us standing there. Yes, my equipment sucked. I didn't bring a good camera. And I lean into Alda Russia, who's a classic character, old school guy. And I lean into him and go, oh, you'd kill yourself if you had to direct these people. It's like they never saw a camera. And he leaned back and laughed the biggest Captain Kangaroo laugh you ever saw. It was so glorious. I'm like, oh. Gut buster. There's nothing like cracking up these old school guys, you know? So he's great. I wish I could have spent more time with him. He was he was really nice. Just, I kind of in, sorry, go ahead. No, it just illustrates the fact that you go out there with zero expectations. Because I didn't get packed and make my trip and everything expecting to hang out with Aldarusha. Like, oh, put it on my calendar. I'm going to meet Aldarusha. But it's these hidden characters that you meet there that are so cool that make it worth your while. And you're truly walking through a history book of wrestling. And that's when it works. And that's when it's magical. And that's when it's worth it. And it's just becoming less and less of that, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest. I never think about really who's appearing there as much as I am. I just want to see everybody I don't get to see other than Cauliflower Alley. It's the one hub where, you know, where I can all gather with people that I used to know. And then sometimes I meet somebody new, which was always fun. Um, Met Jace. That was awesome. Um, Yeah, it was fun. 
You, you know, I, I, for the first time ever, I've never done this before, I actually attended part of a seminar. Right. It was the Montreal Which one. one. Uh, uh-huh. uh, I didn't see. It was the one where, where Mike Leno kept on asking questions, <laughs> and P, other people were trying to get oh, their questions boy. in. And it was so funny. I was sitting right next to Tom Burke uh, at the back of the room, and finally... I wish somebody had filmed it. He just he just jumps from his chair, runs down the aisle, and just asks the question like like <laughs> sidestepping Leno, like like he's doing a run in. It was so fucking funny. <laughs> Here's the thing too that I subscribe, and I, I made a I made a joke as well at the at the banquet dinner because you know he's kind of. You know, he's got his ass out, and he's always you guys, I've heard the stories about you guys about how he's always in the way. I think that he may have a knee problem because you never see him kneel. He's always like that kind of like ass out lean, like that far lean that he's kind of you know <laughs> leaning into the ring or something like that. But I, maybe he just has a knee problem. Who knows? Hmm. You don't often hear the osteoarthritic opinion. That's an well, interesting angle. I, I bring a new perspective <laughs> to the table, guys, and I appreciate it. I'm sure Brian's going to edit me all the way off the show, but I bring But let me jump in here now, because obviously Dr. Mike Lano is a figure that has captivated the Super Podcast listeners, the 605ers, for so long now, refusing to come on the show <laughs> to discuss his many exploits in and around the wrestling ecosystem. So let me ask you this, because last year, obviously, there's that famous photo, Howard and Kurt and the new Budokan and Pistol mm-hmm. Pete and Dan Farron and Jason <laughs> Rudy and Dr. Mike Lano is in it. What was it like this year? Because this year there was actually a table with a 605 sign. So how did Mike interact with the 605ers that were there? If I could interrupt really quickly, I, I was kind of uh, sorry. Sorry, Kurt. Go ahead. No, no, no. You go ahead. And I'll, I'll, I'll uh, you know what, for me, uh, for, for me, um, I was really kind of nervous because the, for, when I walked in the nostalgia room, he was standing right there talking to somebody and I had my 605 shirt on and I kind of like tried to, I was holding a book and I'm kind of like trying to like nudge it over, over the logo a little bit because I, I didn't want him to think I was goofing on him or anything like that. And, and we, I did put that post, post on Facebook saying that, you know what, I talked to him at the, at the back when he was, and like you guys have said before, he's a really nice guy. And I, yes. I said I wish I could have got my picture taken with him, but I, I don't know. I just I didn't want him to think that I was goofing on him. I didn't want him to give me like, oh, well, what are you doing here? You know, like so. I don't <laughs> know, but it, it, you know what? It was, it, it, was, it, was, it was it was nice. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what. Well, I, I'll just say it. <laughs> Con men are nice people. They're charming. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hiding in plain sight. Yeah, Hiding but, in plain sight. Okay. Okay, call yeah. con man, but well, I've known him like what twenty five years. He's never done a thing to me but provide nice companionship and conversation. I mean, he never tried to do anything, any of these uh, shenanigans. None of these monkey shines have anything to do. Did with he send me. you those photos if, yet? If I do, do the what? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Oh, that's good. That's good. How oh, yeah, well, I, my, my, I got him. Howard, do you think this is more about you? The fact that you're one of the few photographers he hasn't ripped off. Well, I mean, maybe he's setting me up for the sweet score, you know. I mean, I have a lot of uh, stuff in the files. Maybe he's working. Maybe with my whole Brock life's Jr. work is so. gonna. Maybe my whole life's work is in the process of becoming uh, yeah. property of W. R. E. L. Lano. I don't know, but if he's setting <laughs> me up in the long haul, it's certainly a long. If he's working me, it's certainly a long con because he's been nothing but nice and intelligent and entertaining to talk to yep. in the past thirty years that I've known him. Mike is. No, I want to say I don't understand. No, I don't. 
I don't understand the, the the shenanigans. The stories are clearly true. I don't understand any of that. I am a psychologist for all practical purposes. I don't get it. But one on one, as a guy, to me, he's fine. No, no, I get along with him. I look forward to seeing him. But um, uh, I, I don't want to make it seem like oh, he's a great guy. I mean. You know, uh, I, I know it's a funny anecdote, but the hijinks at the Spicoli funeral, I know several people who are close to right. Spicoli, and it was anything right. but funny to them. And right. um, I have one friend who – no, I have two friends who uh, says they he flat out stole some stuff from them, like physically <laughs> stole stuff. And I've, I've heard other anecdotes. But no, I get along with him. We've never had crosswords. Uh, but boy, we had the greatest gift on the baloney blowout night when we all oh, yeah. sat down to the 605 Super Podcast table. Oh, here it comes. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. It, it, oh, it, it's like all the Greek gods and Yolanka the space god gave us a gift that first night. It was <laughs> such a freebie. This was, this was art, and we weren't even trying for it. So, you know, on Facebook a few days before CAC, we noticed that, you know, the 605 table is getting full. We're going to have a whole uh, a parade of 605ers. Then one of the people who reserves, I assume through Howard, a seat is Dr. Mike Leno. And we're just thinking. No, 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 that, was a, that was a joke. That was, that was a yeah. joke. That was I was oh, doing. Oh no! Wait, we really? had a they had fabulous of, shoe no, 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 on no, no, no. too. So. Right, right, right. Because we <laughs> no, had a we had a solid table of no, we had a solid table of ten, and then I posted a joke one like, "Here's eleven through fifteen. Table two is filling up fast because it's ten to a table." <laughs> and so I put fabulous Shmula, Rock Riddle, Doctor Mike Leno, <laughs> um, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> so no, you know what no, 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 no. So he was never. That was that was that was a joke. But do you know what that means now? Come on, it means. You are a joker, but you are also a prophet. Because oh well, that goes without saying, man. Come on. Yes, yes, you were a prophet who makes little profit. But I gotta say, man, you sparked <laughs> up my psyche. And when this happened, Mike Leno's coming. He's taking pictures of everybody. You know this, that, and the other thing. And he might be hammer down. And he looks like he's at about to behest. sit down. I'm like, I'm like professional. I'm like professional photographer Mike Leno. Why don't you do the honors and I go to the other side of the table so so all of us could get a shot, all nine of oh, us in man. one shot. Because my man Armando Martinez could not make it, unfortunately, but all nine of us were there, right? And okay, you could take it from there, Mandel. Oh God! I'm it, like you're a professional photographer, uh, Mike Leno. Yes, yes, and and this is only the 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 little weed of uh, of the story, the 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 little uh, pre perk. So he takes the picture. <laughs> Several people's heads are chopped off. Oh. And it gets more beautiful. As he's putting his camera down at the table, he's looking and says, hey, what's the deal, Kurt? Like, why haven't you got me on your show yet? And I pause. <laughs> I go, my show? And, and you know, I'm, I'm right next to Fredo. And uh, uh, he said, yeah, are you still doing it? I, you're still doing it, aren't you? And I'm saying, uh... No, no, I think you're talking about Fredo's Lucha World show. I, I, that, it's his baby. I just, you know, hang with him on it. And he says, no, no, not that. That show, I, you know, this show, like the 605. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I paused and I said, Mike, that's not my show. 
And I can't remember what he said, but he looked like he thought I was kidding with him. And I said, that's not my show. That show is the show done by Brian Last. And he, he had a really good poker face. Like I could tell his face uh, briefly froze, oh but he, he, didn't do a, uh, he didn't do a spit take or anything like that. And, and then he, just, he walked away. <laughs> he walked away and went to, to, to greener pastures. But then he came back later like, you know, it you know, never happened. So. Oh, my God. <laughs> Not before it's, Dan Farron took a photo. And then <laughs> Travis Heckle watermarked the photo immediately, and we all died. That was so funny. Travis Heckle, you rock. You have to look at it from Mike's perspective. He's at this event, and his mind is probably blown by the idea that Dan Farron is alive. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> He's watching the Billy Idol Dancing by Myself video to see how we can reanimate people. As they did it with Dan Farron. <laughs> Were there any other highlights at the baloney blowout? Oh, 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 God, it was so... Wait, was it the blowout night or was it the banquet night? Uh, yeah, somebody's making, like, a really lame presentation, and so so Howard gives me the high sign, and we went to his... I don't room. know what you're talking about. <laughs> oh, we, we, oh, he turned me on to some awesome, awesome bud. It was beautiful. Ooh, Which was, was provided that. for by a, a loyal uh, a 605 fan and listener, a fellow 605er from out there in California. My props to you, my friend. You know who you are. You made our trip. <laughs> this episode of the 605 Super Podcast CAC Edition was brought to you by my buddy with weed in Vegas and <laughs> balls. Back to you, David. Oh, boy. Well, let me, let me just say, since no one wants to name him and I wasn't there, Armando, you're now in the Listener Hall of Fame for smoking out Kurt. <laughs> love you, brother. Love you, brother. You made my trip, man. Party yeah, with everybody. You, you should have been there. Next time. That was beautiful. AM shit. Great TM shit. No, he hooked me up. <laughs> Did, well, he told me what strain it was, but I already forgot. What, what was that? Say what? The strain. What's legal there? I mean, you know. What strain? Yeah, was the whole digs deeper. What's no, what strain? You, you know, I didn't ca- I didn't catch it, and I have no real memory. But if if he can provide that information, I would like to know because it was tremendous. It was wonderful. I think it was like felt like sleepy time. I actually I don't know I what you're talking about. Just, Never mind. <laughs> I wasn't chilled at all. I just felt like, light. Oh yeah, killed me to leave it there. It's the glory days. Yeah. It's the glory days. Like here, you can get all the famous names, but there was something about that that was really good, especially the nighttime one, man. So thank you for that. Tremendous. Okay, tremendous. Let me jump in here now, uh, just because everyone's talking over each other. Let me apologize to the listeners for what a train wreck this has been so far. <laughs> but there is certainly yeah. some great stuff in in here somewhere. But. Let's go back. Let's move away from the marijuana talk for a moment. Uh, we may return to it Please. many times in the future. But let's move away for a moment, and let's talk about some of the people that were there. You talk about Brand Von Raschke and Al Darusha. Of course, Shawn Michaels and his crooked eyes was there. But who were some of the other people <laughs> that were in attendance for Cauliflower Alley? Well, a personal treat to me was the entire Roddy Piper clan. His son, Colton. Yes. Kitty. Uh, the daughter whose name I did not catch. I don't believe uh, it was Ariel. Ariel. It was. It's pronounced so those R-E-L. are the three kids. Those are the two kids, oh, or is there another? Those are the two kids, or was there another daughter? There's two more daughters, I believe. 
Ah, okay. Couldn't have been cooler, and I got the scoop. I got the scoop that the wrestling world has been waiting for. After this, you can bill yourself as the podcast that blew the lid off of professional wrestling. Get this, guys. I got to ask her about the um, the haunting episode about when Roddy Piper saw the ghost of Adrian Adonis come yeah. to roust him out of his sleep when his uh, place was catching on fire. Does anyone remember that? No. Yes, I do, actually. Oh, don't tell me I'm going to have to tell this whole story. Well, explain the story. I remember it, but okay. if doesn't know, explain it. Okay, okay. So there's this... Oh, I didn't expect this monologue. Okay. <laughs> there's this TV show on one of these sci-fi channels, and it's like The Haunting of Roddy Piper. He was alive at this time, of course, and um, he was telling the story, and he's like, oh, I just got off a long tour, and I was in my one room that I like to sit in when I come home in front of the fireplace. I got the TV, and I doze off because I haven't slept in 28 days. And the family's in the house, Colton and Ariel, the whole family. And I'm down there in my room where I like to be. And I doze off, and the next thing I know, I'm like, Roddy, Roddy. I'm like, whoa, whoa, who is it? And I see Adrian Adonis um, in front of me like, brother, your house is burning down. you got to save your family. And I woke up and I saw the place on fire. The, the log fell out of the fireplace. It would have burnt the whole thing down. So I, I'm like, you know, I understand TV production and all this. So I, I, the, one of the few things I got to ask Kitty about was, I said, you have to tell me. I've always been curious about this. I don't even know how I had the presence of mind of all the Piper things. But I said, that episode about that haunting show, did you really see Adrian Adonis? Like she's well, like well, they embellished it a little bit, but um, I'm like, so he wasn't really standing there like in his full biker gear and everything, like right. Well, actually, Dino Bravo, or better right? yet, in his adorable Adrian gear. Oh yeah, really? I didn't get no, yeah, no, 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 no. Like, but he'd become TV like show. Jacob Marley, you know. He can't, he can't get rid of these chains, you know. After he has the relaxed Trudy, you like, know, handcuffed to his arm. Okay, but like, he's got the briefcase in the TV. In the TV show, they have like the reenactments, you know. So they had a guy playing Piper, and they had a guy playing Adonis. And the guy playing Adonis looked like a greasy Burt Prentice or something. And they put like a leather jacket on him, you know. And it was like it's the reenactments. I saw. Um, I think it was like John Mulaney or somebody. I, no, no, no. It was Bill Hader on some show, and he was talking about where um, where he gets his. Um, where he learns how to act badly because of his new show, Barry, and he, he needs to be a bad actor. So he's like, how can I learn to be a bad actor? So he watches all these reenactment shows on, like, the ID channel, all these, like, murder shows where they reenact it, like, they, they go, no, Conchita, I was not cheating. <laughs> anyway, I, dig I digress. It was yeah. one of those reenactments, and uh, it was like a big, greasy Adrian Adonis. Didn't look anything like him. They showed him, like, eating a meatball sub in the, in the like, training ring and everything. You know how they always shoot when like non-wrestling people shoot wrestling and it's like their idea. So it looks preposterous. So it's like Roddy Piper and Adrian Adonis were in the gym <laughs> hanging out and it showed their like reenactment people. I'll find this for you guys and post it on the thing. But anyway, I don't know how that popped into my head and I said it to her. She goes, well, they embellished it. I'm like, oh yeah. So he didn't really like see him like in his leather gear and everything. She's like, no, no. She, she felt the essence of him. I'm like, all right, I, I can get that. Well, there's a moral there, and that is uh, drug abuse probably saved uh, Roddy Piper's life. I mean, well, Roddy I didn't want to go on ahead and say anything. Like I was going to say to her, is this one of his times when he was having a bit of a tipple, or you know, as Tom, as Doctor <laughs> Tom Pritchard would say. 
or something like that. I didn't. That's what I was thinking. But and I'm a fan of Colton for life. What a fine young man, dressed up in a in a kilt, representing. Total respect. Nice young man. Now, Colt's a good guy, and, you know, respect is a big word. He was on Austin Idol Live. He was on a super podcast. And uh, I have to say, a really impressive guy. Uh, really, mm-hmm. I, I, think, I think he's a good dude, Colt. Yeah. Yep. Who was I? Uh, I enjoy talking with. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead, Kurt. You I enjoy talking with. Uh... <laughs> you poor guy. You're going to be doing so much editing tonight. <laughs> I was guys, really hoping, unprofessional. I was really I... hoping this would be the easiest edit I have. This has become the worst. But uh, Kurt. <laughs> <laughs> it's me. It's me. I just. <laughs> You guys are so unprofessional, I swear to God. Uh, <laughs> you bring it the, out the best in this, Howard. What can I say? <laughs> I was going to say, I, I enjoy talking with Dean Silverstone uh, because I actually remembered to ask him what he knew uh, about Rico Valentino who we uh, corresponded about, Brian. Oh, yeah, I bought the book, yeah. Oh, it, the, the book is a laugh riot. It, 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 I, I couldn't even call it like a pulp novel. It sounds like a, a cartoon character's narrating the whole thing. Yeah. But there was this one insane claim that Rico Valentino made. Uh, well, he made a lot of insane claims, but the, uh, one of the ones he did was that he worked undercover uh, for the FBI to oust a white supremacy group up in Oregon. And it just sounded way over the top. Uh, so I went on newspapers.com, did some searching, and found out he actually did what he said. Then my next thought, and I, I so wanted to ask somebody about this, is um, when Ripper Leone was running uh, – you know, Central California in uh, 81, I remember they were talking about Rico Valentino under the name uh, Rick Ronaldo coming to the territory, and he was supposed to come, and then uh, people say, what happened? He got, they said he got busted for drug running. Not drug running, gun running. And I asked Dean Silverstone, uh, did you know anything about that? that? And he says, and he said something like, oh, you mean the FBI stuff was true? <laughs> and I'm going, yeah, it was true. And he seemed really surprised. But the next thing he said was, I did hear about the gun, gun running charge, so I almost wonder if it was like a, you know, a plea or something like that. Interesting. So, yeah. Anybody want to get a really entertaining read, get the Rico Valentino book. It's, uh, it's, it's a laugh riot. I saw a really cool picture of all the wrestling historians like that were there got together. Like, you know, there was Steve Yohe and Tom Burke and Dean Silverstone and Scott Teal. Really, really neat seeing that pick. Mm-hmm, yes. I think Yohe's I think Yohe's best work to this day, and some might disagree in the wrestling community, but when he was with the Ramones. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> <laughs> Hey, that's the beauty of editing. No, hold on. I, now, <laughs> I I need, real- <laughs> now I need to know where you were going with that joke. <laughs> All right, that was pretty bad because he has a hairdo like the Ramones. He has long hair. He has, he has a hairdo like uh, Patty Smythe or something. Oh. Like, what is that? After he's like 75 yeah, he, years old, he, he, he needs a, he he needs a like pop a hair in his head? Come on. quite a bit. He did look like Joey quite a bit. I will admit that. <laughs> that's like extremely inside. I don't know if anyone would get that. All right, that might have been one hit over the line. There was that other guy, though, with the big mutton chops. That wasn't that. 
that wasn't that uh, historian that died, obviously, but wasn't there a historian that died that had the big mutton J. chops? Yeah, J. Michael Kenyon. Yep. But the, who was that guy that was there this year? I don't know. He's a guy His from brother? California, just a fan. Because with my memory, I'm like, oh, that's J. Michael Kenyon. But then I'm like, no, didn't he die? And then I'm like, ah, fuck it. <laughs> it's his brother, J. Michael Kenyon. I love it. Is he dead? Is he alive? Ah, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't know him, so fuck it. What about the banquet? Talk about the banquet, guys. Uh, Let me say this. Brickhouse I mean, Brown. Brickhouse yes, Brown absolutely. was the banquet. Absolutely. That wasn't the banquet. That was the Bologna oh, Blowout. Well, Let's talk about that before we move on to the banquet, because so many people have talked about it, and I heard it was not just one of the most touching moments of the event, if yeah. not the most, but it was just something that everyone who witnessed will remember for the rest of their lives. Talk a little bit about what happened with Brickhouse. And I'll go to you, Kurt. I'll let you uh, do the uh, honors here. Well, uh, you know, like I said, I don't pay much attention to who's appearing, who's going to be there. I did know that Brickhouse Brown was going to be there, and I heard to get health problems, but... Um, when they, uh, honored him, uh, once they gave the mic over to him and he was talking about, uh, I mean, he has cancer with a prognosis of maybe six months and, ah, man, I, I've never seen somebody just seem so optimistic in such a situation, not just optimistic, but, um, man, he brought people's spirits up. I mean, uh, I think I think there's hardly a dry eye there, but it wasn't like a sorrowful dry eye. I mean, he really made right. a moving speech. I, I I bet Howard could probably describe it better than I could. But I I, I I'm, I'm usually nonplussed by the speeches. Uh, that I think it's my all-time favorite speech, second only to when Wendy Richter was uh, honored a few years ago. <laughs> That's high Seriously, praise, my I, friend. I, I love that. If somebody can out talk Wendy Richter, that's really some stick. No, but yeah, what, um, what, what I loved about Wendy Richter was how she talked about just kind of putting her life back together, going back to school and, um, you know, uh, emphasizing that, you know, I wasn't the smartest person in the class, but I was the hardest worker. And I don't know. I, I found that yeah. to be one of the more genuine uh, speeches over the year. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that. I will say as a, as a little aside, I it was a Howard Brody show somewhere in Florida and I was the ring announcer. And for some reason, Wendy Richter decided to go into business for herself on like the simplest angle. It would have been a matter of like wearing blue trunks or red trunks. It was like such a meaningless part of the angle. And I don't remember what it was, but it was like a little, a little show at some high school gym or something. And I'm the ring announcer. So I facilitated the angle and I'm like, so Wendy Richter, what are you going to do with uh, Peggy Lee pleather tonight? That was literally her opponent, Peggy Lee leather. And uh, she's like, and then she grabbed the mic and just dismissed everything that we talked about backstage. I'm like, all right. And I got out of the <laughs> ring. But, um, and I, it was inexplicable because it was like in front of nobody, nowhere. And she's like changing the angle, which would have been the same thing either way, right? Like, you know. Okay. So, as far as the brick house thing, I thought about it for a minute when I was like captioning a photo. And I'm like, it's very Richard Pryor like because he's, he's admitting his flaws. And he's at peace. It's not about, like, I'm going to live. I'm going to kick cancer's ass. It's about whatever, whatever. It's like what is, is. Like, I'm not going to change it, so I'm not going to cry. And, like, the funniest, I watched it again. And he's like, I want to make amends with everybody. If I owe you money, it's too bad because I don't have it. 
<laughs> and it was just the reality of it that was poignant about it because he wasn't being like, woohoo me. Um, he was just being realistic and accepting it. But in that comes like the fight, like every day he's here and it's like, great. And there was a nice Miami contingent that showed up for him. Penelope paradise from the olden days from Howard Brody's promotion and a lot of Florida independent guys that I saw. And he's a really cool guy. And he always was. Yeah, I have to say, like you said, his acceptance, because everybody who was speaking before and after him kept on saying, six months, no, you're going to be here next year, you're going to be here next year. And this, I know yeah. it's kind of an old school, an old school, uh, you know, never say die, but I found it refreshing that he feels like he's at peace with himself when it's time to go. Totally, because, you know? I mean, it's like, you know, I mean, realistically, you have to look at the facts <laughs> that they don't know shit about cancer. And you're yes. gonna die unless you're extremely lucky. And he and he's like, okay, he's taking the Zen approach. Like it is what is, not what you wish would be. But this is it. So love me now, and I'm here now. And that's all we have. Yeah, and I felt because I can get hit yeah, by because I, I can get hit by a bus tomorrow. And either, all of us are in the same situation. We just don't even realize it. Yeah, you know, I, he I, just knows. I know he has really. His, he has his time frame. We all don't. And, but we're all in the same boat, and that's what's so Absolutely. touching about and what, it. Absolutely. What woke me up to that and why this speech meant a lot to me was uh, six years ago, my uh, stepmother in the late 80s, her body was just giving out. They, they probably could have done a bunch of stuff. I would have kept her going another five, six years easily, but she says, no, it's time. And uh, right. God bless him. My dad wanted her to keep living, but it got to the point where she had to call uh, one of her kids and says – which says, you know, will you get over and straighten Bob out? He won't let me die. <laughs> and the thing is, she, uh-huh. she died on her own terms, and she was accept- – and I, I mean, I learned so much from that, and that was the first thing I thought of when I heard Brickhouse. And, um, you know, I, I, I didn't go up and meet him or anything like that. I didn't know what to say, but I just want to say I have just so much admiration um, for him. Yeah, like usually I'm, you know, old cold-hearted me, but I literally was moved and I felt compelled to go up to him and tell him I'm representing Miami and, uh, you know, just... uh, Mm -hmm. That's awesome you um, did it. And I was compelled because I don't, don't, you know, I don't do shit unless I'm compelled, but I was compelled, so that means a lot. That's awesome. Well, let me jump in here. That's awesome. A lot of people... I'm sorry. No, that's all right. That's all right. I'm just trying to keep it moving. Hold on. Yeah. Let me jump... I don't know what that was. Hold on. You guys, you guys. It's the ghost of Adrian Adonis. Oh, boy. <laughs> don't make a new character. Don't make a new character, man. Yeah, the ghost like, of Adrian well. Adonis. And look, buddy, you new characters. Speaking about new characters, and uh, Brian, I saw your tweet yesterday that somebody uh, put up a picture the Buddy Ray picture, I was absolutely <laughs> dying last night in bed. I'm like, it was so funny. He's over at Chuck E. Cheese. Watch the mozzarella. Oh, my God. That was, that was the funniest fun. tweet I've seen in a long time. But Needs on, to be guys. a character. Absolutely. Well, I'll tell you what, guys. Let me jump in here, and we want to talk about the banquet before we obviously wrap up the segment. Jace, let me go to you. This was your first Cauliflower Alley banquet. What were your impressions of it, and what were the highlights of it for you? 
Um, everything I thought was great. I mean, I think one of the highlights for me was probably uh, Steve Kern's speech, just because it was really interesting to kind of hear him expound a little bit more about how his, you know, training later on in the business. But uh, I was, you know, I couldn't really say very much. I was a little, you know, the JR shtick about making fun of Pat Patterson, I thought was a little passe, you know, like 15, 20 years ago. But um, I didn't really have a lot of complaints. You know, I was just, it was such an honor to get to see all these people being awarded for something that they are truly um, deserving of. And I thought it was great. Shawn Michaels, yeah, it was okay. You know, aside from him like running off, but I, I really had no complaints. And as lame as it sounds, as broad as it sounds, I succeed to the other two people in the round table. I, I had nothing but great things to say. I had a blast. I always do, really. I don't think I've ever had a bad time. I mean, I, I think this, like you guys were saying, no expectations. And right. the, the neat thing is, each year I go there, uh, you know some people who are going to be there, you know, friends and stuff, but you're always surprised that somebody didn't know was going to be there, and I absolutely uh, love it. Well, one regular member is a young guy named uh, Zuka King, who's uh, uh, trained under Bobby Fulton. Uh, okay. he's probably early twenties, and he is really—he's awesome. I—I I don't see many guys his age who are just so fascinated with the history of the industry. You know, not just what's going on right now. And um, I—I I always have a great time. And people like Howard and John Mastandrea make it a lot f- fun. Oh, it's too late now. You didn't say it up cl- up front. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saved the best for last. Am I a great propagandist or what? <laughs> well, there you go. John's an awesome guy. Doesn't get yeah. mentioned much, but I will. just want to say he's really fun to hang with. Yeah, he's nice guy. Well, cool. I'm sure he'll appreciate that. And since we're doing a shout-out, and I don't want to forget, that's my friend John Mastandrea, my uh, life mate of over 42 years now, I believe. And uh, I couldn't do it without him. He's kind of the Morty to my Rick. I also want to give a shout-out to fellow 605ers Mark uh, Beaudry, who made the trip from the Boston area to be with us at our yeah. 605 table. Yeah, good guy. Jason yeah. Rudy, of course, from glamorous J- uh, Sacramento, California, home of the, um, the – what was his name? The what, the what killer? Oh, yeah. Well, I don't anyway. remember. I, uh, it's a place what Buzz Sawyer died. He's from oh, the place yeah. what Buzz Sawyer died. Oh, you know, they just caught that killer, but I can't think of it right now. Dan and Mary Farron, of course, your buddies, Fredo Esparza, who I met for the first time. Very nice gentleman. Uh, uh, John, we mentioned. And, of course, my favorite, Carmine Desperito, the funnest guy at the CAC for my money that you can ask for. I never He's knew a good how guy. to properly pronounce his last name. Is that how you pronounce it, Desperito? Me neither. I learned that. I believe that's the go-to. I believe that's the thing. Yeah, I think I, I think I uh, finally figured that out. I always thought it was. Oh, it's Desperito. What did I say? In my head, it was Desperito. always Desperito. Desperito. <laughs> Desperito. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like Desperado, right? In my head, it would always be like Desperito. The one joke that they called him Desperito. Yeah, I think that was that's no, 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 no. I'll get it for you one of these times, Carmine. It's on Paul Mayfairo. Is that Desperito, that big hit song that Justin Bieber was on yeah. earlier this year? Oh, yeah. I never knew that. I never no, knew that until like I, no. I saw it come out somewhere, and I'm like, oh, that's how you say it. But he's a good man. Fun of guy to hang out with. And all of, if you haven't hung out with him, you haven't even done the CAC. He's a good man. He's a throwback. He's intelligent. And uh, somebody ought to give him a TV show, for real. Very nice guy. 
I'll tell you I'll tell you a funny story that he told me that involved Bob Johnson that I also um confirmed with Bob Johnson. So Bob Johnson uh was carting Bobby Heenan around at some point in time and and so he, the next time he met Bobby Heenan cuz Bob Johnson was like a guy that worked in the Calgary office. He's a guy who's been around, he's friends with the Hearts, he he hangs out at the mansion and all this stuff. So um He's like Mr. Calgary, you know, he's like he's like one of these all-around guys. And so he was showing around Bobby Heenan. I don't know if it was a WWF thing or what, but the next time he saw Bobby Heenan, he's like, Bobby, it's Bob Johnson. And uh, you would have to know Bob Johnson. He's like a typical Canadian gentleman. He's like all polite and stuff. And Bobby Heenan's like, never met you, sir. <laughs> he's like, I drove him for the Rosemont Horizon. So whatever he's like, he's like, never met you. Got no idea what you're talking about. And, um... He's like, I drove you for an hour and a half from from Chicago to Wilmington, Illinois, or whatever. And he's like, never saw you before, pal. Okay, so fast forward. Now Bob Johnson is entertaining Triple H himself at the Hart Mansion at the the dungeon in Calgary. And, like, it was years ago, and and Triple H was all wide-eyed, and he went to the dungeon, and Bob Johnson shows him around. And um, the next time, he happens to be at WrestleMania with one of the Hearts or something, and he goes up to Triple H. He's like, Bob Johnson, Calgary, Alberta. And he's like, never met you before in my life, man. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> so for the rest of the trip, so Carmine told me that story. And then I go up to Bob Johnson, and I'm like, hey, man, it's uh, good to see you and everything. I'm like, we never met before. He's like, yeah, we met last time. I'm like, ah, you don't look familiar to me at all, I swear to God. And for the rest of the trip, I was like, never met you before. Like, I made him tell the story and everything, and then he told it as Bob Johnson. And Carmine was more Bob Johnson than Bob Johnson was. <laughs> Carmine's, ver- Carmine's, version was actually, Carmine's version was actually better and longer. When I think uh, of Bobby Heenan at when I think of Bobby Heenan at the Cauliflower Alley, uh, what I remember <laughs> right away is is one of the first years I went in Vegas and uh, oh I, yeah, it was the first year I went in Vegas because I was with Tom Hankins and we were hanging out and he went up to Bobby Heenan and said, uh, "Hey, when I was first getting into business, um, uh, you took me aside and said, hey, uh, do you got twenty dollars?'" And I said, uh, "I think I do." He says says, good, if you give me $20, I can get you a blowjob right now. <laughs> and he, So he tells Bobby Heenan that, and Heenan pauses and just nods and goes, yep, that was me. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys, before we wrap it up, uh, Vandal, did you have any other highlights from the banquet? Uh, Brickhouse Brown was a highlight. Uh, I, I was probably goofing the rest of the time, to be honest, in the – you know, catching up with people like Ed Moretti, Greg Lake, old uh, old uh, territorial worker in the early seventies. Um, so yeah, the banquet was the banquet. <laughs> Not being disrespectful towards it, it's just you know I'm all about the socializing. Any Carl Lauer run-ins? Yep. Yes. So he's all over the place. He's a nice guy. Yeah, he was very funny. I he uh, I ran into him because he came up from behind, and yanked on my ponytail, and. <laughs> It was good seeing him. The, the sad news is uh, Buddha Khan was not there this year and is in, um, from what I understand, failing health. So. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Man. Yeah, I know. I'm, re- I'm really uh, bummed about this. He had a fall at his house 
just a freak thing, and uh, he's paralyzed, and apparently there's not much. No! There are a couple oh, of well. Oh, boy. Yeah. Was Pistol Pete there? Uh, I didn't he wasn't, because I think he's having some health problems, too. I know he's been going to he's been going to see Buddha quite a bit, and I, I, I'm going to try and go run by and see if he wants visitors, but... Um, Oh, Keep him in sucks. your thoughts for whatever it's worth. Yeah, I know. That and, sucks, man. He's meant so much for all this show. So everyone out there, uh, you know, definitely keep Budokan, the new Budokan, and even the old Budokan yes. in your thoughts. Because, you know, we've had so many fun times on the show talking about him. I always wanted to have him on as a guest. And uh, I'm very, very sorry to hear that. I didn't realize that. I, I knew he had uh, some health issues. I didn't realize it was that severe. That's really bad. That yeah, it was, it was pretty recently. And just... Uh, you know, uh, you know, we kid a lot, but he is—he is one of the nicest people I've met in the biz. I mean, a very, a genuinely kind person. Yeah, all the best wishes going to Budokan. Yeah, that sucks. That really yeah. sucks. All right, Howard, I'm feeling kind of down. Lift me up before we wrap things up. <laughs> all right. Well, I'll tell you my one yeah, last monkey. story that I was saving up, and that would be when I saw. Now, I was obsessed with getting a photo of me and Steve Kern to reenact one of the fabulous ones photos throughout the thing. It began on day one. It ended on day three. I practically all but gave up. Like, if the clothing was right, the angle was wrong, like, whatever. It's like, you know, if you put all 18 photos together that I bugged him for, you might be able to come up with one passable photo if you're half blind and stupid. So anyway... Oh my God, I'm turning into Jim Cornette. But anyway, I saw at the banquet, I go up to him, I go up to him in one last vain attempt to, to grab any photographer in sight and go, get me and Steve doing the fabulous ones pose. <laughs> Only grew up with him, saw him debut in 1973, but I didn't even start, start watching till 75. Totally remember him as a rookie, followed him through his whole career. One of my top five, just wanted to get a fucking fabulous ones photo. All the great photographers took it. Lano, Scott Romer, but it was always one flaw in the photo that don't make it a framing candidate. You know, it's like, <laughs> oh, almost, almost like, oh, this one, our bodies were in the right alignment, but the clothing is off. Like, okay. So anyway, I digress. I go up to him in the last vain attempt to get my dream photo and stand in for Stan in the fabs photo for the old age division. And um, I go up to him at the banquet and um, I see he's clutching a copy of the uh, Brennan Martins, Brennan Martins uh, teeny book, all about Memphis wrestling and his grandmother, Christine Jarrett, right? So everybody knows the best and juiciest story in that whole book, right? It involves the fabulous ones in a van. Right at the beginning. So Steve Kern, right. So Steve Kern, before going up there and thanking his wife and God, I see that book in his hand. He's like, <laughs> I just bought this from Brennan Martin. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, and I did Steve Kern for 35 years of being a fan. I did him a fucking solid. And I go, do not show your wife that book. And he got, he paid me real attention for the first time. And he's like, what? I'm like, do not show your wife that book because you are the best, only, and juiciest story in that old book. The book is great, but that is the fucking main event of the whole entire book right there. He's like, oh, my God. And then we got our horrendous photo. We moved about. Kind of like when – that's kind of like when uh, um, when Tully Blanchard outed uh, Ricky Morton on some uh, religious TV show and, and Ricky Morton's wife was watching. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's in Dutch Mantel's book or something like that. <laughs> well, He talks about the sins that Ricky committed, so <laughs> – 
Well, guys, as we wrap things up, I guess we'll go uh, one by one. I'll start with you, Jace. How did your experience end? And is this something you will do again next year? You know what? I would absolutely love to do it again next year. I might be uh, out of the country for a while with some work, but uh, hopefully if something works out in the summertime or in May, I I would greatly come back to CAC. Like just listing off some of the people that were very nice and super two gentlemen that I'm talking to right now, amazing people. Uh, some of the wrestlers, uh, Vance Nevada, who is a Winnipeg wrestler at wrestled in BC. Uh, funny enough, Brian, he actually let me know that he worked on river city wrestling with brother midnight. So we were talking with, uh, yeah, I was talking to him about that a little bit. And he said that he had some good stories and I, I got his business card. So hopefully I'll be in contact with him. Uh, talked with uh, podcaster, promoter, trainer, Bob Keller, really nice guy, uh, super nice, super friendly. Zuka King, who trained uh, under Bob, really nice guy, as uh, Kurt was saying earlier. Uh, Tom Burke, very nice man, super, super nice, very friendly, made me feel at ease with the entire situation I, uh, at the CAC, and I, I talked to him. And I uh, talked to Mark as well, talking about Kowalski and just listening to them talk about Massachusetts wrestling. I thought it was great. Um, and yeah, all the 605ers there, Rod Hicks, Mark, Jason Rudy, uh, Dale Spear I talked to for a little bit, really nice guy. Carmine was great. Everybody, the whole contingent, nothing but nice things to say. Banquet was amazing. I would definitely go again in the future. Kurt, what about you? Uh, I go every year I can. Uh, I plan to go next year. Man, just uh, such a fun time. And I do have to talk about my one major non-wrestling rush was uh, there's a gentleman uh, who's been going the last couple of years. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce his name. I'm destroying it. His name is Mike Polakow. He's a California boy, a guy in his 60s who looks like a, a surfer, and he promotes concerts. And... Uh, we got talking and I was, uh, I was blown away because he's a concert promoter who's personal friends with Ray Dorsett of Mungo Jerry. Ah, in the summertime, <laughs> Mungo Jerry. Wow. Yes. And that is like my, my biggest <laughs> concert wish. Even above seeing ABBA, Let's I want to see here. Mungo Jerry live. <laughs> no, and, 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 and I said, is he ever going to come out here? And he says, well, sometimes he comes out to my annual, like, a fest in january and i'm like wrong answer the answer is yes in the summertime (laughs) (laughs) you mean when the weather's high (laughs) exactly i heard he can stretch right out and touch the sky one of the last that's your spirit one of the last bands to use a jug in a hit song what's that that's your spirit not even worth it that's your spirit band (laughs) one of the last bands to use a jug in a hit song Yes, absolutely. We use the jug in a lot of their music and just, I don't know, it's, it, it's, like, it's like a pet pill listening to their stuff. You know, Mike was known as Mean Mike on the Florida, uh, I know this sounds like one of my bits, but he was known as Mean Mike on the Florida 80s scene. He was trained by Rusty Brooks. He was one of the local Florida guys in the 80s. Mean Mike, along with Gil Canatella, the Italian hitman, all those classics. Trip ass. A little sidebar for you people. You see, you, oh, South Florida, like you South Florida people, you South Florida people of a certain age will pop. Well, Howard, let's go. And I you. will mark out. Oh. I will mark out unapologetically if Raul Mata ever comes to <laughs> TAC. <laughs> so will Howard. Yeah. 
He's and I like, love, I mean, he I so love that you brought me. him up. He was so over. No, he was so over with me as a star because every magazine was like, Raul Mata's Deadly Wish. And it was like, oh, he's a main event guy. Comes to um, Florida and he's jerking the curtain with Don Serrano every week. And when you saw yes. Lou, when you saw Raul Mata come out, I knew as a kid, ten years old, that this guy could wrestle. And I, from the magazines, I knew he was a main event guy. He comes out and gets destroyed by like Sonny King or somebody. Like, uh, poor and guy. That's the funny thing is, is I saw him right around the same time I saw Jack Briscoe on TV for the first time. And being ten years old and not really understanding how the whole spiel works. The one thing I said, Raul Mata and Jack Briscoe, I said, wait, there's something really different about these guys from the other wrestlers. These guys are super mm-hmm. dynamic and just, uh, I, in my opinion, one of the most underrated workers ever. Yeah, absolutely. He was a real ring general. He, he did a lot of stuff. Howard, same yeah. question to you. He was a real, he, I saw him a lot. He was a real, and he was a nice guy, too. Howard, same I really want to meet him. Motherfucker. Howard, same question to you that the other guys got. <laughs> but this, I don't even know what to do with this segment. <laughs> you don't edit it. Don't edit it all. This still rocks. Uh, uh, I, I know you're probably frustrated, Brian, but I, I think the rest of us are having a good time. Just don't edit it. I'm, I'm just happy to be I'm here. So thank you. <laughs> hey, Brian. Hey, Brian. Hey, Brian. Hey, Brian, you feel that feeling you're feeling right now? That's me trying to get a decent photo of myself at the fucking CAC. (laughs) (laughs) All right, you know what? I'm going to make a pledge right here. This is such a fucking train wreck that I'm going to actually try not to edit that much just so people can hear what this is. We won, right? We won. Uh, Howard, those very unprprofessional, Howard, very unprofessional will you crew. Shut up, I've gotta say. Howard, same question you that I asked Kurt and I asked Jace. What was your lasting impression as you left Cauliflower Alley this year? Obviously, you did your your monologue at the beginning, a little bit about that. But when you leave, what was your last thoughts? And is this something you are going to do again next year? That is quite the million dollar question. I have many projects that I am hoping to get off the ground, which is just a matter of finances and time. And I would love to unleash them on the wrestling world via my website, Hardway Art, and also on Facebook, Hardway Art. Gratuitous plug, doesn't even matter. But what I'm saying is, it's like if I have something to promote, maybe and possibly and probably, and I hate to just say it like that, because, you know, like, a, like all the greats, Johnny Carson, David Letterman, the hobnobbing really doesn't do it for me. It's like, I don't want to sound antisocial, but... Okay, that stuff is great. I love seeing the the Greg Masterjack, Krogs, and um, Scott Teal, and I love all those guys, and I genuinely enjoy it. Greg Oliver, all those guys. I feel like part of the club more than ever. However, a big part of it is so lost to me now, and how do I justify flying across the country for just like the last gasps of a of a once great monolith? So that is I can my give you an explanation. Question. So that's I my a, question. I've got the explanation answer. already. Weed's legal. Okay. Weed is legal in Nevada. So come on down. As Brian the dog says, it does make everything better. So yeah, yeah. I might be game. I might be game. I can't give it a thumbs down. I know I'm. A, I know I bitch, but I can't give it a thumbs down. Every year it has its own charm. You cannot expect anything because it changes from year to year. This year was totally different from last year, yet still somehow cool. But if this trend that I see happening this year 
increases, which I have a feeling it will because I don't see how the players involved are going to change, I don't really see the point because it's getting away from the original CAC, which is the old timers. Yeah, I agree. And that's it. So I love you guys, and thank you very much. Love back to you, my friend. Absolutely love to you guys as well. I hate everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Brian, Brian? I sent you 65,000 text messages the other day. I did break into your house to go into the bathtub. I don't know if you guys heard about that today. Oh, my God. I've heard about that. That was hilarious. Oh my, oh my god, guys! You know what? It's going to be sixty-five thousand and one after this. I, I really way, appreciate being there, on. There's only one way to end this, and that's by telling the three of you that this group sucks, and I'm leaving. Hey Brian, <laughs> Brian, Brian, yeah. Brian, yeah. Brian. If we yeah, ever uh, make a, uh, if we ever make a movie version of this podcast, I want you to be portrayed by the ghost of Edgar Kennedy. <laughs> what? <laughs> you know Kennedy the cop? He always did that slow burn thing. Where he'd be really tense and he's trying to keep control, and then finally he'd slap his hand on his forehead, and very slowly it would it would drool down his face. It, it, you would be perfect for no, it. I feel more like Groucho trying to navigate between Chico and Harpo. I feel a little bit more like that. <laughs> I I and, like and that. Zeppo, I like that. And I guess Zeppo, considering we have a fourth person on this line. Zeppo, an underrated uh, act, I think. He is. He is. And uh, his wife left him for Frank Sinatra, right? I didn't know that part. Yeah, I had no idea. Yeah. A little old school Hollywood history since we're talking <laughs> Cauliflower Alley and Count Billy Varga and Mike Mazurki and all those old Hollywood wrestling. I told you what the uh, incredibly strange name uh, for Count Billy Varga was going to be. No. Uh, it was a Larry Doyle creation. It's going to be Count Billy Viagra. oh by the way i don't know if we're rolling or what but i got to meet harley racist himself two years in a a row yeah he had a fake bandana beautiful beautiful jack stud himself uh my favorite gimmick name of all time mr harley racist i was overjoyed to meet that man's acquaintance I call him the George Licker of professional wrestling because he looks like a womanizing, hard-drinking, <laughs> like, you know, he looks like a throwback Dick the Bruiser from the past, you know? He's he cool is. Guy. He is. He, he's in between Dick the Bruiser and somebody who hangs in a cocktail lounge from the 50s. And, and a very sweet guy. I've, I've known him almost 30 years now. Oh, yeah? Yeah, we, we've worked with each other. He, he's really easy to work with. Good guy, really, really wonderful yeah, guy. Yeah, good guy. I was, I was uh, glad I got to talk to him. And we should give a shout out to Teresa. I can't remember what how her last name is pronounced. I'm ashamed to say, from the East Coast, who has been part of the wrestling scene for years. Uh, grew up uh, with people like Jack Armstrong and stuff like that, and uh, just a really nice presence at CAC every year. And uh, we we need something. We need a good closing remark to wrap this up. This train wreck of a segment. You know. Uh, You performed your mother. You engaged in anal intercourse with your brother, who was somehow impregnated, and you engaged in standard missionary sex with your sister, who likewise was impregnated. I hope you guys die in the next thirty minutes. Well, I will look into that because I think we do have records from 1953 in Florida, so we'll see what we can find out. Motherfucker, hold on. Ha!